Hello, everyone, and welcome to Between the Sheets, episode number 335. I'm your host, Chris Zellner, joined as always by my co-host, David Vixen, Span, and Bix. We got a late 2000s show this week, a Patreon request to show by Sean Doherty. So uh, this should be quite the show, shouldn't it? Yes, it should. Hello? Sorry. <laughs> well, no, people won't hear the, the gap in editing if I don't take this whole thing out, I, I turned my TV on as we were starting. I didn't realize that I was on the Showtime uh, pick your live feed screen, which has audio. So I was like, oh, shit, let me mute before I I mean, let me let me mute the TV before I unmute my mic. But anyway, we're yes, starting off with a bang. Well, we, people are going to notice that at least you may sound different, though, a little bit, because we are finally trying to ditch Skype. Yeah, we are. Uh, got, finally got tired of it. <laughs> so we're going to see how this new way works. Yeah, we're but, using uh, uh, yeah, Sean Doherty. Yes. Yeah, Sean Doherty, who um, requested his show, patreon.com slash twin sheets. Um, he picked this week, and you can do that as well. Uh, pick any week you want if you put down $25. Now, uh, at patreon.com slash twin sheets. Now, if you want to do that, uh, Make sure that you have a backup show handy because the week that you may want originally could be something we've already done or could be a week that's already been picked on the calendar. So you do that, and then you um, send information in the Bix through the Patreon website protocol, uh, 30-day rules in effect, nothing uh, uh, past 30 days, everything needs to get in before 30 days from your show, 10-year rule in effect, nothing past 2012 now as we're entering 2022 and uh wednesday to tuesday of course our timeline and our week and yeah specify why you want to do the show what's the reason what what is your impetus yes of and, uh, wanting to do that week and in the email to me when i when we say follow the rules to the letter that means literally the subject line should not say anything other than patreon request yeah and like, um literally that phrase all, yeah, you do all that and everything should be good to go. Um, so, yeah, so we're going to get started. But first, I have a story to tell about this show. Oh, boy. All right. So, <laughs> I look at the calendar and I see that the show says 2007. So, I'm thinking, okay. So this is, this means we're going to do the week, the uh, last week of December 2007 going to January 2008. So I do the notes, and it's a long process, and I you know, one of the longest processes I've ever had to do on this show for notes. Because and, we don't uh, have, everything. you know, we don't have text observers yet for that period. Yeah, a lot of a lot of corrections had to be made, and I just gave up on it at one point. So anyway... I do the notes up and everything and get everything done. And then to come to find out that Bix laid it out wrong. Well, that I didn't put 2006, 2007, which I should have. So those, those notes are going to be putting mop balls until next year. But anyway, so Bix said he was going to do the notes to make up for it. Me having to do all that work. So this is the first show. In the main that show. we've done. Yes. On the main show, that Bix has done the notes. So it's going to probably be a little bit different than normal, but it is what it is. So we're going to go with it. Uh, there is a caveat I want to put out here for people that may ask about this. 
Um, there was a major UFC during our week. Tito Ortiz and Chuck Liddell. Um, Bix and New Year's made Eve. the call. That he, yeah, yeah, Bix made the call. He did not want to cover any of that stuff. Well, so, we set a rule that we've stated repeatedly that because Dave especially is so, both in general, both because Dave is so verbose with all of the MMA stuff in this era, not just the MMA stuff, but especially the MMA stuff, and because like it becomes more separated from wrestling as time goes on, basically decided after like Ultimate Fighter 1 and the, you know, finale and the pay-per-view stemming from that, that unless we have a rest, a notable pro wrestler or whatever going into MMA, that we're not covering it starting with that. And we, we, we've talked about this a few times. This is not something I pulled out of thin air. Just letting you know. So just letting you people know that, uh, you know, if, if you, you wonder why USC wasn't covered this week, that's why. So Yes. Now, there like, you go. If we end up doing Lesnar, you know, UFC era stuff, you know, well, you know, that, yes, we would probably cover some of that. Or, you know, later era pro wrestler MMA stuff. But, you know, it just, it becomes more of a separate thing. And also it would drive us both insane because of how long Dave made this coverage of it in that time period. I just know that with Tito and Chuck, it's kind of, it's like your normal UFC. So I just want to make sure that people know that's that's what's going on. So okay, this is some scrubbed UFC. This was a major deal. So I just want to make sure that everybody know that's why it's not included on this week's show. All right, <clears throat> so let's begin, shall we? As we go with the week that was December twenty ninth, two thousand and six. The January the fourth, two thousand and seven. Oh, and we didn't say actually one begin, of the, the, you know, the main thing things he picked it for. We will get to later because this is the year of the first Wrestle Kingdom, the first of the January fourth shows to be called Wrestle Kingdom. But some other stuff here too, including very newsworthy WWF WWE section. So yes, let's get going with that. Sadly, yes. Yeah. So as we go to World Wrestling Entertainment, it's not an era look fo- uh, Conley on, folks. So. <laughs> The TV in the early 20, 2007 is very good, though. Yeah, but to me, it's just, I'm not nostalgic for... I'm not nostalgic for, for it, era. but of the stuff we could do from this era, early 2007 is a lot more palatable than most. This is kind of the low point of my wrestling fandom in a lot of ways. Really, the only thing I'm watching is WWE at this mm. point in time, so we'll talk about that as we go along. And mainly because of... Just watching it with other people online or whatever. Well, I think All right, we're officials, AAA, like I was too, but we'll talk about that later. Actually, no, yeah, a little bit. Yeah. All right, W officials have five finalized in the process of putting the finishing touches on a deal that would get them back, at least temporarily, into mainstream America. The Vincent Man interview on the New Year's Day Raw show, which mentioned Donald Trump's feud with Rosie O'Donnell, who met man called Yokozuna. And his telling Rob Conway, you're fired with the gargling with razor blades voice was scripted at the start of an angle. They doesn't mean, you know, the details other than that there would be something along the lines of a man Trump battled the billionaire's angle, building to something. Most likely the Royal Rumble, <clears throat> January 20th for San Antonio. Think again. The vague word is Vince is in one corner managing a wrestler against a wrestler Trump would manage. This is the perfect opportunity to get two wrestlers into the mainstream. Just remember Trump is the line with, we'll get a major rub. 
It's not only a great for mainstream publicity, since Trump is such a major name in our culture, but it's also great for Vince from an ego standpoint because he'll be mentioned in the same breath and perhaps even on equal footing as Trump in all the stories. <clears throat> the Trump deal was actually something W was asked to do, as opposed to an idea they sought out. NBC Universal came to WWE in November to broker a deal for Trump to be in the WWE angle, leading to a big match. The angle and match had to come at the same time as the next season, The Apprentice, which starts this month. NBC felt because the last season saw ratings drop, they were looking for some publicity stunts to heat up Trump. And yes, the deal with O'Donnell was apparently the first one they came up with. Dane doesn't know if the O'Donnell thing was a work from start to finish because Rosie's with ABC. That's a cross-network deal, but the decision to respond with a big promo by Trump was a planned publicity stunt by NBC. The McMahon Trump program is scheduled at this point to be heavily promoted by NBC with the idea they would push Raw to higher ratings. The match is described as not final because both NBC and WWE both have given the green light to actual booking and direction. The entire scenario would have to be scripted and agreed to by all the parties ahead of time before it would commence, and that hasn't happened yet. However, McMahon's going on television to start the angle in the case they're pretty sure is happening. The angle is scheduled to conclude either through a Rumble or a Raw broadcast shortly thereafter. Why is Dave not seeing WrestleMania here? Come on. Uh, Especially since, well, Chris, think about this too. It's the first stadium WrestleMania in years. Mm -hmm. I think he's thinking that since Apprentice is starting up in January, that it's going to wrap up in January. But that's not the case. Trump has been involved with WF in the past. In both 88 and 89, he paid a side fee and hosted WrestleMania at the Trump Plaza in Atlantic City. There are probably two of the three worst WrestleManias in history because the expensive seats on the floor were mostly filled by non-wrestling fans who didn't react to anything. That was for the time when WrestleMania was established to the degree it is now and where wrestling tickets were a high-dollar item. Wrestling fans, for the most part, weren't willing to buy the expensive tickets in those days. These were filled by uh, casino high rollers. Most of the matches both nights weren't good either. That business relationship ended after the second show. Between that and the probable return of Steve Austin for a run the building back for his movie release and the likely return of Hulk Hogan, we should be looking at a strong first few months of 2007 for WWE. At the Raw show, McMahon said that Trump was famous for the term, you're fired, but McMahon claimed he was the one who made the phrase popular. Dave always fought Mr. Spacely on the Jeffersons beat both them by decades. <laughs> well, fired. technically, though, it's more Jetson you're fired than you're fired. Yeah, but still. Yeah, but the ca- the catchphrase is not the catchphrase is not your fire though. It's Jetson. You're fired. Either way. Um so yeah, NBC I mean NBC is the reason why Donald Trump pretty much was propelled into a, you know, the national spotlight even more than you had already been with the apprentice and all that stuff. Well, okay, I thought you were going a different way with that because the main thing that really struck me in this was that regardless of whether she was in on it or not, and I think hindsight has shown she was not, all the rosy shit was orchestrated by NBC on a corporate level, according to Dave. Mm-hmm. That does not reflect well on them, does it? No, NBC's heavily pushing Donald Trump. And this is a way that they can push him even more. Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to try to keep this as far away from politics as possible, but, like, one of the byproducts of this, too, is that whatever degree to which he was seen as this joke before 
you know, especially in New York and surrounding areas, you know, who couldn't even make money with a casino, all those jokes. It's The Apprentice that makes him seem like this big, successful businessman that he isn't exactly. It's complicated, you know, like it's such an image rehab on top of everything else. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, he was not by like by by 2006 until The Apprentice came about. He was not constant. Well, actually, wait, is this the second season we're going into now or later? I forget. What year did it premiere? Um, I'm looking right now. Oh, it was 04. Okay, yes, that's why I wasn't sure. Sorry. I forgot we're a few seasons deep. Okay, yes, because when he's at, at WrestleMania 20, he's promoting the first season. Or the first season just aired. So, regardless, though, so, yeah, until, you know, he's doing the promotion for the first season in late 03, Donald Trump wasn't someone that was, like, talked about or in the public conversation at all anymore. You know, like maybe go on Howard Stern or something occasionally, but that's about it. This made him a thing in a way that he hadn't been yeah, in a long time. Season, yeah, this is going to be season six. Oh, God, they were doing two a year. That's right. Season five, the one that had just ended, mm -hmm. I mean, didn't really have anything going on uh, on the show, really. I mean... Again, this is this is the time where they're not. This is not celebrity apprentice. Yeah, I was just so going to say this is regular apprentice. Yes, this is regular apprentice. So, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm looking. Let's see if I find the ratings. Oh God, I forgot. That's um, where Bill Rancic came from. Yep, Juliana Rancic, his wife, got a job with E off of it. Well, no, um, no she was already with E. She she married him and she became was? Juliana Rancic. I'm pretty sure she was. Oh, okay. That's that's right. You're right. You're right. Yeah, season five's finale was the lowest rated ever of their series. Now, 23% from season four, 28 from season three. So they're freaking out and being like, well, he and Vince like each other. And, this, and that was the first season they had Ivanka and Don Jr. on there. And then, of course, season six um, is where they became full-time parts of the show um oh and juliana uh Pan what was her main name uh depandy she joined e-news in 2002 so yes pre-apprentice oh here's a here's an interesting note to uh season six of uh, the apprentice heidi andral was one of the uh contestants on there really yeah huh um i'm looking to see uh there's anything about the ratings for this um it was the worst received season of the apprentice and the least watched on this initial run um so <laughs> you're talking about five or six season six the one that that, that, that this is to promote well i'm looking so, at because you know i'm looking it, at five two and five was the first you know not what, to rank in what the top 50 you know what it looks like to me hmm it looks like to me that this show the show really didn't get hot hot until they started doing the celebrities. Well, it I get what you're saying. It had been done well for the first few seasons and then Yeah, but it did get off. I mean it, it fell off. It it fell off. And then they brought celebrities in and boom. You know, which is just what it takes. People want to see that type of stuff. So I mean they were talking yeah, I mean, so the first three seasons though. So like they were they were doing really well. Yeah. It was Kevin Riley was to... go ahead. I said Kevin Riley was the president of NBC that uh, took over 
when this was going on, Zucker, Jeff Zucker was the guy who pretty much, you know, got the show started in NBC. Right. And then Riley got in charge of NBC and uh, he continued it. He a big uh, political su- uh, fun supporter of Trump as well. Mm-hmm. So, uh, oh, okay. So the first, se- so basically the first season was a huge smash and then they dipped off every season, it looks like, because reading the Wikipedia summary at the top, um, this season had high ratings, ranking at number seven in the average weekly Nielsen rankings with an average viewership of, so this is almost 18 years ago, 20.7 million viewers each week. The final episode of the season was seen by an estimated 28.05 million viewers and ranked as the number one show of the week, beating out a new episode of CSI. It was the most popular new show of 2004. Yeah. So, so there you go. So this is NBC pulling their strings to get Trump relevant to a new audience of WWE fans. But so. you know what, though, too? If, I mean, if you're Vince, Trump, Trump and the show had been big enough, though, still the last few years that if you have him willing to do this and you'll get all this cross promotion, why not? And he's right because this ends up being what is still the most bought wrestling pay-per-view of all time. And the, I mean, the media loved Donald Trump. Yes. Always have always will. That's why. I mean, if you, if, I mean, seriously, if you put a gun to the head of most media bosses in this country, they would kill to have Trump as president right now. Kill. Oh, with, because I mean, I mean there were all these stories. Lit. I mean, as we're recording this, all the story, like we've been seeing all these stories last week or so about how much, like, traffic and television viewership is down for a bunch of news outlets. Yeah, I mean, they would kill to have him back in there because so, it's money. You know, he's money. Yeah. No matter what people think about him, it's money. People want they want to talk about him. They want to watch him. You know, he's that type of personality. You love or hate him. It wasn't Zuck. Was it? Was it Zucker? Who was the one? Who was the one that got torn apart for making the comments about how great he was for ratings, and but also said something like, "Even if he's bad for the country." It was was someone at CBS. It was it was someone at CBS, right? But it wasn't him, Nick, because he was at CNN. That's what I'm saying. I was trying to remember who it was. I can't remember who it was at CBS, but I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, he just. He's one of those personalities because he's, he's, you know, he's like a, re, he's a reality star in a way that people, people can't get enough of, yeah. you know, he's, he's what Kim Kardashian was before Kim Kardashian, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just the way it is. Yeah. He, he was one of the, he was one of the first one, ones in, in the eighties to be like famous for being famous, you know, because mm-hmm. what did he do? He just had money, and he would have all these high-powered friends in New York, in the media, they would always put him on, interview him and everything, and he's famous for being famous. And our local local newspapers are more tabloidy than most. Oh, yeah, they love it. Oh, yeah, Yeah, they love that. Even, like, even, like, the higher brow, so to speak, like, you know, like, when we have the New York Observer, they loved, like getting into Trump stuff and all that, so. Oh, yeah, absolutely. All right, so there's that. All right, so WWE has already noted, started a noticeable comeback at the live events, which, along with interviews, is the first place you'll see evidence of a change in business trends. Since the interview numbers have been reported over the last two months, 
We don't know, but running too many shows may make it difficult for anything but the majors to show signs of trending upward. Not including traditionally huge post-Christmas week, which included the company's most successful traditional house show event in years on December 28th in East Rutherford, New Jersey, the Raw Sentinel crews combined were averaging 6,600 paid attendance. Not including pay events, but including TV tapings per event in North America. As far as two months of consistent business at that level, domestically, you have to go back to March, April 2002 for a stronger period. Well, the attendance increase started before this time. From a creative standpoint, internally, the word is the ECW preview is the catalyst for all these changes. Internally, the show was described as rock bottom for everyone involved in it in the company. To be clear, this is December to, really, to dismember. Yeah, well, yeah, I think that would be pretty obvious. Well, people. because it was the only one that wasn't a one-night stand or whatever, I mean. but Yeah, but it's it's the mo- one of the most infamous pay-per-views of all time. It is, yes. All right, so WWE really accepts the idea they are doing anything wrong. They got so much negative feedback on the show that they did. If it lit a spark under Vincent Mann, who pushed everyone harder, the internal feelings of the company, aside from the ECW brand, has its best momentum for business in two years since the day Batista Babyface turned and the chase for Triple H... It's his title. The biggest increase is large on the Raw events, which are now greatly outdrawing SmackDown, largely due to John Cena. We have DX as a secondary factor. But because of the seasonal patterns in the business in many parts of the country that go back decades, and in modern times, the addition of the bill for WrestleMania, usually from Christmas week to the end of March, is usually the company's strongest period of the year. Even in years they don't have an angle that reaches out past the usual wrestling core. Combination of the Christmas season, a big building, and the company being on High Street in New York led to the Raw crew drawing a sellout 20,411, the largest crowd for WWE event in North America in several years, to the December 28th show in East Rutherford, New Jersey. It's house show, folks. Most of us during the past five years of major arenas have been for either Raw tapings, which usually block out about 30% of the seats, or for pay-per-view events, which also have a huge stage. It's very rare when there are legitimately more than 16,500 fans, even at a sold-out major arena. Yeah, the show was announced the next event in the building would be SummerSlam on August 26th. They announced tickets were going on sale on December 30th. They sold out in less than one hour. Price from 400 down to 25 New York markets been strong for over the past year. So the TV tapings have been all max sellouts, as they've done huge for non-TV events. The show itself was similar to all the Raw events held this past week. Okay, before we get right, to well, the results, that's, though. Okay. <sighs> I'm not going to check how much inflation we've had in the last 15 years, but, and obviously I'd rather pay less. Boy, does this show that they were charging way too little relative to the demand for pay-per-view tickets at the time. Yeah. What's the house show? No, I'm just talking about the SummerSlam thing. Oh. Well. You know, like... When was the last time $25 was the bottom price for an arena WWF, WWE pay-per-view? Probably been quite a while. It's got to be at least a decade. Well, all right. So let's let's look at this show here that drew $20,411 at the, at the Meadowlands. Crime time over Charlie Austin, Shelton Benjamin. Glenn Rickoslaw over Val Venus. Lance Cade and Trevor Murdoch beat the Highlanders. Women's title, Mickey James retained over Victoria. Jeff Hardy won a three-way ladder match to keep the Intercontinental title over Carlito and Johnny Nitro. Hacksaw Jim Duggan beat Viscera. Shawn Michaels, Ric Flair, and Triple H beat Edge, Randy Orton, and Kenny Dykstra. And John Cena retained WWE title beating Umaga by disqualification. Okay. I were were they linked with Kenny on TV? Or is this stuff they had advertised with Dan Rodimer? 
or whoever it was as their bodyguard, and then they got rid of him, but they wanted to keep doing the Sex Mans. Oh, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know. I, I'd, I'd be curious how this was advertised. This this run, at least. Although, I'm also curious if the latter match... That I mean, well, it's holiday week, so they're probably doing it everywhere, though. Because I didn't want to include more than one house show. But it's, it's not a particularly... I mean, other it's than two the, matches. It's the two matches, yeah. It's it's that you've got Michaels, Blair, and Triple H teaming against Rated RKO and partner, and Cena. Umaga is the hot. Field. John Cena. Yes, well, John Cena. Cena's it's Cena, but Cena Umaga was the hot, probably the hottest feud he had had so far. Yeah, but I mean, it's Cena. You know, yeah. Cena's red hot at the time. And Amaga is, you know, a great opponent for him, absolutely. But yes, it's seen. We should know, too, just in addition to what Dave said here, you know, we were both reading The Observer at the time. You'll remember how I would say once the attendance uptick started a few months earlier, Dave was talking like, and then I think also a little bit after this period, too, Dave was talking like we might be on the verge of a new boom period from the way the attendance was going up, which... It didn't end up happening, even if we have the biggest pay-per-view of all time coming up. No, there was not a boom period. No. I mean, they got they're, they're, they are far more um, commercially accepted and all that stuff now than they were here. You know? Yeah. So, there, 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 there definitely was not a boom period. Uh, were there more people watching? Absolutely. We'll get into the ratings later, but still, yeah, we're not at a boom period by any means. <laughs> well, also, and in case people are wondering why they're not running MSG, I believe this is during the MSG lockout period, right? Yeah, I think so. When they refused the to run the building anymore, because I believe it was at the time, they, I don't remember what the rent was before, but they changed the rent and this is not even including other costs too like staffing and stuff but they i believe they changed the rent all the way up to two hundred eighty thousand dollars. and again that's just rent that is not the total turn the lights on price ain't cheap i i'm trying to remember if they were able to make a deal for less or if they just decided you know what it's new york we can charge enough and usually to be fine kind of thing. Um, but even then, you know, mainly they run it for house shows, you know, and even then usually just house shows that will reliably sell, just to give you, pack the garden. Just to give you the gist. Well, just to give you the gist of this, mm -hmm. uh, you're, they're not, it's not lockout period because they oh, already ran in September. That's they ran interesting, September 11. That they're not... They were out 17 months. They they were out from April 18, 2005 to September 11th, 2006. 5th anniversary of 9-11. It was MSG. That's right. And that then they don't time. run it again. And then they don't run it again until August 13th, 2007. Okay, so then, I'm remembering... And then January, January 2008 for Royal Rumble. And then I was going to say, I believe March 2008 is... Now, what we think of as the first MSG Christmas Week show, then, right? December 28, 2008. Yeah, as the tradition we think of now, because also I think they... Didn't they run a March 08 show, too? A pre-WrestleMania show? 
but they don't do it, they don't do it December two thousand and nine. They do twenty ten. That's when it really starts. Is twenty ten to become an that's every year first, thing? Okay, every year. In fact, yeah. In fact, it started. That's when the only they only started running it pretty much is at that point in time, which is about every December. Yes, yeah. December twelfth, thirteen, fourteen. Yeah, yeah. So. I saw that the other day. Um, and then some years they were doing a pre WrestleMania show as well. Sometimes, sometimes, yeah. So, but big money here. But anyway, and especially they're running the cheaper building anyway for this big sellout. Yeah. And also, all right. I should, so I mean, I should, raw. Oh, just real quick, do also like this is like for people who aren't from the area, like. The Meadowlands, you know, it's closed now, but, like, that's for people with cars mainly. Like, you can get a bus there sometimes, but, you know, for taking trains and stuff, there was no North Jersey arena until Prudential Center became a regular stop. But anyway, yes, let's get to Raw is Federline. New Year's Day, Raw Miami. The show drills uh, announced at 15169 about 13000 paid. Larger to see John Cena versus Kevin Federline. Kevin Federline, for those of you who may not know who he is, it's been 15 years, so there may be some of you listeners that may not know who he is. He is the father of Britney Spears' kids. He was her backup dancer. They fell in love, got married, uh, fathered her children. Then they broke up. And then that led to Brittany starting to do some of her wild and crazy stuff, like shaving her head, and where we've come all these years later. So, well, I mean, really what happened, as it turned out, was that she was developing the early stages of bipolar disorder. Yeah. And we should say, though... Who's to say, she didn't, who's, who's to say, who's to say that she probably didn't already have these issues years before? And it became, well, more public, we don't know... But she was in the age range where it could still start. So, like, it, it's entirely know, possible I, she didn't have it until then. It's possible, but, you know, I don't know. Just, just the way her and, and uh, Timberlake had their issues and break up. That kind of, kind of, you know, may, that may have been a factor in that, too. So, Well, and the know. thing I want to add, though, is for as much as he was looked at publicly in this era and you know as this kind of sleazy vaguely he was like the, gold diggerish type well let me finish though he was well, he was a new tom arnold kind kind of yes that's kind of how he was viewed i mean when that really came to a halt once her problems got so bad because he stepped the hell up and did a good job taking care of their kids and stuff and I mean, that kind of ended him being this constant tabloid figure because he was seen as this, you know, responsible parent and ex. Yeah. And then he got, that's how his name got on the news. And he's been on the news for much ever since. But yeah, I mean, as I said, he was a Tom Arnold opened up for Roseanne. He was a comedian. Federline was a backup dancer. I mean, the, the connections were there. Media portrayed him as. You know, kind of like this gold digger or somebody trying to use use their famous spouse to get famous and this, that, and the other. So, I mean, there's a lot going on. Yes. It's the early days, early days of this type of stuff, you know, the TMZ and all that type of media, 
you know, at this point in time. We're in, yeah. Social media is not around just really. I mean, MySpace is around, but it's not, you know, we're not nearly in the era where social media is becoming the juggernaut it is now. Right, and so, Facebook is around, but not a juggernaut or anything. Uh, yeah. Yeah, well, Facebook is barely around at this point in time. You know, yeah. it's it's mainly just a college version of Facebook, basically. So Yes. Now, with Britney, I pulled up her Wikipedia just to remind myself of where we are in the timeline with all of that. So February 2006 is when the pictures get published of her driving with her son in her lap instead of in a car seat. Uh, uh, August 2006 is the nude Harper's Bazaar cover compared to the Demi Moore Vanity Fair cover. September, she gives birth again uh, to her and Federline's second son, Jane James. November, she filed for divorce, side reconcilable differences. It's not finalized until July, but... Uh, so, yeah, you got the divorce stuff going on this time, too. But so later in January, um, Brittany's aunt, who she was very close with, dies of ovarian cancer. February, she goes into rehab in Antigua for less than a day. The following night, she shaves her head. And then a bunch of stuff ha ha falls out from there. Where with October yeah, so being really when she loses physical custody of the kids. But again, I mean, we're in that time where the divorce is red hot. So Federline is red hot in the media. So, of course, WWE is going to take advantage of that and, and get him on their television. So, anyway. All right, so they opened the show with the match. They figured, guess figured they couldn't close with it. Federline got great heat through all this. Well, let, let's before we get to the match, let's get to the entrance of the match where Kevin Federline shows up and... uh yeah, the crowd was, uh, they were very vocal about this. So let's go to the clip. What a way to kick off the first round of 2007, JR! And now, ladies and gentlemen, allow me to introduce to you celebrated recording artist, dancer par excellence, <laughs> television superstar. He is an all around entertainment mogul. He is Kevin Federline! Wow! Did you know K-Fed were all those things? Amazing how different it sounds when it's real people making the noise. Yep. And of course he's got the... K-Fed is here! Boxing style work, yes. Would I be correct in assuming this that we had some kind of Kevin Federline custom song that's being dubbed over here, and that's why we're not hearing the crowd? Yeah, yeah, it's a K Fed song. Yeah, because that's not his song. It was it was a K Fed song that he he did he recorded. Yeah. All right. Let me. See. But they don't have the rights to it, so that's why we're. Yeah, believe me, there was a lot of crowdy. <laughs> all right. So he's got the mic. AC. As you can news. hear. You see, I was just talking to Coach Man, and there's been a little change in our match. Uh oh. 
See, I don't want nothing stopping me from beating your ass. Oh, oh, wait, wait. <laughs> so tonight, it's gonna be a no DQ, no disqualification, anything. And now that I've said that, let me introduce my personal trainer and friend, Johnny Nitro! <laughs> Casey King, I don't know that John the coachman did Kevin Fenline a, a huge favor or not. But he got a hint of Hey, Fenline's not my favorite guy, but I got a, I do admire his guts. Well, you know, I think I've heard you say in the past there, sometimes people have more guts than brains. But let's face it, Kevin Fenline is here. He's stressed out. He's got his, he's got his getting on gear on and He's ready to do battle, one way or the other. Now, Johnny Nitro, personal trainer, former multi-time intercontinental champion. Looks like he's going to be in Tayfed's corner. Guys, been- I mean, as you can already tell, though, he's a natural at this. Oh, yeah, he did very well. Now, some of that, you know, some of that makes sense, though, because, I mean, he is a professional live event big arena entertainer you know yeah so he's not he's not the star he's not rattled by a lot of people no but in terms of being a heel and stuff and cutting a promo that's all new you know so i guess so where should i skip ahead to now well let's let me let me read because we we do have the stalling but i don't know if we how much of that we want and so Federline got great heat through all this, Dave said, all stalling. First Federline put it about peace, MMA gloves, headgear, kept stalling. Standard offered him a headlock, a lot of 1982 Jerry Lowell Andy Kaufman, which the, the body of the match with the early stalling was modeled after. And Lola was on commentary, so that was a nice touch. Cena threw him off. Federline then issued a master lot challenge. They brought in a chair, and Cena broke it easily. Then he took off his gloves, headgear, and mouthpiece. Johnny Nitro interfered. It was no GQ. Cena threw him out in the ring. This saw Federline to use a low blow. Cena fought back, though. Had Federline up for the FU. And then we get the finish. All right, so let's see. How far ahead do I need to go here? That's too far. Let's see. Still a little too far. Remember when the network had... Chapter marks for the finishes. The old network. I don't think you're right. We need to. No, I got it. What you think? I need to go further now. No, I think you're fine. Okay. That's got to be embarrassing to Kevin. Oh, oh, wait a minute! And Lundra, oh, he nailed. Nitro Johnny Nitro in the ring. And Lundra, Johnny Nitro out of the ring. Federline's coach just got ejected from the ring. What you bet? Oh, a low blow. Federline with a low blow on Why John have to Cena from, the from behind. No, no DQ. I know, but now, why did they do that? I'm going to put a little bad math on. No, 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 wait a second. I'm going to take care of some winners here early. Here comes the FU. John Cena with the FU. Kevin Federer. Oh, my God. Umaga. Umaga assaulting Cena. And remember, it's no disqualification here. Umaga is brutalizing a WWE champion. Notice Armando keeps calling him Russo. With John Cena's championship belt. 
Umaga out of nowhere with his with his handler Estrada. What what is Estrada instructing Umaga to do here? Wait a minute! Oh, come on! No! 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 no. Umaga with that. WWE Championship belt hit John Cena right in the face with it. And I think John Cena is out like a light. Cena's motionless at the hands of of this Samoan bulldozer who just hit Cena right in the face with Cena's own WWE Championship belt. This match continues because, remember, it was made no disqualification. Cena tried his best to block that Wait, wait a minute. Wait, better on. Oh, oh, you gotta be no. kidding me. Wait, no, wait, come wait, on. Wait. No, wait, you gotta wait. be kidding me. <laughs> My God. This kid out of here. Here is your winner, Kevin Fetterman. Can you tell me we just didn't see Kevin Fetterman beat John Cena? Well, I'm afraid we did. I can't listen to this dubbing anymore. <laughs> so there you go. Kevin Federline pinned John Cena. Well, Umaga's help. Yes. Now, and then he Dave immediately some... made it rain over him as soon as he stood up. Oh, yeah. He was great. For some reason, it didn't bother Dave nearly as much as Cena was pinned by Federline as he didn't even do a promo afterwards to sell that. It meant anything. And the fact the world champion lost was no big deal, even if it doesn't matter. And it's not going to be a huge deal. And an outsider beat your world champ. Then why do it in the first place? To set up one paw for a nephew at the end, you make beating the world champ mean nothing. The only reason they could see you doing, if it's, you're trying to build a second rating by having Cena beat him with the FU in a few weeks. But if that's the case, why did to do it to the end? Why did he have to do it to end the show? He could have had a manga spike him after the match and choose him and have been just as effective. Or they could have done what they did and have seen in the announcer set like it's a big deal. Cena was publicly humiliated in the way he's never been before, and they didn't do that at all. You know, I, I get where Dave's coming from. I mean, it's not the fact that Cena lost, because, you know, Umaga was the reason why he lost the match, but they basically put it on the shelf the rest of the show. Cena never got a chance to show off his anger. What what happened? Other than when he lays him out at the end. Yeah. But he, he that's all he does, really. Yeah. So I get where Dave's coming from on this for sure. The next night, Jay Leno mentioned the result and said that it puts to bed any arguments as to whether wrestling's fake and said usually when Federline is on top of someone for 10 seconds, they end up pregnant. <laughs> but he had other kids too uh, before Britney Spears with his uh, first wife. If they were married, I can't remember if they were married or not. I knew he had kids. So Federline celebrated with a bunch of women in his dressing room. Melina went, I mean, Maria, Maria went to get an interview, but Melina came out, slapped her hard, and called her a bitch to lead to a match later in the show. Coachman came into the party, and now Cena versus Umaga, Nostrada, and Coachman, and Johnny Nitro as the main event. But Cena wasn't done for the night, folks. Anyway, Crime Time in the Highlanders beat Charlie Haas, Shelton Benjamin, Lance Cade, and Trevor Murdoch in 321. Shaquille O'Neal was at ringside. Along with several other members of the Miami Heat. You mean all elite wrestlers? He hugged Shaq. <laughs> he 
He hugged Shad Gaspard, and Shad supposedly picked his pocket. He was a real good sport about it. Shad stunned Murdoch. JTG snapped Murdoch's net on the top rope. Shad scored the pin. Cade now wrestles in white jeans. Well, I don't know. Well, there you go. Lance Cade in his white jeans. Maybe somebody left the cut of his jib. I don't know. Uh, Rob Conway came out and vowed to beat Jeff Hardy or he would quit Monday Night Raw. So Jeff pinned him in with a sunset flip by the corner in 19 seconds. Then comes Vince McMahon. Let's go to the clip. This Sunday. Now, wait a minute. What about Rob Powell? Jeff Hardy. Also, this is clean shave in the longest one. New Year's resolution. No chance. Or not quite. Five o'clock shadow go to it looks like Giants fight numbers. And Vince is wearing his 9-11 outfit. He's in Miami. Oh, yeah, it's his casual You know, King, I really don't know. Mr. Invincible McMahon. It's Miami Vince. He's got a great tan. He's got a nice shirt. And he's rich. <laughs> chairman. What more could you ask Well, for? everybody knows it's that time of the year again. A time when most of you start making your New Year's resolutions. Let's face it. By the end of this year, some well, 99. It really is amazing to, I mean, you look at 2007 Vince here. He looks like a different human, different human being. Well, well, he looks like 1997 Vince. You know, it's, it's something that, that he aged, he did not age basically at all for a good 10 years. Well, and you then, can deduce why. Yeah, and then, and then you look at him in subsequent years. He was probably yeah. doing some things that slowed down the aging process, and then someone probably told him to not do those things anymore. And boy... Again, he is—he's a different person. I'm telling you, it was like Waylon Flowers should have his hand up his ass. Well, that, I mean, that's the plastic surgery, though. That's not the aging. It, well, that's yeah, but still, he—he he did that to try to the ostensible plastic surgery, yes, and yeah, try to try to try to halt that aging process a well, different I think, way. I think the reason, though, that it that the work he got looks. The way it does, though, I don't think he just got a facelift or anything. It looks like he got, like, cheek implants and stuff. Yes. That's it. It looks like a damn puppet. All right. Back to Vince. This is the land of... Excuse me. This is the world we live in. Sorry. 1.9% of you would have broken your very own New Year's resolutions. Got the Pauly Walnut uh, coloring. Took Rob Conway... Somewhere around a minute to break your New Year's resolution. Now, I've got a couple of resolutions myself. Everybody knows I don't break mine. I'll share a couple of them with you. I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop being so damn nice. Oh, my. I'm also going to stop allowing people to take advantage of me. Such as my good friend and fellow billionaire Donald Trump. Now, Donald does have his problems as of late. Actually, he has his hands full with Yokozuna. 
<laughs> the, the, the way he said exactly. it. Exactly. Yokozuna, that's the voluptuous Rosie O'Donnell. <laughs> Nonetheless, <laughs> Donald Trump is credited many times for a certain phrase that he uses on his hit show, The Apprentice. Everybody knows that Donald did not originate that phrase. That phrase originated right here on Monday Night Raw. So Rob Conway, I'm not going to allow you to quit Monday Night Raw. Rob Conway, you're fired. Oh my. Man's gonna stop being so damn nice. Well, it was not stone, you Rob. Nobody. This one is cooler than the hall. Oh, man. Well, Conway. The un- unemployment line is, is to your right. Four months later, Rob Conway would be wished well in his future endeavors. Well, at this point in time, Dave notes it's not 100%, but the plan was for Conway to move back to SmackDown and reform his law resistance tag team with Savon Grenier. That did not happen. So there was the plan. It didn't happen. No. What Kenny Dykes? <laughs> <laughs> well, Kenny Dykes' new nickname is the future of Raw. Well, He's back in WWE at least in 2021. He's a coach in NXT. So there you go. Yeah, his future was at the producer. So now he's he's coaching the futures of of Raw. He's also only 35. <laughs> yeah, insane. He was so young. Yeah. So yeah, he's 35 now. This is 15 years ago. So he was 20 on the main roster. Yes, and has already been through his first gimmick and run in a pushed group yes dx came out someone came up with a brilliant marketing idea which are glow sticks together that look like an x they dim the lights with all the glow sticks it's still new and only appeared they had them in the section in front of the cameras one would think they were all giving the fans because that's the only place that had them still in a few weeks everyone's going to buy them make a great lift when those guys come out it was a great idea he's right yeah they have one tremendous idea um Michaels did a big promo where they sort of acknowledged TNA. He talked about guys who are supposed to be big stars who are now not even here and curtain jerking somewhere else. That was in reference to the James Gang deal. He made a remark about guys who called themselves the best in-ring performer in this generation who aren't even here anymore. That was designed to be ambiguous and made people think, who is he talking about? What are him saying in names? It was meant for Bret Hart and Kurt Angle. Michaels apparently feels that he, or perhaps he and Ric Flair, are the best in-ring performers of modern times and resents others who claim they are. Well, now, how about that? <laughs> well, Sean would mellow out more in the next decade or so. Um, Yeah, there was some heat there at this point in time between uh, Billy and uh, Road Dog and DX. You mean the uh, European Mafia? Yes. The James Gang. Which, of course, then led to... Uh, Oh, God, should I have dug up to see if our friend Tom K was doing the uh, impact work rate reports at this time? 
I'm not worried that. about that. No, <laughs> I was going to no, say, no. though, he came up with this whole thing based on how uh, the insults were so toothless and how instead of um, what was it? Instead of the Voodoo Kin Mafia VKM, they should have been Stephanie's filthy posse. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, so it's funny that Sean's the one that's uh, getting all these lines in. When Triple H is standing right there. Triple H cut it from on Edge Norton. The Best News Revolution is now tag title match, which makes it the first time in a long time the tag team titles was wrestled among main eventers. They established that Edge and Orton were in Miami, and Triple H said they took the night off because they had a yeast infection. Good promo. <laughs> a yeast infection. And you know wow. what? Though? For a while, they did a fantastic job elevating the tag titles. Oh, yeah. Well, Edge and Orton, I mean, have them as the tag champions. Yeah, absolutely. But I forget the whole chronology, but, you know, them, DX, uh, you know, uh, Jericho, Show Miz, you know, yeah. and plus they had the title unification in there. Like, they did an excellent job for a while of making those tag titles a huge deal. I mean, yeah. you can you can make an argument that the tag titles in this period are one of the, is maybe the among the very best book titles in modern WWE. Yeah. All right. Melina pinned Maria in 211. Victoria came to the ringside. Those other WWE women should all pray to look as good as she does in almost 36. Victoria complained about how every year at WrestleMania time she comes in and does all the PR, but gets she out of a spot in the show for undeserving women. Melina was supposed to win with a bridge and cradle, but Maria's shoulders rolled, so Melina did a folding press to pin. Another woman who hasn't been as into the wrestling and wouldn't have come up with a similar move about duplicating the botch move on the spot. Victoria said that she was one more woman to add to her list, and they teased it was Melina, but instead she attacked Lee and Garcia. She had Garcia for the widow's peak with Mickey James made the save. Ah, yes. The late 2000s WWE women's booking. That was an interesting time. Yeah, and this period is weird because they're sort like, they're mainly trying to use the women with in-ring competence, but still not doing much with them. And, you know, like, Maria... Maria, obviously, is not one of them, especially at this time, but Maria also was a fan and always wanted to be good, at least. But still, like, it's... It's just... It's weird. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, no, most of the women... No, but most of the women in the mix have prior wrestling training, but they're still not doing anything with them. No. You know, and then, All right. you know, and like the women who end up with long term spots in the ring, even if they do not have prior wrestling training, are usually the ones who have athletic backgrounds, you know, like, uh, you know, like Michelle McCool, for example, like she at least was, you know, a really good athlete. So, like, I do you get what I'm saying. It's like they sort of understand they had to make a change, but they didn't really want to go through with it. Yeah. All right, so next we get Chris Masters and Kenny Dykstra beating Ric Flair and Carlito in 10:54 when Dykstra pinned Flair using the ropes. Jim Ross asked if there was a 20-year-old who could, who if there ever was a 20-year-old who pinned Ric Flair. Was that a double entendre? <laughs> I mean, maybe. Uh, Tori Wilson's now managing Carlito, and she did a good job of cheerleading the crowd. 
Masters and Dykstra would hold Carlito a chin loss. She get the crowd to cheer for Carlito's comeback. Masters got the master lock of Carlito, but Flair hit Masters with a chop block to break it. By the way, they're still going to storyline, and nobody's ever broken a master lock. A line is a coachman ruled Jose Aviga in Iraq doesn't count. He's one of the servicemen. Flair challenged Dykstra to come back out. Instead, Edge Norton showed up at Orton, gave Flair the RKO, and left him laying. They threw timekeeper Mark Yeaton out of his chair and grabbed it from him. They put Flair's head on one chair, used another for the chair spot. Had the camera shoot elsewhere, so you heard a noise and didn't see it. Flair didn't bleed. The explanation, since they teased hit Flair forever, was DX had left the building. Well, DX thought Edge Norton weren't there. Yeah. They announced that. So, um, yeah, I mean, that was a big spot and you know, getting that feud hotter, the DX Raid RKO feud, was the attack of Ric Flair. Yeah. So that achieved its purpose, but you know, and I remember Flair and Carlito, uh, their little deal here, but I don't remember Chris Masters and Dyche teaming up together. I don't remember Tori Wilson managing Carlito together. <laughs> Good lord. See, I remember Tori Wilson managing Carlito, but I or at least being affiliated with Carlito, because I remember she's with him when Flair cuts that promo on him that set everything up. It's just this stuff doesn't resonate in my mind. You know, we did that show last week of nineteen eighty six, thirty five years ago, and that stuff that stuff resonates a whole lot more than stuff from two thousand and seven. Yep. Dang me. Alright. Just like this. I would have never known this was the main event of the show until I read it earlier and now talking about it now. Umaga, Armando Estrada, Johnny Nitro, and Coachman defeated Cena by DQ in two fifteen. Cena hit Umaga a few times with a chair. After the match, Cena got the FUO Nitro. Coachman, and then we get the end of the show. Let's go to the clip. Who the hell does Cena think he is? Oh, look at Coachman! Down to the Coachman gets an issue! Oh, my God! John Cena! Gonna cut the corner line! John Cena's gonna take it! You can't do this! Cena doesn't forget! Cena doesn't forget! Oh, my God, it is!
retaliation. Two steel chairs on King. That's right. What is it going to take for John Cena to be able to defeat Umaga if he can, JR? Yeah, that's the question. Can John Cena beat Umaga this Sunday for the WWE title? That's the question. Can Cena do it? What a way to start off the new year. Oh, my God. Good night, everybody. Hey, props to Fairline for taking the bump. Well, I noticed something interesting too. Like, I I guess by virtue of being a dancer and how that translates, his feeding into that and even his bumping were noticeably better than Coachman's. Oh yeah. You know, and Coachman, you know, Coachman was a legit athlete, you know, if I remember right, fairly good college basketball player. But he's been the company for Six years. Well, that was the other thing, too. And he's been... Longer, seven, like seven or eight? Well, he's had a physical role as a heel for at least, like, four years now. So, it's not as bad as the last one we watched from, I think, 03, where he takes a spell to the floor and has no idea how to protect himself and clearly bangs his head. But he's still, like... When he talks about how many concussions he got in WWE, you believe it, because he just... He clearly does not have a good handle on how to protect himself when he's taking bumps. No. Not at all. But Which is a shame. Hey. But you know, I props to Kate Pitt. Yeah, he he was a gamer for this. I gotta think he was a fan too. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Well, Dave said Federline got eternal praise for his working attitude. After the show, the feeling was he not only was good on camera, which he'd been for the start, but very enthusiastic and open to doing everything suggested for him. He also got over a talent because unlike most of the other major stars WSUs, he ate in catering with the rest of the wrestlers and talked and asked people for their help at his angle. It was fan his attitude was better in that regard than a lot of the wrestlers. <laughs> well. Frost the K-Fed. Yeah. Good for him. And we go to uh, Figure Four Weekly. The Fairline Cena match uh, got some press, including on MTV.com. The MTV story was great because I only mentioned Fairline had pinned WWE champion Cena, not missing any sort of outside interference. AP story wrote, maybe he isn't a hit as a rapper, but Britney Spears' estranged husband, Kevin Fairline, is a winner in the ring. He was victorious in his pro wrestling debut Monday night. He beat WWE champ John Cena Monday Night Raw after Cena was supposedly knocked out by another wrestler. That also featured the best line ever. Fairline didn't get the title because the bout was a non-title exhibition fight. Exhibition fight? Till the bang, till the bang. <laughs> well, it was an exhibition. Not a competition. Please, no wagering. <laughs> well, no, what would Vince say uh, on the old shows? Um, we're talking about it. You said... Uh, the following matches are all exhibitions, blah, 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 blah. You know, in the early 80s, the old Hamburg Allentown tapings. It, every show, he would, they're exhibition in nature. The following program contains wrestling matches of an exhibition in nature, something like that? Something. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they did that back, they did that for in years and years before, you know, they actually exposed the business. Well, at least they didn't have to do the California thing that they did late in the run of the territories there uh, that the commission or whoever was forced on them of. The winners of the matches are selected by the promoter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, that that's not good. 
No, but apparently it didn't lead to an immediate drop in business or anything. I mean, do you want me to pull up a a championship wrestling from 78 just to see if what what the intro is? Okay. Alright, we've only got sketchy notes on Raw, even with all the hype uh, for for more than one month in the mainstream. This is ratings notes. In the mainstream, directed to Cena Fairline's match, it showed you a 3.83 rating. 3.83 first hour, 3.83 second hour. At 5.06 million viewers. Only a slight increase over normal. The Cena Fairline match did score a 4.1 open a quarter, which is a much higher open than usual. The overrun was Cena. Umaga and that whole deal ended with Cena giving that few to Fairline. Only did a 4.3, which is much lower than usual. From a rating standpoint, they ended big time and not ending with Cena Fairline. They aired, I guess. Uh, following that same pattern, the first hour was well below average for the first hour, but the second hour was well below average. You could tell WWE was really insecure about this rating not growing, as on the website, they claimed the show had 2.5 million new viewers and 9 million total viewers were watching. Cumulative. Oh, yes. Yes. So, it's also New Year's night. <laughs> and, I mean, let's be honest. New Year's night, at this point in time, is college football. Um, let me see who's playing that night in college football. I don't remember off the top of my head. Again, I can, I can, I can remember 1987. Alright, so we oh yeah, we got all the New Year's well there's no games at night, so okay. They were all in the day. Well yeah, they were. Alright, so uh Rose Bowl was USC Michigan. Oh shit. <laughs> Fiesta Bowl was that night. That was the Boise State Oklahoma game, one of the most famous bowl games of the uh recent era. They weren't that, they they weren't you I mean this is we're not having the playoff games, we're still having the old bowls. Still, that I mean that that is a famous bowl game with a famous ending. So, yeah, that 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 probably had an effect. That probably had an effect. Um, I can't find the ratings off the top of my head here. Uh, yeah, I'm looking. Food okay. critic had mixed up. I'm looking at eight point four. Eight eight point four. Eight point four rating. Eight point four rating for the Fiesta Bowl that night. Okay. Let's see how many viewers. Right, I'm, hold on, I'm looking now. I um from midnight to twelve fifty one in the morning. Listen to this. They did an eight point four. <laughs> an eight point four. From midnight to twelve fifty one in the morning. Um it did an eight point three rating overall down from the year before. Uh seven million people watched after the game when Ian Johnson, the guy who scored the win and touched that proposed to his cheerleader girlfriend. Yeah, that, that was another memorable moment. Okay, Chris, um, I'm, I'm digging through what's on ratings, Ryan. Raw actually grew slightly into hour two, even with Federline opening the show. First hour did 5.022 million viewers. Uh, hour two did 5.1 even. They have it as. And... Uh, yeah. Okay, so it was what was it? Because I'm looking not looking at the window. So it was three point eight three for each hour was the two plus rating. Any guess on what the eighteen to forty nine ratings were? Uh, no idea. Okay, so they actually only have by, they have by half hour on this. Um, 
of the ones that are available, raw leads with the of the cable at least, with two point one from ten to ten thirty and two point from ten thirty to eleven. So more than four times the current eighteen to forty nine rating is today. Good. I mean, for yeah, comparison, I'm not saying it necessarily means anything with how t- much TV has changed in 15 years, but yeah, yeah, I mean, that's good. Although, really good. I mean, you look at, I'm looking at their broadcast chart, you know, there are a lot of, you know, notable network shows, though, that are doing in the same range as far as their 18 to 49. So, you know, not, not the biggest hits, but there are things like, you know, that, were considered successful shows like one versus one hundred does a two point six in eighteen to forty nine. So Yeah. Relative I mean, especially I would think for cable at this time, Raw doing very strongly in eighteen forty nine I mean, like they are now. Where relative to the rest of T V they do very strong eighteen to forty nine numbers on cable. Yeah. Alright, so let's talk about BCW Smackdown taping the January twenty second in Lakeland, Florida. Reader Mike Rand did one of those listening to the audience comments while standing in line. Know that all these comments were from fans above the age twenty five. This show be on Spike TV, right? <laughs> I don't know. Well, I don't know. This show will be airing on Spike TV tonight. Is it TNA another brand or WWE? ECW needs tag team titles. What channel CW? <laughs> I mean, we're we're starting in that era where people are going to the shows and they're not wrestling fans. They're fans of WWE and they just want they're coming for the entertainment, you know. That said, they're what channel the- is the CW when you're going to a SmackDown taping when SmackDown is on the CW? That's different. Well, it's not like they're gonna watch the show. Well, you would think they had been. Again, maybe it's the kids. You know, the kids want to go to see the show, and they're just taking their kids to go see the show. I feel like you, know? you would say if it was parents, though. Over 25? No, but I'm saying if he would say that they, if they had kids with them. I don't, it, so, I don't know. Now, with ECW needs to team titles, they do eventually get the SmackDown tag titles. So, there's that. Alright, now that Heyman's completely out of the picture, ECW has a chance to find out whether the mess was Heyman's fault or others. Given the show was almost the same as it always has been, they said better videos and the rest was even worse. I guess we have our answer. Kind of sounds like NXT 2.0, doesn't it? It opened with a nice VIP package built up the RVD Bobby Lashley title match. Tess came out for a promo, which is not his strong suit. Dave's actually trying to figure out what that strong suit is. Okay, Dave gets this getting hot women. The gist of his promo was a nonchalant, horrible delivery that he won a three way two weeks ago, so fans should have voted for him. Of course, the hell's no way. So all the voting was done before the match ended. Testing pin Sabu in 322 with a high kick followed by a TKO. His diamond cutter type move. Not the other meaning, which would mean a rest stoppage. Crowd was dead. Sabu did his stuff. Most of it looked bad. They did a video of Sandman, which is better than having him wrestle in front of this crowd. Elijah Burke and Sylvester Turkey, the knockout tap-out connection, beat the FBI in 339 when Turkey used a standing armbar on Tony Mamaluke. Not much there. They, to, they announced that CM Punk and Harker Hollywood will, will take place next week. Matt Stryker was backstage with a blackboard and like a teacher and saying how Bob Hollywood was going to beat Punk. Holly did a promo saying that Punk could never make him tap. 
Tommy Dreamer did a tape during music. He'll tape beans from Great Khali, but he'll never give up. Okay, if I remember right, this is the famous Punk Holly match with the... Or was that Holly and someone else? Punk Holly is the one with the suplex through the table that everyone remembers that cuts up Holly's back, right? Sounds right. I don't know. I remember that happening. I can't remember who was against. I, well, I can't think of who anyway, else Kevin had Thor- a memorable match with on ECW TV. Uh, well, uh, Kevin Thorne beat Balls Mahoney in 213. At a time this happened, Thorne caught Mahoney with an elbow in the mouth and may have broke his jaw. Mahoney went down and stayed down to be pinned. It looks sick on the replay. That wasn't the first time Thorne's done something like that. And Hall Valley did something similar to Bobby Lashley and knocked him out. That's Eesh. not good. No, it's not. Well, there's a reason he's not our favorite wrestling thorn from Ohio. <laughs> anyway, Brad Armstrong was back helping announce with Taz. Taz was making complete fun of him, although this time Brad was ready and tried to come back on him. Came across bad again, although when you consider they had Rebecca DiPietro doing interviews, how bad could anything be? Yeah, fuck Taz. <laughs> You know, that was shitty the way he submarined him or sandbagged him, I guess would be the right word to put it. But yeah, fuck Taz. Yeah, that's, that's bullshit. For those who don't know, um, Brad Armstrong had, along with Two Cold Scorpio and Rodney Mack, been signed when they launched the ECW brand with the idea being they would be the veteran hands to help the people who were, they were bringing to ECW as the finer final layer of developmental. Then the shows didn't draw at all. And they cut the ECW house show tour and kind of kept them around for a little bit, you know, trying to find things for them to do like this. And then, uh, then they were all gone. Although Scorpio, I believe didn't actually have any ECW house show matches, but was signed and then Kate, for some reason, comes back later in 06 and does a European tour, and then he's gone. Just very strange in general. Taz interviewed Kozlov, no doubt to make him look tall. <laughs> he, was doing, <laughs> he was doing his smile, uh, smiling Laca Grapes gimmick, but when asked who would win between Lash and RBD, he said he could beat both of them. I thought about he loved WWE. Fans booed him. See, maybe I should have dug up the figure four uh, recap for this one. So it could be pointed out in the actual recap that Kozlov does not love WWE. Kozlov loves Double Double E. Double Double E, yes. Yes, I love Double Double E, which it became, I believe, a Brian and Vinny thing for several years thereafter. Well, we got Double Double C in Puerto Rico. So there you go. Yeah. After all the hype, the main event with last year in RVD was so bad. Crowd didn't care. It was bad enough last year wasn't over. But really, now that was RVD. Lashley pressed slammed him overhead and dropped him over the top row to the floor. A.T.'s double count once. Van Dam did his rider kick. Lashley was way too far away. Van Dam missed bad. Lashley took the bump anyway. Van Dam missed rolling thunder. Match finished saw Lashley standing on the announce table. Van Dam jumped over, jumped off the middle rope. The crossbody clothesline onto Lashley. And they both crashed to the floor. Van Dam's flying in the move was cool in the replay. But they clearly showed Lashley being hit, falling on the table, and landing on his feet, and then going down, making it clear he wasn't hurt. Both were on the floor, selling an injury with a big panic, holding neck sign, and in no contest in 817. Of course, the prior match also ended with minor panic in the X sign. Fans didn't buy it at all with loud bullshit chants, which is the most reaction anything on the show got. 
Well, this sounds like a tremendous episode of ECW, right? <laughs> Man. Again, you you see why I'm, I'm not nostalgic for this hair? <laughs> I didn't say I was nostalgic for it. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not, I'm not I didn't say you were. I'm just saying, yeah. oof. It's just, I don't know. Post came in ECW on Sci-Fi would get better over time, though. They had their moments, yeah. It was, a, it was a fun watch at times. Once they actually got a handle on what they wanted it to be, it became a fun show. You know, the the Christian title reign, of course. Um, you know, the Miz and Morrison 15 minutes of fame matches. The Goldust stuff, Goldust feud with Sheamus. Like they, once they really figured out what they were doing and just didn't have it taught, didn't... Didn't even really have the superficial ties to actual ECW anymore. It yeah, it's just, the thing. When they, when they were doing that, it got better. Yeah. Once they just made it a show that happened to be called ECW, pretty much, was when it got good. Um, You know, when Heyman's hands got off of it, that's when it got better. But but he was he was trying to serve two masters. Of course he was. That's the it, problem. Of course, is a lesson he learned from, as we saw a couple of years ago, where in his last running creative that we saw, he was trying to do what he could, but while very clearly coloring within Vince's lines. Yeah. Um, if you wonder, and we do not have SmackDown for a week because that SmackDown that aired was the year in review show. Yes. And I, this, the, the SmackDown was taped on this night, but it didn't air during our week. And that's so, how we usually and there's nothing, it. Yeah. Yeah, nothing of note on there other than on the ECW. So there you go. All right. Paul Hammond's remaining on a contract on the, on the payroll. His usual contracts, his talent and creative book can be canceled by either side. Right now, he's at home working on non wrestling related screenplays. Dave's guessing why he wasn't outright fired was both to keep him from going to TNA and also this being WWE and giving enough time, fences may still be mended. I don't think he would ever went to TNA. Well, do you remember what the whole story with his talks with them was? Vaguely. He proposed a deal that some have interpreted as his way of saying no, but more realistically was probably, this is my way of saying no, but if you actually were willing to do this, I would do it. The That's idea it was, yeah. he, he wanted to be the Dana White. He wanted equity and full control and, you know, later, he I mean, he confirmed this, at least from his side. It's Paul. But still, it seems like it's what happened. Um, You know, maybe you could if you actually made it successful, you could do an IPO, whatever, blah, blah, blah. I'll be invested in this, et cetera, et cetera. And they just didn't, wouldn't go for that. And I, th I think if they gave it to him, gave him that, they would have he would have done it. But only then. But I don't think oh, yeah, I, I you get what I'm saying. It's not a hundred percent no, but it's a will they do this? Probably not. I can see him doing it, yeah, because like it's that thing, you know. It's that you ask somebody, you know, you're trying to buy something from somebody, and then you ask, "What's your crazy price?" You know, and they'll see if you they'll quote you at this crazy price, see if you'll fall for it or get close to it. Yes. So. Yeah. Yes. And um, his plan for it was that they would sign Brian Danielson and he would tap everyone out quickly and be the new top star. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't going to happen. All right, um, David Lagana was pushing for Chris Masters to go to ECW and get a major heel push. 
Right now, it's 50-50 as Brian Goers wants to keep matches on Raw. They view him on Raw as someone they can have people beat for enhancement without devaluing him to being viewed as a job or in a channel changer. Oh, Chris Masters. Also, we should note, by the way, that at this point, the newsletters still... uh, Some of the newsletters sometimes say Gerwitz. And speaking of, figure four said Masters is the current Geek of the Week on Raw. I mean, the top guys go to Triple H and Edge, constantly bearing in the Brian Gwertz and the McMahons. The stuff you see occasionally on TV, such as Triple H making fun of him for losing 50 pounds, same stuff goes on in the back as well. I just believe that he has potential, and the East River locker room be a better fit as he's a young guy, 24, and it's a young guy locker room. And there aren't big stars there to rib him. And he does go to ECW, <laughs> doesn't he? Yeah, and that's when he really started to get good. It's so this whole thing is just so fucking unnecessary. It's a good thing wrestling has changed. Well, here's the thing: it's even worse than people remember. Okay, everyone always interpreted it as a mix of we have the wellness program. He must have tried to get off steroids. You know, and I forget if people knew he at the time about him going. I think they did that he went to rehab, but maybe they figured he was told to get off steroids in rehab because they knew that was a thing that they tell people in rehab, even if it's not your problem drug, cause I, which, you know, for him, I believe was painkillers. No, I, I, I forget if he actually got off the gas or not, but the reason he lost all the weight mainly was that he started distance running to try to get his endorphins back working, right, once he was off the painkillers. Yeah. He wasn't, he wasn't training to be all muscly because he knew, it, at the time at least, and maybe in general, it was much healthier for him and his recovery to, you know, to do all the road work instead. So this, like, it's more fucked up than it even seemed... On paper, you know, when Triple H cut that promo on him. But still, this is this this bullshit that was going on back then and with some of these veterans. I mean, good Mm -hmm. Lord. Good Lord. Also, interesting that here we have Edge specifically blamed as someone constantly burying uh, masters to people in power. Chris, uh, when two wrestlers, active wrestlers, joined the creative team uh, late last year, well, late 20, uh, 20, early 21, which was the one that was said to only be looking out for himself? Edge. <laughs> and it's funny because Edge was kind of one of those guys that was, in, in, when he was younger, kind of getting that treatment as well. Yeah, and it doesn't feel like it was ever like his rep. No, he was uh, they, 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 some of the older guys were talking about him. But it's interesting how we're seeing this here 15 years ago and then 14 years later. Uh, hmm. Yeah, exactly, isn't it? It's very interesting to see that there. You know, Triple H, you're not hmm. surprised at all. No. Yes. And Chris Masters is one of those guys, and I think especially with hindsight. I think at the time we thought, oh, they're giving up on him because he didn't pan out quick enough. But they should have realized that because he was young and green. And then he got so good, but he was just stuck on seashows and they wouldn't bring him back even after he had long, you know, been off the main shows and, you know, could have been refreshed with a push. He had 
he had that stench on mm-hmm. him, you know and that and kept happening that kept happening to guys they brought up too early exactly it was a major problem in in the 2000s and, major problem so many so many careers were fucked because of that i mean early 2010s even because people forget because he didn't stick around as long after once mason ryan wasn't doing anything he got pretty good notice how all this shit stopped when triple h took over developmental that's interesting, isn't it? I guess that's one <laughs> thing you can praise him for un- without any qualification. Yeah, because that was his pe- it, it, I mean, he was in. He was. They. They were his. His. Well, you know what? So you know. here's the thing we need to remember. Even though that, now that changed the last few years. Remember though, for the first several years of him in developmental, I mean, him running developmental, he was also the head of talent relations. Yeah. We never had a unified talent relations and developmental before, as insane as that sounds. You yeah. had one person, you had one, the, the department oversaw it, but it wasn't it wasn't in lockstep the way it was under Triple H. No. And now look where we're at now. Yeah. <laughs> one thing I will say though, so, I mean, and we've seen this from certain people, there are some pe- there are some people that aren't gonna get better in developmental, but will get better on the road being thrown into sink or swim, you know? Yeah. The thing is, though, with COVID, we don't have that. Well, no, but but in the context of this time and pre-COVID, you know, like, even though obviously things ended up weird and they squandered him and eventually let him go, I don't think Braun Strowman would have improved the way he did if he was in developmental for a few years. You know what I mean? Yeah, probably. I I think it was for the best that he just got thrown on the road, thrown on the road, and it worked. You know, like yeah, and you know, credit to him for that too, because like it's not an exaggeration to say when they called him up, he was probably the single worst wrestler in the on the entire roster, main roster, and developmental. Yes. All right. Uh, Torch says Brad Armstrong has been teamed with Taz on ECW TV. Taz's ability to take over should Taz not come to terms for renewal. His deal expires in March. So he wants to make sure that he's coming to terms on a run. I, I understand his position a little more with this part. Yeah, but still. He still, shouldn't, he still shouldn't sabotage the broadcast. No. It's Brad Armstrong, for God's sake. Well, that too. All right, December 29th, SmackDown, the best of 2006, at 2.5 of Fast National. See, Fast National's back then, folks. And a preliminary estimate of 3.82 million viewers. Well, well, well just to be that clear, though, the distinction. Was we all the the net the broadcast ones have always been public, but it, the cable ones were not. But yes, they exist. They held up better than expected. Part of the reason was most of the network program was in reruns, which should have held SmackDown. SmackDown finished in last place. SmackDown finished behind Fox's airing of the Rundown. The 2003 movie starred The Rock, which ended with a 3.1 rating and a 4.84 million viewers. The final rating of SmackDown's Best of Show with a 2.37 and 3.71 million viewers, which is the last place for tonight. It still held up better than most no regular versions of WWE programming does. That's 2.17 predominantly English-speaking households and a 4.1 predominantly Spanish-speaking households. It's <clears throat> it's because where they were at. I mean, what network they were on. I mean, that, that was a major problem for them for all those years. Mm-hmm. So, all right. 
Back to the torch. Rey Mysterio's contract's up in May or June of 2008, but when he returns from knee surgery mid-2007, the manager will begin to press him for a long-term renewal. If he does a sign, he can get jobbed out for a full year for TNA, which covets him, would get access to him. Well, he doesn't go to TNA. That's for damn sure. So there's that. And he stays for another decade or so and then takes his little sojourn for a couple of years. Actually, was it a full, two or was it a full three years outside of WWE? And then he comes back. It was a while. Yeah, and it was fun. I mean, I, I get that he wanted Dom to go into WWE, which, with hindsight, I don't know if that was the right idea, but that run he had outside of WWE was so interesting and and fun and also all good because he had already gotten the stem cell stuff done that I wanted to see, especially how much wrestling was changing when he re-signed. Because remember, he was on All In. Yeah. I don't think people remember that now. He was in that final match on the show. Yep. You know, where it was him, Phoenix, and who was the third partner? I don't remember. Oh, Bandita, I think, versus uh, the Bucks and Ibushi. You know, and they were specifically put in the last match, knowing that if they ended up short on time, which they did, (laughs) they they were people who could deliver and do a faster match and it would still work in that spot. So, yeah. like, I, I I, would have liked to have seen that Rey Mysterio do more elsewhere, especially once things were really clearly changing. Yeah, but he had it's other reasons he, had, he needed to take care of, so. Just like Kevin Owens. Mm. Alright, here's here's an update on the Claudio Castanoli situation from sources within WWE. Castanoli was in U.S. on a tourist visa as opposed to a working visa. That bullshit! So signed him before... <laughs> You'll get into that when I get done. W signed in before checking this out. My Bucci, aka Simon Dean Nova, is the one who got the blame for not having checked it out for signing him up. When John Laurinaitis found out, he basically called off the agreed upon developmental deal because to give him a working visa would cost him several thousand dollars, and Laurinaitis didn't think Castanoli was worth that added investment. Internally, there was a lot of heat on Bucci and Castanoli because they felt Castanoli should have let them know he didn't have working in visa before signing his contract. Having written all that, Gabe Sapolsky, who has used Castanoli for a long period of time, said Castanoli has a green card, so he can't see how any of this would be a problem. Fix? Okay. Um, As far as the underlying facts here, yes, Claudio had a green card already. Like, he's done interviews about this. We know, like, we know now. Like, the reason he moved to the U.S. was he legit got a green card in the green card lottery. That's why he came here in the first place. Um, and, you know, the, it was just after our week ended that he did the MySpace post about this, angry, ang- and understandably so, at the newsletters and websites that reported that he, you know, was in the U.S. working illegally on a tourist visa. Which, you know, thankfully it would cause him issues because he had a green card. But, you know, was understandably upset. And... I forget exactly how soon after this it is. It's not long. He's at an indie show with Brian Alvarez, and he makes a point of going up to Brian and showing him his permanent residency card. So, as far as that, we know the truth. We know Claudio had a green card, and that's why he came here in the first place, and this shouldn't have been an issue. However, 
We still have no idea why any of this happened. What do you make of it? Because, like, remember, like, when he, he the interviews about it, re, you know, this year or whenever it was, he said that they were already paying him. He was arranging, you know, to move to Atlanta to go to Deep South and stuff. So, what do you make of this? Because clearly they want this story out, and just because I'm sure someone's going to mention it once the show comes out. As far as anyone can tell, the whole thing of, oh, they signed him and then he failed a cocaine test, that was just a rumor someone online made up, as far as anyone can tell. That's bullshit. Plus... They're already doing pre-signing medicals to some degree at this point. I would think that would be before they choose to sign someone. So what do you make of this? I think that there was some sort of buyer's remorse. By who and why and how? I I don't know. And to the point of leaking this bullshit story to make him look bad. Well, when they have when they have a buyer's remorse situation, that that's what they'll do. But then they eventually sign him a few years later. Actually, wait a second. So what year does he sign? I'm pulling Uh, up his wiki. It's been there a while. Oh, it's been a long time. It's been at least a decade now, I think. Uh, WWE. Yeah, FCW. September 2011. There you go. So it's... It's over 40. It's almost five years. Yeah. Four and a half years, yeah. Again, buyer's remorse. And was Triple H in charge of at least talent relations by then? Oh, no. In 2011? What was his title then? Oh, dude, he wasn't in charge of talent relations here. That's John Laurinaitis. That's right, because Laurinaitis was, yeah, was about to do the punk thing. And he was still in talent relations at the time. So I'm trying to remember when Triple H becomes executive vice president talent and live events or whatever his original executive title was. That's, that's like 2010. Or maybe 2009. It's, it's right around that era. So he is... He's... he's Laurinaitis is superior, but he has not taken hands-on control of talent relations and developmental yet. No, I mean, it's... Something happened, and they, they, here's the reason they can get rid of him. And they're mine. And I'm not, I'm not making suggestions of anything, but do you think... Do you think Claudio did something... Or do you think someone just got some someone screwed something up, or someone got buyer's remorse for some random nonsense reason? Yeah, I mean, somebody probably somebody probably didn't see him, <laughs> and then they saw him and didn't like his look or something like that. You know, it's just I don't know. Uh, okay, twenty ten, he was executive senior advisor. Triple H was. Uh, does it say when the okay? Tw- 2011 is his executive vice president of talent and live events. 2013 was talent live events creative. Yeah, so. So. Who knows? He's an exec. So, yeah, he's an executive when Claudio signed, but he's not in charge of developmental yet. Okay. So it's not like it's his thing either that he comes in. It's so strange because also. Well, okay. So, you know, a little before our week was ROH Final Battle, where. I'd actually, I'd forgotten actually that this was this show until just now. You know, it's most remembered for being Danielson losing the title to Homicide. It's also, if I remember right, the show where people were expecting it to be Claudio's farewell, and then he does a promo after saying he's he's going to decide to stick around in ROH for a while. Yeah. Which I just remember sitting there 
and everyone's just looking around like, what? Like, there were cheers, but everyone was very confused as to what was happening. Because at, 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 until, until then, everyone thought he was still going. But I don't think he's lying that he has no idea what happened. I just don't. I don't either. I think it's strange that no one has told him <laughs> if whoever's still there, or at least was still there when he got there. But this may just be forever resigned to being one of those wrestling mysteries. Just what happened? Was someone supposed to, like, honestly, is the maybe the most likely scenario that, like, literally someone confused him with someone else that they were intending to sign? He's pretty, yeah, pretty unique look at the time. And he's pretty established, I know, but... Because this never happens again. Anything like this. And nothing like it happened before. So, it's just bizarre. Just very, very, very weird situation. And if I remember right, one of the interviews was the one in, in one of the WWE documentaries. So even they're like, just like going out there being like, yeah, yeah, he, he was already being paid. And then he got cut and no one could tell him why. And they didn't mention the spreading lies about him part, but of course they wouldn't, which I get that he's not under any risk with the green card. But you know what? That is still a shitty thing to do to someone who's here and not a citizen. It ain't good by any means, no. I mean, this is not this is not something that would be endangering his status. Well, how did they not know he was not a he was a citizen? That's what gets me. Well, he wasn't a citizen. He's a permanent president, but well, whatever. They must have known. That's what I'm saying. It's also not something that would happen that late in the process, like. Well, because also they, they, you think about this, especially through modern lens, they know that wrestlers almost never get their own visa, work visas anyway. Like, mm -hmm. the reason Tay Conti's story is so, like, shocking is that I can't think of anyone I've ever heard of before who got their own work visa in wrestling. Especially after they were, while they were still working for the company that got them their initial visa. You know, yeah, for people who didn't know that. The reason she went to AEW, like, so quickly and was able to without any hiccups was that she had secured her own new visa. Like, WWE, had, I don't remember if they had forgotten or whatever. But, strange, and I, I gotta think, knowing his demeanor, that Nova's not telling anyone what happened. But, also, good for oh, Gabe no, going out there and being like, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, seriously, like... And to say it on the record, too, like, I have no idea why this would be a problem. He has a yeah. great card. And also good idea for making it clear ah. that these were all internal sources, too. But anyway, yes, let's move on. They did a top, pick it forward, they did a top 10 moments of 2006 deal on W.com. And Kurt Angle's release from the company was listed as number four. It's funny because when he first got released and ultimately signed with TNA at the time, Brian thought that was like the top story of the year behind only the explosion of UFC. Now the year's over, Brian's not sure seemed in the top ten. That should tell you something about the impact the whole thing made on the wrestling world. The write-up read, he thanked WWE, his chairman, and the fans for their support. Then reiterated it was time to rest and spend time with his family. The rest period and quality family time lasted less than three weeks. Burn. <laughs> yeah, 
some I wasn't happy with Kurt Angle were the Yeah, that's the type of stuff they don't do anymore too. The <laughs> WWE.com passive aggressive stuff. No. Remember Remember how much stuff like that used to come up? Let's see. There was the thing uh there's the 03 thing when they fire Piper after the real sports thing airs where I don't remember the wording but the implication was basically well, if you think you'll do drugs while you're on the road in wrestling, then we're going to fire you for your own good. But just in the smarmiest way possible. There was this. There was the thing when they posted results of UFC 100 and talked about how it was considered a subpar show because of the quick finishes and then them airing prelims after. Yeah. I'm sure there are many examples I'm forgetting. But Shane, is Shane Shane still running this bit this time? I don't remember if he's still WWE.com. It sounds like something he would have been involved with. So. <laughs> well, he was the one behind industry news, wasn't he? Yeah. <laughs> All right. At the December 26th house show in Hershey, Pennsylvania, they were confiscating tons of signs at the door. Dave and his policy is loose. Signs get confiscated. Today, that's a good move because a lot of parents bring kids to house shows. Anything TNA related, they are competition. Stuff. That's anti-baby faces or anything plugging in a website or competitive product. It's understandable. They got a right to do that. But they've just said they don't brag about fans' freedom of expression. Later, when they had to kill time putting up the cage for a main event, Terry Long came out and announced they were having the best sign contest. But you can imagine how that got over with some people. <laughs> yeah. I do find it interesting seeing them confiscate signs at a house show, though. Yeah. Like, I get the lewd signs because there's so many kids, but... I get. I mean, I guess this is they do it everywhere else. We might as well do it here, too. You know? So... I I uh, guess so. Um, I, guess, I think that's why. All right. Almost all the women were given new hairstyles for the new year. Well, that's nice. The Mr. McMahon's ass cartoon issue has been settled. There will be no lawsuit from the Cartoon Network regarding the similarities with Assy McGee. WWE and the Cartoon Network worked on an agreement that would allow the website to still do the cartoon. I have no idea what Assy McGee is, so... But you remember the Mr. McMahon and his ass cartoon? Well, kind of. Right, Gary Davis, WWE, sent uh, figure four week a letter uh, this past week. Just set the record straight, and today, WWE has not been served with a lawsuit from the creators of the cartoon Assy McGee, and it's unaware of any such claims. It's true that no lawsuit has been filed, and we apologize for the error. We're told by the source, however, that a cease and desist letter was sent, followed by telephone discussions. Now, in the end, though, he handled the problem. Assy McGee. Is that like Tits McGee? No, I think it was another anthropomorphic ass. I know, but I'm just saying the name. Tits McGee, Assy McGee. I know. Well, the, well, I guess then again, though, I guess anthropomorphic doesn't really work because it re- really it just had arms and could do stuff. It didn't have like a face or anything. I don't think. Pussy McGee. Where's that at? <laughs> All right. Um, the George Murdoch, who debuted on the road on December 22nd, since 26th, Smackdown House Show in Hershey, Pennsylvania, was a six foot eight, three hundred seventy five pounder who hasn't even started on Deep South TV yet, let alone ready for WWE. Believe it or not, that is his real name. He was using the name G Rilla and is described as Super Green. He only started wrestling in August. Dave Sir reports from Deep South that he isn't a fast learner, but others have said he's a lifelong fan, is a very fast learner when it comes to psychology and promos. This was described as another John Laurinaitis call to get him on the house shows. Already in the company's belief that they recruit physical freaks, whether male or female, and then teach them to be performers 
as opposed to recruiting performers. Gee, where have I heard this lately? Hmm. 15 years ago, folks. Murdoch was working as a bouncer in a nightclub in Los Angeles. The Southern wrestlers went to the club. And after a match several months back, Tommy Dreamer was there. I told him with his size he should enroll in UPW school for a few months. And then sent him a tape. Murdoch told Dreamer he wasn't really interested. Dreamer didn't ask for, asked for his phone number. He got a call from Laurinaitis and was signed almost immediately. Murdoch was the 32nd person signed to a WWE contract through first being trained or discovered by UPW. A list that includes John Cena, Chris Masters, The Miz, Victoria, Sylvester K, Nathan Jones, and... John Heinrich. Uh, and yes, want to make some money. <laughs> and yes, G. Rilla, George Murdoch is Bix's favorite uh, Fox News personality, Tyrus. Brodus Clay. The former Brodus Clay. Funkus, yeah. Funkzilla, or Funkasaurus, excuse me. Yes. Yeah. It's, uh, the NWA television champion. Is he still the t- NWA television champion? Who cares? He I mean, he has the belt with him on Fox News all the time, and I whenever know, I see pictures I of him, it's... yeah. Um, so he's so he getting 50? that belt. So he's getting that belt. Positive publicity. Is he yeah, 50? he was in his thirties. Oh yeah, I knew he was. I knew he was in his he late forties. I don't think I realized he had turned. He was about to turn fifty or fifty already. Yeah, and but yeah, folks. I mean, this this was the mentality of this era, you know. We teach them to be performers. Oh, he's forty-eight. Uh, so he was born February twenty-first, seventy-three. So this, I mean, this is where we're at. You know, this is this is what's going on now. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, this is the Lauren Ennis, Vince mentality. You know, Kevin Dunn mentality. He had a weird path through their system, though, because this happens, and then I forget exactly when it is that he goes to the main roster. But I thought, I thought the run as Del Rio's heavy was pretty good. And it seemed like he had picked up the entering and stuff pretty quickly. And then they decided to make him his own thing and repackage him. And they did all this hype. And then he was the Funkasaurus. Uh, Just strange. Yeah. And, they, and even back in this time period, they, they still signed independent wrestlers. But it was select few. And it was all about the recruiting of, of people from outside. So Yes. Here we are again, 15 years later. Yes. Yes. Now. So there you go. Speaking of uh, accused, well, I guess in this case it's more than accused, but still, sex pests. The John Cena subway commercial with Jared Fogle began airing this past week. Well, that's a shame. Oh, Jared. Hmm. For whatever this is worth, and again, this could change over the next several months, Orlando said it'd be front run for WrestleMania in 2008. It was originally set to be in Las Vegas. Read into that change what you will. I presume this is Dave finding out how cozy they're getting with Orlando officials and Maybe even knows that John Sabor has been promised a job in the company? Probably. Probably. And we close with this little tidbit. Joe Anawai, the son of Sika, the Wild Samoans, and brother of Rosie of All Japan, a six foot three two hundred eighty pound defensive lineman who played at Georgia Tech, finished his college career playing in the Gator Bowl. His first team All Atlantic Coast Conference. He said he preferred to play in the NFL, but if he doesn't make it, he would consider wrestling. Someone with his background would get an easy developmental deal if he wanted it. It's sometimes hard for college football stars to get past developmental pains in pro wrestling. After playing in front of 60,000 people, wrestling before 75 people can't be tough mentally. There are obvious exceptions. The college wrestlers are much more used to competing in front of nobody but family and friends. Yes, the head of the table, the tribal chief, 
of the World Wrestling Federation Entertainment, whatever, Roman Reigns. You forgot the big dog of the World Wrestling Federation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There you go. Interesting to see this in here. Yeah, because when does Later. he sign? Well, he goes and plays at Canada for a little bit. Very similar trajectory to, to, to the Rock in, in ways. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very similar. Let's see. He said he was a better football, football player than the Rock was. Yes. All right. Uh, signs in 2010. Doesn't say exactly when. And then makes his TV debut as Roman Leakey on August 19th of 2010. Yeah, so took a while, but there he is. So interesting little story here as we look back. Yes, and uh, okay. Would you would you like to guess who the people named that he had notable matches and feuds with in developmental were? Any of them? Uh, I mean, he wrestled with everybody around there. So I mean, just to get the idea of what kind of time frame we're dealing with. So we got, uh, let's see. Alex Riley in a battle royal, tag team with Donnie Marlowe, who is now Tangaloa, right? Yeah. Uh, Leo Kruger, the future Adam and Aldo Rose, uh, defeated Dan- Dean Ambrose and Seth Rollins in a triple threat match to become the number one contender to the, for the Florida Heavyweight title. Uh, tag team champions with Mike Dalton. Do you remember who Mike Dalton is? Tyler Breeze. Yes. Uh, and they would drop the titles to the team of C.J. Parker, Juice uh, Robinson, and Jason Jordan, and then Roman Reigns, and defeat C.J. Parker in his debut as Roman Reigns. So. There you go. Well, let's go to the land of the rising sun now in All Japan Pro Wrestling, and the traditional Jamerson Cork and Hall show with the year opening battle royal, traditionally horrible by the way, was won by Kensuke Sasaki. In his first night back since being up for six months, after sucking a, suffering a broken eye socket, the show drew a sell out of 2100 with standing room all over the place as Kensuke Katsuko Nakajima teamed up to beat Taru and Brother Yashi. That was an All Japan New Japan match as Keijimudo Taiki and Takamichinoku beat Hiroshi Tanahashi, Takashi Azuka, and Yujiro. When Mudo used the figure four on Yujiro, the focus was Kei and Tanahashi, because they were going to wrestle for the IWGB title two days later at Tokyo Dome. They also did a contract signing angle for that. So let's go to Korokin on the second. 2100, we have Masafuchi, Nobukazu Araya, and Ryuji Shikata over Kikutaro, Nobutaka Araya, and Nosawa. AH2 over Mastodon. Buchanan, D-Lo, Brown, and Rosie over Akira Raij and Kasayashi and Shotoshi Kojima. Shuji Kondo and Suwama over Masada and Minoru Suzuki. Then Mudo Kei and Taka over Tanahashi, Azuka, and Yujiro. Nagashima and Kensuke over Taro and Yashi. And then the Battle Royal won by Kensuke. Now, of course, the next day, they also had a sell out 2,100 fans. So it was legit, but there were less standard in tickets sold. And then you had a Junior Heavyweight Battle Royal, which was won by Yashi. When you pin New Japan's Wataru in a way. Also, New Japan in the Battle Royal were Jushin Liger, Minoru, Tanaka, Gato, Jado, and Koji Kanemoto. Yashi then took on Nakajima with the winner becoming top contender for Shuji Kondo's junior title. Nakajima won by DQ first with Kado interfered. Referee Kiyohei Wada came from the dressing room and ordered the match restarted, but Nakajima also won the rematch by DQ. 
Man, this saw Mudo, Kensuke, and Kasayashi lose to Suwama, Rosie, and Kondo. All right, we have Masafuchi of Kikutaro in the opener. AH2 over Tovan John. Oh my God. <laughs> I have not heard that name in years. I don't remember who either of those people were. That's uh, Minamino. Takeshi okay. Minamino from. Um, um, he was one of the uh, Tori Monex guys. Which oh is Toe Van God. John or AH2? Toe Van John. AH2 was, oh God. Shugi. Shugawara. I knew it was two of those guys. Then we had a handicap match uh, Buchanan, D'Lo, and Taro. Oh, it's El Blazer. Over, yeah. uh, Yoshitsune, etc. Yeah. Well, it's Shugawara. Over Akira Raija, Nobukazu Raija, Nobutaka Raija, and Ryuji Jigata. Then we had the Junior Battle Royal, won by Yashi, Nakajima and Yashi's deal, Kojima, Taiyuki and Taka over Mazada, Minoru Suzuki and Nosawa, Rosie Kondo and Suwama over Hayashi, Mudo and Kensuke. So, yeah. All Japan here at the beginning of 2007. And um, a lot of stuff going on. Uh, you, a lot of changes, stables getting created, new stables getting created all the time. There's a lot going on here. Mudo is uh, still fully in effect. And uh, I wasn't watching in this era. I was doing all the reports and stuff, but I wasn't watching. And uh, it it, it could get confusing at times. Yes. I don't think I watched any all Japan in this era. I was still watching some Japanese stuff, mainly what would show up on torrents and all that. But um, I don't think any all Japan was really showing up. It's an interesting looking promotion at the time. And, you know, bring a lot of people there, but well, I was going to yeah, say bring in the, the uh, exiled uh, Dragon Gate guys, you know, who became part of uh, Voodoo Murders, kind of injected a different energy into the shows, it seemed like. Yeah, it was a total hodgepodge effect. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of different people in and out. We'll say that for sure. Mm-hmm. WrestleMag.com reported this story regarding Keiji Budo going to 1PW for their January 13th show in Doncaster, England. The story stated just for Christmas, a check from 1PW to the Ace Travel Agency bounced. The money was to cover what was owed. The travel agency has the money for All Japan's contingent for next week's show. They claimed that despite what has been said, the All Japan's contingent's appearance in England was not filed until December 29th. When Kikutaro paid with his personal credit card, the $9,000... For flight arrangements for Mudo, Raijin, Nosawa, and others. Mudo told Kikutaro since he was responsible for booking the crew in England that the deal collapsed, Kikutaro would be held financially responsible. With time running out, the possibility of flights being sold out and the fares jumping at tickets are on two weeks' notice, Kikutaro decided to pay the cost himself now rather than risk having to pay more a few days later. I forget if the show ends up happening at all or not because 1PW ends up shutting down for the time. But nine thousand dollars, and this show happened. Was with it these with guys those on guys? The show. Okay, it wasn't with those guys. So, yeah. <laughs> with the uh, name of the show, by the way, mm. IPW. Well, it's one PW, well, not, isn't it? Well, excuse me, one PW. IPW. No, it's one PW. Sorry, okay. one PW will not die. Davy Richards is on the show. Chilla Melissa's on the show. Kid Cash is on the show. So uh, Sterling James Keenan's on the show. Corey Graves. Mm-hmm. 
So they got some, they got some, some, uh, you know, foreigners on the show, but no Japanese guys. I hope Kikataro got his money back. I hope so. Let's just say he would become much better at being an international liaison later on. Yes. Although, there haven't been any updates to his situation, by the way, have there? I don't see. So. All right, now let's, let's get to the reason why we're doing this show in the first place. New Japan's Wrestle Kingdom. Last year, the New Japan Jammer 4 show Tokyo Dome was considered a possible end of Banera. It went one more year, and now it looks like you more than ever. In recent years, New Year's Eve took over for Jay, where the fourth is the big night at that time of the year, and interest dwindled. Even as late as 2004, they put 40,000 fans in the building, <laughs> based largely on tradition. For Shinsuke Nakamura versus Yoshiro Takayama as a double world title match. They had revived the NWF title from the 70s. Takayama owned it, while Nakamura was the IWGP champion. Nakamura won by submission after being dominated in the 14-match show. Keiji Muto, by the time he left New Japan for All Japan, and Bob Sapp beat uh, Masahiro y- y- and Hiroshi Tenzan, and Yuji Nagano beat Kensuke Sasaki. Real quick before you keep Last going, year's... we should note, though, we're still talking in terms of work numbers at this time. So if they said they, there were 40,000 in the building... It was about two-thirds full, because we're still going by 60,000, 65,000 as the alleged wrestling capacity. So work from there. Remember that the idea is that this building holds sixty to 65,000 fans for wrestling. Yes. Um, last year's show drew 31,000 fans, but paid was only around 10,000. It was still a late-night special, but it aired for 1.10 a.m. to 4.35 a.m. with almost no promotion. Not only that, the TBSI wouldn't even list the show as pro wrestling. Instead of trying to confuse the viewers into thinking it was a big MMA show, but listing it as a New Year's fight special. Wow. Brought less to be Nakamura to keep that IWGP title. Chino and Tenzan beat Takao Mori Shiro to keep tag titles. Even though paid attendance wasn't good, there was a light at the end of the tunnel. As those who got in free spent a lot of money on merchandise, the merchandise figure was significantly more than $500,000 US. We had 380000 program sales alone. Selling out the entire stock. Perhaps people won this collector's items from the last big show. The show's considered a success, which meant they would try again. You know, the paid attendants wouldn't have been able to sell out Sumo Hall. Six years ago, the idea of an all Japan New Japan led to uh, Tokyo Dome sellouts. Two of them, in fact. This year, the co- combination of interpromotional matches and the annual tradition meant nothing, almost. There were only 18,000, and now it's 28,000 fans, and just over 10,000 paid. Oh, this point would be the label every major show by New Japan at this appointment. The four-hour show was built around three matches. The main event was a dream match with New Japan's top early 90s team of Keiji Muda Matsuro Chono joining forces to face the company's best late 90s team, Hiroshi Tenzan and Shosh Kojima. Both teams have been done for years. Since Muda and Kojima left New Japan for All Japan to start 2002, although Tenzan and Kojima did reform their team in All Japan's Real World Tadley Tournament at the end of the year, coming out as the winners. The match had a few themes, and that being a tribute match to Hashimoto, although Muto and Chono was three musketeers, were the leaders of the promotion during the Tokyo Dome era. Hashimoto passed away on July 1st, 2005, at the age of 40, from a cerebral hemorrhage. In New Japan's first Tokyo Dome sellout held on February 10th, 1990, it was a 26-year-old Chono and 23-year-old Hashimoto in the role of the young tag team that faced Antonio Noki and Seiji Sakaguchi, the veterans, in the final match of the show, with Lutez as referee. Muto was very much negative to the idea of using the main event as a Hashimoto tribute, but the other show he was convinced to go along. 
This is much like a SmackDown show where they do all the Eddie Guerrero spots and pay tribute to him. You know, two men events with both world title matches. The theme was all Japan's champion with defending against a New Japan wrestler and vice versa. New Japan star Yuji Nagata challenged champion Minoru Suzuki for the Triple Crown. This is supposed to be the final match of a 21-year-old rivalry dating back to high school. <laughs> Little does Dave know. Uh, when both were seniors in 1986, Suzuki beat Nagata twice. Once in a Tokyo City High School tournament and another time in a Japanese sectionals. Nagata ended up being the better wrestler, winning an S championship in 1992 before turning pro. Suzuki turned pro right out of college, but made his name doing work shoots and later real shoots in Pancrase. The other main event was IWGB champion Hiroshi Tanahashi defending against All Japan's Taiokea. They reported to us as the two best matches on the show. Neither title changed hands. The general feeling was a so-so show. Some of the matches, most normally Nagata versus Suzuki, would have come across a lot better in the old days, and there was more believability. It neither helped nor harmed the company, although maybe the final event for a long time at the Tokyo Dome. Another major difference in tradition is that Inoki was not even at the show for the first time anyone could remember, nor did he have anything to do with the show. Inoki's trying to raise money to put together a deal to buy back controlling interest in New Japan from the video game company Yuke's. Well, I'm glad that didn't happen. Both All Japan and New Japan are lucky to continue to work together as All Japan has a February 17th date at Sumo Hall, and New Japan has the building booked the next night. All Japan's already announced Suzuki vs. Kojima's Trip Crown on top, plus Shinji Kondo and Katsuko Nakajima for the junior title. New Japan will have Tanahashi defend against either Giant Bernard, Matt Bloom, A-Train, Chono, Toshiko Kawada, which is why Kawada had to beat Shinsuke Nakamura on this show, or Katsuyori Shibata. On January the 8th, Simon Noki announced, uh, said that he was putting, trying to put together Tanahashi vs. Shibata as the main event of the show. Shibata beat Tanahashi on the January 4, 2006 Dome show. And then before Shibata was out to even the score, relations between New Japan and Fumihiko UI, who ran Shibata's company, fell apart. So the show aired on Paraview in Japan, so we have a tape of it next week. Okay. Well, yes. Do you remember why, now that it's an artifact name, do you remember why this show is called Wrestle Kingdom? Uh, no. That's the name of the video game. There you go. Which was not just a New Japan video game, though. The first game, which came out for Xbox 360 and PS2 which came out in uh, December 05 for 360 and July 06 for PS2, was a combined All Japan, New Japan, Noah game. The sequel, Wrestle Kingdom 2, which I think is PS2 only and is going to come out in May of 07, was New Japan, All Japan, Freelancers and Legends, but no Noah. But, yeah. And that's the last one, too, even though Yuke owns the company for several more years even though theoretically they bought the company to help the video game license it is go along. So just strange. And then, but for whatever reason, they stuck with the name and it, for January 4th, even though we're well over a decade into January 4th and we're 15 years into January 4th, this is the 16th one, you know, this became the name and it lasts now. God, think about the alternative universe if Anoki buys back control interest in New Japan. There would be no New Japan. <laughs> or it would be no, an indie. Not. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. All right, well, let's get into the dome. Masafuchi, El Samurai, and Yusuke Taguchi over Kikutaro, Nobutaka Rai, and Nikara Rai in 820. When Fuchi pinned Kikutaro. 
said it'd be a decent match. More about Guitar than a one-man comedy show is a match highlight. That's the opener. Ghetto and Jado defeated Nosawa Mazada. What a team, what a match that is. At 1306, when Ghetto pinned Nosawa after splash off the top rope, was told this match was disappointment. Winner or losers all become Booker's match. I mean, this this is like the Spider-Man meme in a lot of ways. These two teams of each other. Yeah, I mean, well, Masada is involved with Nosawa's stuff still, isn't he? Yeah, I would think so. It's weird. Just seems that way. And also Nosawa and right, Jado both book Noah, too. Because Jado booked Noah for New Japan. Yeah. Took Makabe and Toriano teamed up with Tomohiro Ishii to beat D'Lo Brown, Bull Buchanan, and Travis Tomko at 9.36 when Makabe pinned Buchanan to Lariat. Not much of a match. Not sure if you saw, by the way, uh, photos floating around from some kind of recent Fox News event that Tomko was at. He looks fantastic. Apparently he's been clean for a while, so good for him. Because things had gotten pretty dire, as people may remember. But good for him. Yeah. All right, uh... Taru and Suwama teamed up with Rosie and Jaya Bernard to beat Riki Choshum and Amanakanishi, Takashi Azuka, and now Fumi Yamamoto in 1936. Long match ending with Suwama and Izuka after a Jumbo Shiruto style Greco Roman backdrop. Said to be so so. Takamas 4, Koji Kanamoto, Wataru Inoue, and Kasayashi teamed up with Takamichi Noku to beat Jushin the Liger, Milano Collection 18, Minoru Tanaka, Shuji Kondo, and Yashi in 1301. Fast-paced entertaining match ended with Tiger Mask pinning Yashi after a Tiger Suplex. During her mission, Kashiko Nagata, Yuji's brother, came out. They noted that his New Year's Eve win over Shuichiro Katsumura on a K1 show. And on the big screen, they played a match with Tetsuya Naito beating Mitsuhide Hirosawa on October 29th in Kobe. Naito won the match and got the TV aside trophy for a company's best rookie of the year. Well, I think they made the right choice. Yes. <laughs> Because Hirasawa didn't have the career like Naito's had. But that no. Although, it took some time with Naito, though. He had to find the right uh, gimmick. Yeah, he did. He was already a hell of a worker, but he was not getting over. No, not at all. Toshiro Kawada pinned Shinsuke Nakamura in 1902 with a kick to the face. Very stiff match with lots of hard kicks. Hard had a good match. Wait a I'm second. Sure Kawada and Nakamura was a very stiff match with a lot of hard kicks? <laughs> yeah. Minoru Suzuki retained triple crown over Yuji Nagata in 1722. Strong match, both men bleeding. Finished on Nagata hitting a knee to the face and getting his back, su- bridging back suplex finisher. Su- Suzuki reversed in midair, got behind Nagata for a choke, did the choke suplex, Nagata landed on his feet, grabbed an arm bar. Suzuki reversed it and got the choke back on, and the referee stopped the match. Who would have thought that these guys 15 years later would still be going strong? <laughs> Doing that they doing. might even be better 15 years later. <laughs> or as good, yeah. Yeah. The Rosh Tanahashi Pentai okay, in 1709 they retained the IWGP title. Kaya was throwing elbows. It is Tikyo finisher, but Tanahashi kicked out. Kaya did a Tiger driver, but Tanahashi kicked out. Tanahashi came back with a German suplex, followed by a dragon suplex, went to the top row, came up with a flying body press for the win. Wasn't the Hawaiian Crusher technically a TKO into a stunner as opposed to a proper TKO? Yeah. Anyway. But, yeah, Tanahashi, I mean, it, it, this is, you know, him as IWGP champion, this is in, in, in the dark ages here of uh, of New Japan in a way. So, eesh, 
he he would bounce back from that. So at least there's that. He's in some ways, I guess you could call him the Bret Hart of New Japan, from a business point of view. Fair. Because yeah, fair. he was the champion holding things together when things were bad, but he was also key to the turnaround, really starting to get going. Yeah. Yeah. And then Keiji Muto, Masuyo Chonobi, Hiroshi Tenzan, and Shotoshi Kojima, 1843. Fans took Muto and Chono as the two biggest stars of the show. But Muto and Chono used Hashimoto's jumping DT and used the Rikidozan-style chops he'd used in his comeback. Muto and Chono did double-team Shining Wizard on Tenzan. Then Muto put the figure four on Kojima. Chono put the SDF on Tenzan. Chono and Tenzan were legal men, and Tenzan was submitted for the finish. Muto used a long white towel like Hashimoto did. Then both put on white headbands like Hashimoto. They both went to the sky and a tape of Hashimoto played on the big screen and left the ring the Hashimoto's theme. So that's good. Yeah. Even if Muto didn't want to do it, at least they, at you know, they did that. Yeah. But it's with the other musket. You know, it's with Chono. When was the last time you even won a team with Chono? It's a big show. I mean, I... especially since I don't think it was necessarily advertised as a Hashimoto tribute, right? So, what's the harm, you know? I mean, unless he just thought he couldn't do it. He thought he'd get too emotional, which I'd understand. But, like, it's not like they were really exploiting it. They weren't selling tickets based on it being a Hashimoto tribute, as far as I can tell. So, not like there would have been any harm in doing it. Oh, yeah. Plus, it's also different New Japan ownership and management than the one that ousted Hashimoto, or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. All right, so... Dave watched the show, I guess, here. This is the review kind of Yes, this is the review of the uh, TV Asahi version. Yeah, well, of course. Because, yeah, Dave only watched TV Asahi and and review it. That was a thing for years that people got frustrated at him about. Oh, even even (laughs) once there were much greater alternatives for him to watch, he would only watch the network TV shows. For New Japan, definitely. For Noah, he would get the satellite shows for a while. But yeah. with New Japan, he kind of gave up after a certain point. Although, we're also kind of in the footage gap here where Japanese stuff was not showing up yeah, in the West he regularly. He could get it. Though. I get what you're saying, though. It's Dave Meltzer. He has more connection to Japan. But, yeah. yeah. All right. So, they had the TV special late at night on the 4th. They had the versions of the top four matches on the show. It's a TV special. is a great show due to the excellent Hiroshi Tanahashi Taikaya match and Minoru Suzuki Junagawa's Triple Crown match. Takayama was guest commentator on the show. They opened with Tanahashi Kaya. It's hard to say exactly how good these matches were because all four bouts were ended roughly in half. Tanahashi versus Kaya looked to be around four stars, and more likely not, and then it would have been better. Crowd was into the gimmick of the All Fan guy trying to get New Japan's top prize. Strong finish. Tanahashi did a high Yernagi. Kaya came back with a suplex, popped the, crop, popped the crowd big. Big standing exchange of slaps and kicks. Okay, even throwing a Superman punch. Okay, did his TKO for near falls. Also set out power bomb. Finished off Tanahashi with a German suplex. Followed the dragon suplex and went with a splash off the top. So there's that. Dave thought Suzuki Nagata was even better. Stiff shoot style war. This match was held in the mid 90s when business was hot. It would be talked about as like it was a classic today. Suzuki did a chair shot in Nagata's head. It was, it was up against the post. Soon, both were bleeding. Nagata used a brain bust on the floor. Nagata was using super hard kicks to the chest. They traded hard slaps on Nagata, hitting a high knee and another brain buster. Nagata followed by the back suplex, but picked Suzuki up at two. That's kind of stupid in the world title match. You're trying to present it as a sport and get people in that real vibe. 
I got to use more hard kicks. He went for another back suplex with Suzuki. Need him in the head. Finish was awesome. Suzuki maneuvered into a rear naked choke. Took Nagata over with it. Nagata pulled Suzuki's top arm off. So Suzuki was choking him with one arm while Nagata was trying to arm bar on the other arm. Eventually, in the submission battle, Nagata got drowsy from the choke and finally went out. That's a great finish. Just reading oh, it. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Next was Kawada Nakamura, where they tried to present as a modern Baba Noki battle. Oh, that was really stretching it. Very stiff match. Lots of hard kicks and elbows, as well as kind of suplexes. They didn't have the heat the prior two matches, but still very good. Probably in three and a half star range. Also a great finish, taken from Nakamura. Alexa Ingleshoff wrestler kickboxer match. Nakamura was going for a takedown. Kawada stuttered with a knee to the face. Kawada then used a kick to the face and got the pin. And then the main event. This came across like a, more like an exhibition, while the prior matches came off like serious fights. It was an exhibition fight. They did all their expected spots. People were with it, but it was never a big, intense deal. Then they did the Hashimoto finish. Muda started throwing the Ricky Dozen and Chops. He's a TDT. Chonin did the same thing. Muda and Chonin did double shiny wizard on Tenzon. Muda used a dragon scroll on Kojima, put him in the figure four. At the same time, Chonin put Tenzon on the STF and Tenzon tapped. Muda and Chonin looked to the sky, put on white headbands on Hashimoto. They put a big photo of Hashimoto on the giant screen, and Muda and Chonin went in front of the screen to pose. Probably the way it was handled. During the show, they showed some clips of some of the classes from a decade ago. Like Mudo Takada, Hashimoto Takada, Mudo Hashimoto, Mudo and Shono, the original G1591. Each man Royal Wrestling used to be so great. And for this one hour, it was great again. Well, I know what Boy, we're going to have to hype up on Twitter uh, when we hype the show. That line. I mean, New Japan was not in a good way at this time, business-wise. And Western thought-wise, definitely not. Mm-hmm. I mean, the fans were burned from what had happened. I mean, they were burned by the MMA takeover in New Japan. Enochiaism. And it really pissed a lot of people off. And it turned a lot of those New Japan hardcores into Noah fans. Dave was one of them. And it, it, it's just wild, you know, going back and reading this stuff and seeing this stuff and then knowing what's, what's going to happen in just a few years. And it took time, but... New Japan turned around and became a dominant force again. Yep. But it wasn't quick. It wasn't quick by any means. No. And I do wonder, too, how different are things for New Japan and the Japanese scene in general if Nippon TV doesn't have its financial issues that gets Noah canceled? Like, Masawa, I would think, probably dies anyway because it's only about a year later so even though he felt he needed to be on all the shows to carry the company it seems like his situation was kind of a ticking clock regardless so do you think Masawa's probably inevitable death makes it that not that much changes or do you think they at least get an extra few years as a major promotion if they don't get cancelled does it slow New Japan down like how do you think that plays out I don't know. It's hard to say. I mean, I think New Japan, everything hit right at one time. It was like a perfect storm deal for them. I think the MMA boom going down helped them out big time as well. Fans got tired of that. And they wanted to see traditional pro wrestling again. Well, and also New Japan did something that Noah was not necessarily doing even before the collapse, which was they started actively targeting female fans, too. 
Yeah, there's that too. Yeah, they would. They will. They went for a different. Just you know, they went for a different style of fan like WWE does. And they were kind of. They were. I would say, in a way, though, New Japan, it seems like, was making a bigger effort to make new fans than I would say current WWE does in that era. Yeah, but New Japan, it's 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 different, but there's kind of the same. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, there's similarities, but yeah, it's, it's, there's differences. But yeah, it worked. It worked out. Yeah. Well, let's talk about UI Station. They had a show at Cork and Hall on December 30th in front of 12.15. But we had this band, the results here. What a crew this is. All right, opening match, Dick Togo and Manitou Kishiwada, the former Big Boss Magma, over Boso Boy Raito and Kengo Mashimo. Don Arakawa over Fujita Hayato. UI number 28 over Mecha Mummy. Oh, my God, Mecha Mummy. Oof. <laughs> That's going back <laughs> when he was a thing. My goodness. Whatever happened to Mecha Mummy? That's a good question. You know, oh, oh, well, it must have been someone else that we knew in the gimmick, right? Let's see. Well, this gimmick just went away, you know? Yeah. Remember when he came here? <laughs> yeah. I remember. Uh, let's see. What does K-Trap say for Mecha Mummy? Has him as active and doesn't have any gimmicks. Let's see. Oh, yeah, he's wrestling. The most recent result they have for him is from uh, DDT Tengen Wars in September uh, 2021. And he's been wrestling for them. Okay, you know what? It looks like, obviously, you never know with small indies and stuff. They have no results for him between 2009 and 2017. Then he works one match in 2018 for All Doing, which I guess was like an indie parody of All In. Because it was like the following week where he wrestled Survival Tobita at Shinkiba First Ring. And then he worked three matches in DDT uh, this year, 2021. If it's the same guy. I, right. It could be someone else. But the fact that it was retired means if it's not him, it's probably someone he gave the costume and gimmick to. Possible. Kota Bushi over Akika Mori. Yashika Kata, Nozomo Dragon over Super Delphin and Tiger's Mask. Minoru Suzuki and Shiro Takayama over the Hawaiian Lion, John Williams, and Scott Flash Norton. And then a minute, man, Kashiro Shibata over Kazuko Hamanaka. A lot of interesting young names on this show. Yeah. Okada, Abushi. Yeah. Okada was still with Ultimo at this time, of course. So. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Indie Summit. Yeah. The New Year's Eve Countdown Pro Wrestling Show at Cork and Hall. Your 2200 fans. Daisuke Harada, Hidehiro Nishiyama, and Kendra Masayama over Kaiji Yamato, Yamato Masami Murahashi, and Shinobu. Then we had a three-way match. Joe, all caps, and Yashua Hirano over Brahman K and Brahman Shu, the Sato twins. And then Shoko Dino and Michael Nakazawa. Then we had a dogfight, six-man tag match as El Blazer, Rasi, and Yuko Miyamoto defeated Psycho, all caps, Takeshi Minamoto and Tiger's Mask. Then we had, oh, this is the match for picks. This is the President Battle Royal. Yes, all the presidents of the company, of the indie companies are involved in a 1 million yen Scrabble Battle Royal. Yes. As Great Kujika beat Jensei Shinzaki, Karaoke Machine Number 2, Keizo Matsuda, Muscle Sakai, 
Sasha Takagi, Super Delphin, and Takamichinoku. <laughs> All your indie wrestling presidents. Yes, and by the, there. by the way, at least under today's exchange rate, that's eighty-seven hundred dollars. <laughs> that's amazing. I can only imagine. I can only imagine uh, the amount of yakuza that was interested in this match. Wait, was karaoke the... machine number two is who? Just, I mean, just because it's all the presidents of indie promotions, they're watching. They're watching that, you know, with oh, uh, bated sure. breath. Oh, that's uh, Noriaki Kawabata. Kawabata, yeah. So then we had Kotobushi and Masaki Mochizuki over Fujita Hayato and Munenori Sawa. Yes. For lesser light two's death match, Jaki Nimazawa, Jun Kasai, and Shadow WX over Abdullah Kobayashi, Kesuna Majiro, and Takashi Sasaki. Kayantai DX. Yes. The originals. Tik Togo, Mince Teo, Shiro, Shoichi Fudaki, Takamichinoko. Defeated Kasuya Kishin, Kudo, Makoto Oishi, Milanito Collection AT, and Shijitsu no Hashi. And then our main event. Gaina. All caps. Kingo Meshiro and Yoki Tanazaki. Defeated Billy Ken Ken, Daisuke Sakamoto, and Harashima. All caps. What a wonderfully indie wow. show that is. Yeah, there's a lot going on here as far as the indies at this time. Absolutely. Wow. A lot of these names I haven't seen in a long time. <laughs> we did Survival to Vita piss off to not get on the show, at least in the President's Battle Royal, though. Well, they were only going for our higher indies on the food chain, I guess. Yeah. So wait, okay. Kojika's Big Japan, Shinzaki's Mishinoka Pro, Kawabata was what? Uh, I guess Toyomon X. Keizo Matsuda is... IWH fan. So Muscle Sky and Tagagi are both TDT. Muscle House. Muscle House. Okay, right. He did have his own thing at the time. Uh, Takagi's DDT, Delphin's Osaka Pro, Taka's K-Dojo. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right, Big Japan Pro Wrestling. Cork and Hall, January 2nd, for their annual show to 2,000 fans. High 69 and Katsumasa Inoue over Craig and Yusaku Obata. Is that Hardcore Craig? No, it's not Hardcore Craig. Takokuba Benke, Miyawaki, and Yuchi over Hakaro Mai, Shinobu, and Tuomitsu Matsunaga. Nataro and Mahou Sasaki over Isami and Yuko Miyamoto. Man Man Pondo and Nosawa over the Hain Brothers. Cocaine and Sam Hain! <laughs> Where were they from originally? <laughs> oh my god! Cocaine is deranged. Uh, this is the Midwest version. Cocaine is deranged, and Sam Hain was a um, guy who worked as uh, Judas Thorne, also from Ohio, in that Midwest area. Okay. Cocaine and Sam Hain. Outstanding. Then we had Daisuke Sakamoto, Hiroki Kondo, and Yoshida Sasaki going to a 30 minute draw with Katara Kanemura, Onro, and Tetsuya Kuroda. And then we had a Clarissa Light Tube's death match as Jackie Nimazawa, Jun Kasai, Mince Teo, Nyuko Miyamoto defeated Oitsu. Oitsu Repon Dome, which consists of Shadow WX, Takashi Sasaki, and then we have Abdullah Kobayashi and Masada. All caps Masada. Texas Masada. Yeah, Texas Masada, correct. So we have both Masadas in the Japanese results this week. Mm-hmm. Well, Masada and Masada. Yeah. Dragon Gate. They ran their New Year's Eve show. Countdown Gate at Dragon Gate Arena in Odaiba. 
We have Kirichiro Arai and Yamato Onodera over Gigeraguchi and Katsuo. Cyber Kong over Ape Kamada. Masato Yoshino and Nurkidwai over Lupin Marasani and MCKZ. No, he was not doing a gimmick with my initials. And then we have uh, Akira Tozawa, Koji Shishido, and Taka Uwasa over Bancho Fuji, Don Fuji, Shima, and Pashiri Ichiwaka, Stalker Ichikawa. Well, and Shima was Fuku Bancho Shima, and Stalker Ichikawa was Pashiri Ichikawa. Yes. So, interesting. Yes. Seems like kind of a theme show, at least with the main event of some kind, with the New Year's thing. Yeah, and here's the Osaka Pro, December 30th at uh, Festival Gate, front of 130. Zeus over Daisuke Harada. Billy Ken Ken over Robert Tanaka. Asian Cougar over Asushi Kotoge. Condor and Gaina over Flash Moon and Tsubasa. Then the main event, Dingo, Ice Penguin, Ultraman Robin. Over Kishibakama, Miracle Man, and Takaku Fuke. Who was Robert Tanaka before joining the York Foundation? <laughs> Robert Tanaka, the Japanese York Foundation. Um, I mean, that's that was his first gimmick. I mean, it was Robert Tanaka. He was now, a soccer uh, pro trainee. Now, he was a rookie Spider here. Junior. Yeah, he was a rookie. So there's also Spider J, Captain Zack, and Beetle RX. Yeah, he was a junior. Junior's a rookie. Uh, K-Dojo. They ran January 3rd at Bakuri, Shinokai, Chiba Bluefield, and Chiba. Mecha Mummy over DJ Nera. Nine King fucking Wrestling Club. One name. Masaki Okamoto, Yasushi Tsujimoto. That's uh, Brother Yashi. And Yuji Hinamoto over Mike Lee Jr., Mr. X, and Yasharano. The Goro Kashiwa, Joe, all caps, King Omeshimo, and Madoka over Kazuma, Kunio, Tsushima, Psycho, all caps, Takamichi Noko at 31-41. And then the New Year's Struggle Battle Royal won by Bosa Boy Raito, which featured uh, Apple Miyuki, Bambi, or Spaghetti Leather, Chusha Fujizawa, Daigo Kashiwa, DJ Nero, Hiro Tanai, Joe, Kaiji Yamato, Kazuma, King Omeshimo, Kunio, Tsushima, Madoka, Madoka Makoto Ishii, Miyawaki, all caps, Mr. X, Psycho, Randy Takuya, Shiroya Sai, Taka Michinoku, Taku Michinoku, Yashorano, Yoshiya, Yuji Hino, and Yu Yamagata. I know it broke your heart, Bix, when you did the notes and there was no Ofune. Listen, the K Well, at least we got Apple Miyuki. <laughs> DDT. Never mind, 2008. 2006, excuse me. December 29th at Cork Hall for 2006 fans. Bear Fakuda. Masamura Hashi and Poison Sawada Julie over Chonshiro, Poko Takanashi, and Seamura Hashi. Poko Takanashi. I love, I love the group Poko. Should come up to a Poko. <laughs> Little Richie Ferrey, Poko. Yes. All right, four-way dance. Gorgeous Masuno over Dan Shokodino, Mosakai, and Yusuke Inakuma. TDT Extreme title. Mikami retained over Tanamasakotoba. Daichi Kakamoto and Hoshi Tango defeated the American Balloon and Michael Nakazawa. You mean, American uh, Balloon. Yes, Death Valley Driver message board poster, American Balloon. Yes. And Michael Nakazawa. And then we had the attack. It's yeah. weird how he's one of the most powerful people in wrestling in these Japanese results, isn't he? Oh, yeah. 
Then we had Italian Warrior, and Sanchiro Takagi teaming up with the Italian Four Horsemen members Antonio Honda and Francesco Togo. Big Togo. Defeating Kota Bushi Kudo and Tomitsu Matsunaga and then KOD Openweight title. Harashima all cast defeated Toru Awashi to win the title. Oh, oh I know this had to feel good for you. Joshi. Mm-hmm. 2006 Joshi at that. Yeah. Oz Academy. December 30th. At Shinjuku face in Tokyo for Magic of 10 Minutes. Carl Samano and Dynamite Kansai over Randy Yu and Yuki Miyazaki. Aja Kong and Mayumi Miyazaki over Shikai Nagashima and Sonoko Kato. In Oz Academy Openweight Title League matches, Aja Kong over Dynamite Kansai and Carl Samano over Mayumi Miyazaki. Mm. And then Ice Ribbon. We have the first war in Yokohama on December 30th in front of 135 fans. We got Maso Takanashi over Kanaka. Riho. Yes. That Riho. All right, so we're in 2006 or 2007 or December 3rd, 2006. Riho is nine. Yeah, so she's a rookie. Yes. Lena Khan over Makoto. Oh! Masai Genki over Chonshiru. So a mixed match. (laughs) Then we had Choi Lee, Lena Khan, Chonshiru, and Yone-chan over Emi Sakura, Minori Makiba, and Masai Genki! She's got to work twice. And there were like two or three other Ice Ribbon <laughs> shows, but there was no way I was including more than one. So I was like, okay, we've, we've got we've got Riho, we've got Emmy Sakura, we've got Masai Genki. We're good. Yeah, we're good. Too bad Tiny Mouse wasn't around for this. <laughs> you mean Tiny Mouth? Yeah. Or whatever that one said. But yeah. Um, so yes, Riho winning a match here at nine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. Definitely of these two shows, I would say that the Oz Academy show looks better, even if some of the women in this match or I mean, excuse me, on that show are approaching being washed at this point, if not outright. And we'll close going to England or Wales, actually. Well, the WAW. Yes, and this one is great. Let's see if you figure out what's going on here. All right, this is uh, the New Year's Eve at the Punson Preston Sands Holiday Park in Preston. Denbenshire, Wales. Ricky Knight with Sweet Soraya defeated Zach Zodiac. They were in a handicap match with the Norfolk Dolls. Brittany Knight and Melody teamed with Zach Zodiac to beat Ricky Knight and Sweet Soraya. <laughs> Chris, have you figured out what this is yet? It looks like the Knight family. It's the Knight family running a holiday camp show using entirely the Knight family as the roster. Yep. With Brittany being uh, being Paige. Mm-hmm. Now, Melody, is she a knight? She also wrestled as Charisma. Uh, okay, she's a student of theirs, at least. And now she's a promoter. So I don't know if she's a relative or anything, but if she's not, she's the only non-knight on this show. Because Zack Zodiac, of course, is Zack Knight, Paige's brother. Ricky and Sarai are the parents, and you get you get the gist of that. Um, I forget. Wait, Zach is I forget. Is Zach the one? Zach is the one that is Ricky and Sarai's son, right? It's Roy is the one that's from a previous marriage, I think. 
You're confusing me. I don't know. Zebra Kid, I think. Because I think Zach, cause Zach is the one that they, when they fictionalize it, I think is the brother they include. So I be- yes, I believe that's Soraya's son. But interesting to see this here. I, w- I wonder how many of these they were doing, because I don't think they re- I realized they had any holiday camp deals. For those who don't know, in the UK, they have these inexpensive, they call them holiday camps, designed for working class folks to have a little bit of a getaway at a reasonable price. And one of the features has always been live wrestling, constant live wrestling. It's what kept Brian Dixon's all-star wrestling in business for years with the shows at the Butlins Holiday Clubs, I mean, holiday camps. You know, that's where that's where Brian Danielson pretty much became the best wrestler in the world. Was, yeah, all the stuff he learned from doing all those shows. So it's it still on this, this day to some degree. I don't know how it's changed with COVID and stuff, but I remember a few years ago when Dixon was basically done that I know Alex Shane had some kind of Butlins deal. So I think this still exists more or less. There you go. Oh my goodness, Butlins. You just like the news. All right. <laughs> I can make some jokes, but I'm not going to. All right, well, you so, could have made some jokes uh, about it. Magic of Ten Minutes being the name of an Oz Academy show, but you didn't. <laughs> yeah. All right, so... Um... <laughs> anyway. All right, that's it for the first half of the show. So that's a great 2006 or seven commercials. Oh, my goodness. We'll head to the halftime segment. Where we'll talk about Patreon, we'll hit the plugs, and then we'll come back and go to other North America where we have uh, some interesting results from Canada to talk about, Lucha and their uh, first of the year shows, and a whole lot more. We'll be back after this. Get this straight. Revlon Ceramic Hair Straightener. Ceramic surface heats evenly, locks in moisture, protects. Hair is straighter, shinier, smoother. The Ceramic Hair Straightener. Only Revlon makes it. Only you make it unforgettable. Wow. These cheddar peppers are really sweet now. It's like a different kind of cheese they're using or something. Kind of like cheesecake. Yeah. Jalapeno kind of tastes like graham cracker. Yeah. Probably switched it up. Sweet peppers or something like right. that. Right. Or it's actually a cheesecake bite with strawberry dipping sauce. That's another theory. Yeah. Cheesecake Bites. New at Sonic. With a graham cracker crust and a strawberry dipping sauce. Sonic's Cheesecake Bites. Give a reloadable My Sonic card today. It's not just good, it's Sonic good. Why does that bother you? Why does it bother me? So easy a caveman can do it? Well, it's just a commercial. Okay. Well, what if it said, um, Geico.com, so easy a therapist can do it? Well, that commercial wouldn't make sense to me. Why not? Well, therapists are... Are what? Smart? My mother's calling. I'll put it on speaker. GEICO. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Get this straight. Revlon Ceramic Hair Straightener. Ceramic surface heats evenly, locks in moisture, protects. Hair is straighter, shinier, smoother. The Ceramic Hair Straightener. Only Revlon makes it. Only you make it unforgettable. Cold where you are? Then come discover the warmth of El Paso, Texas and Juarez, Mexico. You'll enjoy great food, lots of entertainment, all the color of Mexico, and the rich heritage of Texas. 
With sunshine over 300 days a year, there's no better place under the sun. El Paso and Juarez, two great cities, one great vacation. Real celebrities become real cops. We'll put them through rigorous training. Teach them hand-to-hand. Firearm tactics. Awesome. And send them on patrol. You've never seen celebrities do this before. Never thought any day in my life I'd get handcuffed by Jackson. Armed and Famous premieres Wednesday, January 10th on CBS. Strange going on. Over a thousand people insist they've seen something in Loch Ness. And yet when science is applied, like this expedition here, what's going on? I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Do you see that? savings throughout the store at Circuit City Spectacular Sale and Clearance. Right now, get up to 10% off TVs. Plus, all home theater surround sound systems, receivers, and speakers are on sale now. And it's a perfect time to save on everything you need for everything you got. All memory cards, digital frames, and camera bags are on sale. And you'll save 40 to 50% on camcorder batteries, camcorder blank media, and more. Only at Circuit City. Hey, guys. Are you sick of feeling fat and tired? I'm Dan Marino, and I lost 22 pounds on Nutrisystem. You can, too. Get back in the game. If you want to lose weight, pick up the phone and change your life. Trust me, you will lose weight. Guys, check out Nutrisystem for men. For about 10 bucks a day, you'll get 28 days of breakfasts, lunches, dinners, and desserts. But wait, through this special offer, you'll get an extra week of food free. Call or go online now. Trust. It's everything. Nobody hands out trust. Talent is one thing. Combine talent with people you trust, and you will walk on that court with a level of respect no one can match. The Hartford, a company built on 195 years of trust. Ask your advisor what The Hartford can do to help you plan for your future. Because you're not preparing to retire. You're preparing to live. All right, we're back. I hope you enjoyed all those great, and I mean great, 2006-7 commercials. Uh, <laughs> I haven't as looked it, yet, but it's like, as, as I think people have become familiar with if they listen to halftime when we joke about this, like, when you go through this to, like, to find commercials to put in there, it really does underline just how much worse commercials have gotten and how much less thought is behind them and all that than there used to be it really like when we pull up these like they're entertaining and not even just ones i remember they're entertaining on their own merit it's not just nostalgia there's just clearly a lot more thought being put into them then i don't know if it's dvrs or whatever but like what was the when was the last time you saw like a any commercials that you found particularly like creative or entertaining or anything? I mean, it happens, but not a lot. You and far between. Well, and also, you know, I mean, think about it this way. I used to have, I remember I got it like a rummage sale. Um, I think at my grandparents, Jewish community center, like a, a VCR board game that was of like the best of like, however, 
many previous few years of commercials. Well, it's like commercials used to tell stories and yeah. back in the old days, older days, and just don't have that anymore. It's like, you know, back in back in the sixties and seventies, a commercial break sometimes just be one commercial. Because it would take up that whole break telling the story or whatever. I mean, mm-hmm. you can see it online when you look at some of these old commercials and look at the runtimes, just one commercial. Especially during sports games. You know, so eh. It is what it is. So anyway. All right, so let's talk about Patreon. Patreon knockoffs last between the sheets. And uh, yes, it's the end of December as we record this. And as you listen to this, we are in 2022. So January is here. And we have uh, done the two parts on John Collins' Mid Championship Wrestling, which we've talked about ad nauseum. So there's that. But now we're going to talk about Joel Goodhart. Yes. Our January uh, Patreon show will be on Joel Goodhart and his TWA, the original Super Indie in Philadelphia. And uh, we'll have a lot to talk about that on the show. We haven't recorded it yet, obviously, but we will be doing that soon. And uh, it should be very interesting as uh, Joel Goodhart was an interesting character in uh, Northeast Wrestling in the late 80s, early 90s. And we'll talk a lot about that and... You know, his wrestling radio deal, his storm, his trips, and how all that ended up leading to open up his own promotion and booking all the major top free agent talents uh, pretty much in America and even some from around the world. And uh, ran some big shows in Philadelphia and, and the surrounding areas through uh, for a couple of years there and uh, we'll talk about all that of course Eddie Gilbert, Cactus Jack and their series and just the, the cornucopia talent and some you know pretty interesting matchups plus all the, the young local guys that were uh, on those shows kind of like Sandman and JT Smith and others so should be really interesting and then we'll get into the uh, how the, how the uh, promotion folded up and, with Joel and his financial issues and We'll talk about Todd Gordon, his involvement. And there's going to be a lot going on in this show. So, well, also don't forget, of- um, it's kind of, almost feels kind of secondary, but also the uh, all the debates about the overkill with the blood on the shows too, especially once they got to the point of the last blood battle royal. Yeah, so there's a lot going on, and and uh, if you're a fan of the Northeast shows we've done, ECW related, even John Collins and stuff like that, then you'll into the show as well, I think. So, five dollars a month at patreon.com slash between the sheets can get you access to that, plus all the other shows that we have done in the five years of our Patreon. Should we so give people uh, a little bit of a refresher on some of the stuff that's on there? Because I feel like it's been a while, and well, you know, you can scroll, you can scroll through it and see the show names, but it's been a while since we've given any a lot kind of, of idea. There's a lot of shows. Well, I'm just and giving got a general a, and idea. We, and, we, <laughs> and we gave a free and we gave a free show uh, as a Christmas gift, for everybody. The uh, each and pay per view show that we did, the build up to that, and uh, with John Philipavich. and yeah, so we, we we've got that. Well, you know, we've done the shows, all the shows we've done on ECW, a lot of those. Uh, Eddie Gilbert centric shows, the Global Wrestling Federation shows, Sid. Uh, Kip Fry's WCW, uh, with his face, George Scott's WCW. We've done a lot of stuff. 
So end of world, end of the original pre Jarrett world class and AWA, um, death of Art Bard, death of Gilbert, like you alluded to, and yeah, of course, be the uh, Pillman show too that we did. Well, I guess now last year. So yeah. there's a lot, and also you know, Sailor WCW is one I feel like we don't necessarily pimp retroactively as much as we should, and I. Th- feel like we probably should, and maybe also we shouldn't use the word pimp like that anymore either. But um, I, that, like, that second part, I think, especially that we did, though, when we figured out that not, nothing was really Jamie Kellner's fault, people need to listen to that if they haven't. They definitely need to check that out. Listen to both parts, but the the really juicy stuff comes in part two. Yeah, so five dollars a month, and once you do that, you can see all, all the shows that we've done and uh, experience that. So, uh, well, with your buddy, your patreon.com slash between the sheets. Dollar a month gets you access to the Discord, and thanks to this segment, which we'll do in just a minute. Twenty five dollars lets you pick a show for a week, like Sean Doherty has with this show right here. So, whenever you want to do that, uh, figure out what show you want to do, and also have another one in your mind. Just in case somebody may have picked that week, or we may have already done that subject on a show in the past. We've done a lot of shows now. So, uh, and, you know, sometimes people forget, you know, what, what's been done and what hasn't. So, and may, and may not know that the date of this thing you know, that they want to talk about, you know, could have been, you know, somewhere else. So, I mean, it's a lot of factors that goes into play. So you definitely want to have a couple of shows in mind, I think. And make sure you let us know why you want us to do this show so we know, you know, how to line it up just in case. Because, again, you may be confused by by the t- the dates of stuff. So do that. Follow the protocol on the Patreon website. Get that information in before 30 days. Of course, 10-year rules in effect. Um, Wednesday to Tuesday, this, that, and the other. So you do all that, and then you should be good to go. Patreon.com slash Twin Sheets. All right, $50 as you send it for a segment of that show if you choose, and 100 for the whole show if you choose. So you do all that, you should be good to go. All right, Big Smith, this week is our new and or returning patrons. All right, we've got a bunch here, including several who have to do the pay a year in advance thing, which, remember, if you want to do that, you get 16% off if you pick the $5 tier. So that comes out to, I believe it's 50 40 for the year, I mean, some places, I think, if it's in other countries, there might be some extra stuff or whatever tacked on because there are maybe some people have added more on manually. I don't know. But uh, yeah, 16% off is what you get. So 50, 40 a year. And someone asked me if it's intentional that that comes out to 420 a month. And I said, no, that was no, that's not <laughs> a bit. That that's just the uh, most they let you take off is sixteen percent. I would have rather have gotten it to uh, what you call it. I would have rather gotten it to a flat fifty dollars, but we we go about what they do, what they yes. set, what they how they set it up. Yes, I don't know why they don't just let people choose that option either, but it is what it is. Who knows? So anyway, we would like to thank. Uh, hold on, did I accidentally get rid of someone here? When I was putting the list together. Okay. We'd like to thank Ryan. Thanks, Ryan. Dusty Finish, who went from uh, monthly to annual. Thanks, Dusty Finish. As did uh, Tim uh, Bewald. Thanks, Tim. 
as did uh, JD. Thanks, JD. I'd also like to thank William Holton. Thanks, William. Dustin Salyers. Thanks, Dustin. Jesse Phillips. Thanks, Jesse. New uh, annual subscriber, Jake Dodge. Thanks, Jake. That'd be a heck of a wrestler name. It's like it's it would simultaneously be a good wrestler name, but it does also kind of count. The kind of count kind of sound like an NXT name too. Jake Dodge. Anyway, maybe yeah. Uh, Wrestle Donick. We would like to thank. Wrestle what? Donick. D O N O. Oh, okay. And I see. So I guess like Sardonic okay, or something. Yeah. Well, thanks, Wrestle Donick. Okay. All right. The next one I'm going to say for last, even though they come next chronologically, you'll understand why. Uh, longtime patron in front of the show, Andy Toth, went to annual as well. Thanks, Andy. Uh, new annual patron, Russ Bixler. Thanks, Russ. Which, yes, that is a real last name that I've seen multiple people have, and it has nothing to do with me. Uh, You're Bix and Span. Right. Uh Oliver Clothesoff, who I think is a returning patron. Well, thank you, Oliver Clothesoff. Uh, no, the next one is not Amanda Hung Hugging Kiss or Ivana Tinkle. Huge ass. Yeah. I'm huge ass. Jack Mehoff. No. Huge ass is the best Simpsons one because it's from the Flaming Moe's episode, and it turns out there actually is a huge ass there. Yeah. And Bart just levels with him, and huge ass is very understanding and agrees to just end the call and anyway, mm -hmm. blake neal we would also like to thank thanks blake matt geske i think or gesk i'm not sure g-e-e-s-k-e -E. well thanks matt and the one i skipped over earlier and i'm saying for last for a few reasons as we'll get into is pabst blue ribbon thanks pabst blue ribbon the beer okay so I see this and I'm like, okay, well, the Pabst Blue Ribbon account did follow me on Twitter a few days ago. Now mm -hmm. let me see, did they follow the show account too? Let me pull that up real quick. I didn't think of that part till just now. All right, so let's see if I click on the sheet Twitter profile, follow They don't follow me, I tell you that. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's a very wrestling uh, deal. It is. Um, and okay, so for whatever reason, so okay, I guess you can only look up verified followers on your own account if you're already verified or whatever. So, like, I opened it while logged into my regular account, and well, I guess it wouldn't matter anyway. So, I can't sort by verified, so I can't do that. So, I'd have to, I would have to log into the Between the Sheets account. And check, and I guess check, and then, and just, well, and then just click on the Pabst account. But I think it's possible this is at least the person who does the Pabst Blue Ribbon social media. I mean, you know, they're not using a uh, Pabst, like, email or anything. But the timing makes me think it could be whoever that is, right? Well, if they want to sponsor us, we'd be glad to have them sponsor Oh, God, yes. Well, and <laughs> I've definitely been hearing rumblings that they're trying to get more involved in wrestling stuff like that, so that's probably a good excuse to DM them. So, anyway. So, yes, we thank you. Get on that, Blue Ribbon. 
Yes, thank you, Pat's Blue Ribbon. So, anyway, Pat that's Ribbon it for new and returning patrons. God, God knows they used to be big in the, the boxing game way back in the day. You know, 50s, 60s stuff. So, yeah, it's interesting seeing... I know they're big with Game Changer, you know, involved with them, so... Yes. Yeah, who knows? Um, and no, it's not Aaron yes, Cannon either, right? at least going by the email. So we thank all you new patrons, returning patrons, patrons been there from the beginning. Come on the way. We thank all of you for being with us on patreon.com slash between the sheets. All right. IWTV, Bix. Uh, as we record this, they haven't done their year-end spectacular yet, so that should be uh, either well, up as we're recording after... this... We're in the middle of the Restival as uh, we're recording this, the first day of it. Yeah, but I'm saying I don't know if it'd be up on demand immediately or how they do that. So uh, there's I, that. I would but think what else? Is- most of it will be by Monday because I think it's Thursday, Friday, Saturday is what they're doing. Um, so well, yeah, what's so, caught your eye here? Um, I know at least of the stuff that's happened so far today. I didn't see it yet because I was out when the show was going on. But I know that. Uh, Boomer Hatfield lost his mask uh, on the Pizza Party Wrestling show, and that was apparently a big deal, which resulted in a bunch of people on Twitter commenting on how so many of the masked extra car people turned out to be incredibly handsome, which was an interesting move on Twitter for a bit. I guess so. I mean, it's Max Zero's gimmick, pretty much. So that ties into it, too. But that's going on, um, you know, shows from various, you know... uh, friends and acquaintances of the show and people involved. Like, I know Dylan Hales did commentary on that show. Um, there's the action and sup uh, effort. Uh, Kevin is the name, which is the name of the show well, during the weekend. Which there was some re- rebooking going on on, the, on these one of Well, there's a rebooking shows. on a bunch of the stuff going on because I don't think if they, they've said why yet, but Alex Shelley was not able to uh, make it for the weekend, which... I got an idea what might be going on. That well, given, yes, that his day job is, I believe he's a physical therapist that works with a lot of people that are immunocompromised, if I remember right. Yeah, COVID mania is running wild again. So, uh, yeah, record-breaking days in Georgia every day. The more new cases, since the pandemic started, every day this week, every every day is broke. So, yeah, it's it's crazy. Yeah, some places like I believe here, I think we were maybe at case record level or near it, but. The death level. You broke it. I remember seeing. Well, yeah, it's not death. I mean, people, well, no, that's, that's what I was getting towards. But had death and hospitalization. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's not yet. helped by the vaccine. Yeah, that's part of it. Yeah, but this is also not as serious either. And and, and the Omicron's not as serious. Right. As like as we're recording this, I believe we're like a day removed, day or two removed from the news stories about how. Omicron may not be as contagious or lethal as previously believed. But still, I've known people that's had Omicron and and some of them have had some, some issues, so you still don't want to get it. No matter what. You don't want you don't want to get it at all. So No Yeah, it's understandable why you know somebody might wanna say, Hey, I can't do this or I'm not gonna be able to attend or whatever, you know? Well, especially with Shelley's J Dot. Well, yeah, especially somebody like him, absolutely. Yes, or uh, 
trying to think, is there anyone else that's like active on indies right now that's like a healthcare worker that we know of? Does Davy Richards count? Because he's an EMT. Yeah. Yeah, I guess, I guess Davy Richards would be one. But uh, there you go. But anyway, yeah. So that that's the restival is ongoing right now. Um, that's part of it. Or am I looking at something else that I clicked on? I don't see a date here. But yeah, a bunch of shows. We you know we talked about this a good bit. I think previous week or two. What caught my eye really was on the on demand, which. If there was an announcement of this, I missed it. Uh, I guess Tenru has a promotion now, Tenru Project, and they made a deal with IWTV. Well, that's interesting. And a bunch of shows from this year went up. Um, should I just click on a random one? They're all called they're they're called Survive the Revolution Volume Number Whatever. So let's see. Let's okay. Volume Three is the first one listed here, which is. From May 25th, and uh, we've got... Let's see, what do we have over here? Oh, we've got the Tenru Project International Junior Heavyweight Tile Tournament first round, which includes uh, such matches as Kikutaro versus Kenichiro Arai, Mazada versus Tsubasa, and uh, Yashi, so the former brother Yashi and all that, versus Kengo, who I guess that's Kengo Mishima? Probably. And also look on the undercard, got a six-man that has uh, Kaitiano and Kohei Sato. Is all caps Leona, Leona Fujinami? Yes, I think so. Yeah, so interesting array of names on there. And then let me see what the most recent one is. So the most recent one is from on here is from August. August 13th, Volume 8. And we've got on that, uh, what do we have a note here? Kaitiano versus Ikaro Sato. Oh, wow, we've got Ko- Koei Sato on this show in a six-man. We've got uh, Minoru Suzuki. Got an international junior highway title match. More Kikutaro. So, looks like some pretty interesting stuff on here. And it's been a while since they made any new Japanese deals, so that's cool to see on IWTV. Because remember, they've got Battle Arts. You know, they've got uh, Big Japan, and they've been having ongoing new stuff from Big Japan. So... Remember, IWTV is more international than people realize sometimes. Case in point, uh, I think it was a day or two before we are recording this, a new, uh, I don't know if I should call it Zona 23 or Zona Vienti Trace, but, you know, the junkyard, mainly deathmatch-type promotion in Mexico. They put up a show that Phil Schneider was raving about because it has a Black Terry versus Mr. Condor match. It's just a straight brawl that apparently is amazing, despite Black Terry. You mean uh, the ringers, Phil Schneider? <laughs> well, he only did one thing for them so far, but yes. But yes. Uh, yeah, it props to Phil for getting hooked yes. up with Bill Simmons and the ringer, absolutely. But yeah, Black Terry is 69 years old and apparently had a awesome match him. on this show from good. December 5th, so I'm curious to... Check that out. I'm not surprised because he is very well maintained as far as older wrestlers go. But uh, he's well preserved. That probably would have been better. Well, well maintained is good too. I feel like well maintained is puts it more on the person and what they've been doing to keep themselves in wrestling condition, whereas well preserved is more na- nature's course, if that makes sense. But anyway, you know, just scrolling through here and. To, Plenty of, I guess, well, not NWA, Upstate, whatever it's called, Upstate Pro, old stuff going up, bunch of Magnum Pro, various archival stuff from those going up in the last week or so. So 
all that at independentwrestling.tv. If you've never signed up before, if you're making a new account or whatever, use code BTSPOD. You don't get any discount or anything right now, but as long as you stay a paid subscriber, you help support us with uh, their little referral fee that they send us as long as you stay a paid subscriber. And I'm also just angry at Dylan for not telling you that he may have dealt with Tenru. I mean, I'm kidding, I mean, but yeah. actually, let's be realistic. He's probably, if, if Dylan's dealing with anyone that's actually on appearing on those shows, it's probably Kikatar. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how, how much Tenru is actually involved in day to day operations other than maybe doing some booking, possibly. But I, uh, I, I, I badly want to see a Zoom call, though. That's Dylan, Jerry, Kikutaro, and Tenru. <laughs> yeah. That would be interesting, wouldn't it? Yes. Now, would would Kikutaro be wearing the mask though? Um, probably not. He's Kikuzawa, and it's in that type of job, I would guess. Well, also, as he would say back in the day uh, when he came to the states, uh, Ebison mask looked like Ebison face. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. All right, so there's that. All right, Viper VPN. You gonna talk about that, or where, where are we at on that? Well, let's just see what happens in the next couple of days. I don't even want to waste the energy. <laughs> All right. Yeah, Actually, so well, some, uh, we... let me see what. I mean, they said it probably wouldn't be until next month, but let's see. If I go to our little thing right now, if I go to tinyurl.com slash btsvpn, uh, I see a holiday special. Oh. Okay, but no, no, they have not gone back to the rear yet. Okay. Alright, well, we'll see what happens there. You've, you've, you folks have listened to it, you know to deal with that anyway. So there yes, if if they persist with this, though, it'll be someone that we know is good that I've used before, obviously, but we, if this persists, we'll probably find someone who has a long-term plan and probably start switch to the referrals on that, because... Yeah. As much as we love Viper VPN, you know, it, let's be realistic. I don't think we would have been going as gung ho and doing these referrals if we were not getting seventy five percent of each sixty dollars subscription. Yeah, that helps. All right, so there's all that. All right, plug time. Exile on Bad Street. Walk on the wild side. Yes, it is up by the time you're listening to this. As we discussed the last three butts of 2001, Jeff G. Bailey, Dan and Dragon Wilson, and myself, and becomes basically a tribute show to Jimmy Rave as well, recently fallen brother, and uh, he's a main part of this show, which is why it becomes a tribute show to him, because, you know, he's um, got his big feud with J.C. Daz going on this time, you have the uh, four-way ladder match at Fright Night 2001, which was one of the matches that puts Wildside on the map among the uh, internet fans at that time. And yeah, we just talk a, we talk a good bit about Jimmy at the start of the show and everything. And uh, yeah, it, it's, it's really cathartic to uh, talk about Jimmy in that time period as compared to what he's gone through in recent years. Back when he was young, vibrant, and looking like the, one of the future stars of the business. So uh Really good stuff there. I'm really glad that we got to do that. And there's other stuff on the show, too. We talk about Friday Night 2001. We talk about Christmas Chaos 2001. All the stuff going on there. Including, uh, we talk about the Jeff G. Bailey Big Business Brown uh, angle that they do. And how 
it was basically a carbon copy of John Collins' main event championship wrestling in a way. They took something that was real and turned it to a, an angle. And uh, is Jeff talks about that, and you know, we have a great discussion about that. Plus, we talk about AJ Styles and his chase for the wild side title. We talk about the, what happens there. We talk about the iceberg making his day, big debut in wild side on TV. And we talk about how all that's handled and just so much more. So a, uh, excellent show. I thought, and, uh, the longest one we've done today, well, over four and a half hours. So it is a, quite the show, kind of a marathon type show, if you will. So, uh, Everybody should be looking forward to that as, uh, yeah, well, I think we, uh, did Jimmy good and it was just great to, to sit there and talk about him and all the other people that's going on in wild side. Cause this was a great era of wild side. You had a lot of young guys that were starting to really get hot and, um, yeah, it, it's really, really good. So everybody go check that out on uh, the feed as it's out. So there's that. All right. Um, next week on Between the Sheets, though, we go back to 1996, where it was an interesting time uh, in wrestling. That as, as uh, WCW is still having the Hulk Hogan, Ric Flair problem at uh, at Old Nitro, where fans don't like Hulk Hogan, they like Ric Flair, and Sting's caught in the crossfire. <laughs> so uh, we have a lot about that, plus all the other stuff going on in WCW. And there's some WC everybody moments as well, so everybody loves that. Then we have uh, Japan. We'll talk about the aftermath of the Tokyo Dome in a way. Plus all the uh, indies running Cork and Hall to begin the, the new year. So we got that. We also got um, uh, Mexico, of course, and all the stuff going on there. We got uh, the indie scene, USWA, um, which is kind of cooled off the Smoky Mountain feud now as we enter 1996, so they're starting to do some new things. So we'll talk about that as they're getting ready to uh, change the, the wagon, so to speak, in the promotion. We got um, a pay-per-view taped in the Sportatorium in Dallas. We'll talk about that. Oh. World Wrestling Federation. We got Raw. We got Billionaire Ted, Week 2. And this one's a very newsworthy one, uh, so to speak. And uh, Let's just say WCW wasn't too happy with this one in a few ways. Quite a few well, ways. Well, I mean, let's sum yeah. it up this way. The headline on the front page of the torch that week is WWF takes the gloves off. Yeah. So, um, yeah, they go full force here on this. So that should be interesting to talk about. And other things going on, including a great Shawn Michaels story that uh, finally gets confirmed. So... Yes, that's a that's a cliffhanger for you. And then uh, we got ECW, House Party 96, which features the end of an era as Public Enemy uh, leaves ECW at that, that night and the beginning of a new era as we have a lot of debuts and uh, the big Tommy Dreamer, Beulah, Raven angle begins. So, yes. ECW's on its ass, plus Shane, the, Shane Douglas returns the franchise on that show and a lot more. And since we're talking about that momentous show, which features stuff from the Observer Torch Lariat, so we got you covered all the way, John Philip Avage will be on with us for the first time in a long time. So Johnny P's going to be back, and uh, he'll have a lot to say, I'm sure, Was he on at ECW. That show? So, 
Uh, I, he didn't say if he was or not, so I don't know. But uh, we'll uh, we'll be talking about that and lots more next week on Between the Sheets. All right, you can follow me on Twitter at Chris Zellner, K R I S Z E L O N E R. Show proper at BT Sheets Pod. Bix at David Bix, and uh, anything going on with you, Bix, in uh, in the world? Um, soon. Um, I sh- did at least this week. I might try to get one everything up around over the weekend, but I did put up on the Substack something about how I uh just was digging around and I found some stuff in some old trade magazines, and I realized that uh, WrestleMania three was probably about the in terms of buys about thirty percent more successful on pay per view than we've been led to believe, and you'll see how I came to that conclusion. So, babyfacevheel.com for that. All right, so I gotta check that out. Well, that's it for us in this segment. Let's get back to the rest of the show. All right, let's uh, go to other North America now, and we begin in Canada for ECCW Extreme Canadian Championship Wrestling. Or, well, wait, were they still extreme, or were they elite by this point? I have, I have no idea. I didn't know they'd even change the name. I thought it was it, Extreme Canadian Championship Wrestling. I think it was Elite was what it became. Let me see. If I look it up right now, ECCW. Yeah, they became Elite Canadian Championship Wrestling at some point. I don't remember when the name change was. I don't know if Wikipedia says. But yes, they they are, these days at least, Elite Canadian Championship Wrestling. All right. Well, there you go. Um, they ran a show on December 29th in Surrey, British Columbia. And we have uh, these results. We have Amazing Halo over Mikey DeSheetsis. Okay. <laughs> well, whatever. Uh, Yakuza J. Is that like a Japanese version of uh, like a Slim J or a Violent J? It's Slim J wearing a sweater. Maybe. Over Nick Price, not the golfer. Then we have this match. Kyle O'Reilly over Nicky Matthews. Nicky? That's Nicole Matthews, of course. Yes, coming up together. Yeah. And they worked together yeah. a lot around this time in singles and tags. Like, before there was more of, like, an intergender thing on indies, you know, with... They were already, you know, because it's mainly, like, her and Veronica Vice, who we'll be talking about in a second, like... That's a great porn name. <laughs> yes. But they're doing a lot. They're doing, like, a lot of intergender stuff at this time by necessity, you know, which... For people who don't know, a lot of the intergender boom is that. It's needing more variety of opponents to learn from, in your given region especially. So, interesting little peek into their early careers here. But more yes. name, more recognizable names coming up, though, too. Yes, as uh, we have Billy Swade going to a double countout with Harv Shira. Bollywood Boys and his brothers on here, too, as we'll get to. The hardcore three-way dance, Sid Silom over El Fantasmo and Scott Henson. And yes, that El Fantasmo. Models Inc., Memphis Reigns and MR2 over Disco Fury and DeRay. Then we have a mixed tag match, Seth Knight and Aurora over Volcano and Veronica Vice. Aaron Idol and Gerv Shira over Asim the Dream and Cole Bishop. And a battle royal won by Veronica Vice. You know, and not taking away anything away from ECCW, because they always had pretty good talent, that's a lot more recognizable names 15 years later than you usually get from 
that part of North of America, you know, looking back. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because let's see, we've got one, two, three, four, uh, five, six. We got like, yeah, like half a dozen very recognizable names that have worked for major promotions in recent years on this show. Yeah. Yeah. It shows just how much talent was in that area at that time. Absolutely. Yeah, Canada had a little scene going in this era, and it just we get you know more and more as we go along. All right, speaking of Canada, Youth Television in Canada is airing the Thumb Wrestling Federation on Friday nights at six p.m. This would have nothing to do with pro wrestling except they use the term sports entertainment in promoting it. Well, that and they have thumbs that are built from Mexico that wear masks, luchador thumbs. <laughs> Well, this is actually a uh, a ripoff of something that Joe Pettacino and Bonnie Blackstone did on Superstars of Wrestling many years ago, where Bonnie Blackstone um, there was they did a thumb wrestling thing, and there was uh, a uh, King Kong Thumby <laughs> was, was a mass thumb mm-hmm. and. King Kong Thumby got the mask ripped off by Joe, and it was revealed it was Bonnie's thumb. You know, it's in one of these. It's in one of the uh, the videos that they is the in the video they aired as the, in the final episode of Superstars of Wrestling, where it showed like clip. You know the clip with Randy Rose controlling the State Patrol robot. Yes, that video. It's in that video where the Joe rips the mask off of King Kong Thumby. Well, I just saw so, the clip though of the Thumb Wrestling Federation. Oh, I can only imagine. So let's see, let's see what we've got here, and you can see the thumbnail already, right? Um, is it working? Yes. All right. Let's see. Yes, I see it. Hello, wrestling fans! What a match we have! Of course, the thumbs are hosts. Are the the. The hosts are... Are you tonight? He's not so good. Well, I think the... Dick Thompson and Dick Colonel Th- Cossack, with a, who, of course, is wearing a Russian-style hat. We both have mustaches. Yes. Kids are really gonna enjoy what it. What is even the point? Sooner or later, the wolves will come for us all. They are here already. I must crush them. Go get them, Colonel. Okay, fans, here come the wrestlers. Ladies and gentlemen, yeah, he's coming, right. he's seeing, he's really something. Yeah, that's right. In this corner, Vinny, yeah. Vinny Victory. Yeah. Yeah. Come on. Vinny is one of the next era's top contenders. He's a tough guy from a tough part of... Oh, I can't take this anymore. How did Jack Victory, how did Jack Victory not use this as an Italian gimmick? Vinny v- Victory. Okay, he could have been the FBI with that. Yeah, I'm skipping ahead to the action. So to speak. This doesn't look like the peanut butter museum. Dexteras, Sinistras, Thumbs Up, Throwdown, Lack em Up. Four, three, two, one. Who will be the strongest thumb? Holy moly, what a swipe! And another! Go get him, Benny! Flashback seems completely out of it. What in the world could possibly be going on in. The concept loses anything that makes it amusing within about three seconds. Yes, it this does. is terrible. It is terrible. Yeah, if you it, it's it, terrible. Yeah, if people want to look it up. It's 
Vinny Vidi Victory versus Flashback. It, yeah, if you just look up Thumb, Thumb Wrestling Federation on YouTube, it should be up there. It's on the Animation Collective uh, It's no channel. King Kong Thumbing. So anyway, yeah, I mean, the only thumb wrestling I ever did was I used the... Um, LJN. LJN Thumb figures, yes. Did you have the knockoff L- of the LJN Thumb wrestlers, too? No, no, I had, I had the... I had a... Uh, the, I had Piper and JYD. Those were my thumb thumb wrestlings I, I, I had. Now, did you ever have any of the AWA thumb wrestlers? Yes. Which were I had different. Stan, I, had, I had Stan Hansen and uh, Botwinkle. I had Martell and Animal, I think. I had I had something. I had I I can't remember which ones I had. With hindsight, by the way, it's very strange the kind of toys that my parents bought me when I was a toddler. Well, ages four and up, who cares? <laughs> Old thumb wrestling. Yes. But, but but there was thumb wrestling that, that later in life would actually the actual thumbs. That sometimes would happen in school, you know, when you get One, bored. One, two, three, four, you're, right, you're, you're, thumb more. you're playing paper football or thumb wrestling or rock, paper, scissors yeah. or shit like All right, enough of that. Mexico. I mean, Mexico on December 29th. Danger and Flash over Caligula, not the movie, and Masala. Amapola, Hiroka, and Mima Shimoda over Lady Apache, Marcella, and Sahori. Lino, Maximu, and Virus over Nichiro, Sangre Azteca, and Shigeo Kamura. Dos Caras Jr. Yes, Alberto Patron. At Io de Lismarck and Ribocanero over... What a team this is. Kenzo Suzuki, Peroff, and El Terrible. I guess, uh, well, I guess Terrible was the worker of that trio at the time. Good Lord. Uh, and then we our main event, Mystico, Negro Casas, and Valudo Jr. over Averno, Black Warrior, and Tarzan Boy by disqualification. This is pretty late for Alberto have, being in CMLL, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's during the next year, as we get into 07, that's when he leaves. So, yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, New Year's Day, Arena Claseo, Sombra de Pata, Supernova, teamed up to beat Caronia and Cobalto, Fabian El Gitano, Leono, and Tony Rivera over Apocalypsis, Locomax, and Rammstein. Nichiro, Sangaresteca, and Shigakamura over Maximo, Io de Tejano, and Virus. Mascara Año 2000, Universo 2000, and Terrible over Heavy Metal, La Mascara, and Volador Jr. And Butt Warrior, Olympico, and Tarzan Boy over Io de Lismart, Mystico, and Shocker. You made event. Same day, Arena Puebla. We have Phoenix. Not that one. Not the Phoenix. No. And Farajido over Kirvan and Murcielago. Astro Boy, Citella de Oro, and Lestat over Fonsa Chicana, Carisma, and Sikia Sama Jr. Amapala, Hiroka, and Rosa Negra over India Sue, Lady Apache, and Marcella. Mascara Año 2000, Universo 2000, and Scandalo over Coco Blanco, Coco Rojo, and Coco Verde, Los Piazos. And Black Warrior, Lipico, and Tarzan Boy over Negro Casas, Herba Cañero, and Shocker in the main event. And Arena Coliseo on the second mini fantasy over Sombrita. Danger, Molotov, and Sombra de Plata over Caliglia, Mesala, and Supercomando. Acajan de la Muerte, Ioda Kanek, and Nitro over Fabian El Gitano, Locomax, and Starman. Leono, Maximo, and Ioda Tejano over Ioda Perov, Sangre Azteca, and Shukeo Okomora. 
And Dos Caras Jr., Yodi Lismark, and Rilio Cañero of Atacuaya, Olimpico, and Universo 2000. Okay, if I remember right, we are in a CMLL footage drought in the States at the time, right? That is correct. We were getting pretty current AAA, but we don't really have any AAA I mean, shows of note this week, so we're not talking about that. Yeah. But, and, you know, looks like good shows, but was not easy to get a hold of them here at the time. Oh, no. Absolutely not. At least AAA was really good at the time. <laughs> yeah. That 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 saved things. It could have been ugly if it was a different period of time. But thankfully, this was one of the better periods for quality of modern AAA. But yes, yeah, it's CMLL. You know, good looking shows. Mystico still Mystico. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, nothing spectacular jumping out, but it all looks pretty good. Yeah. All right. Uh, IWRG New Year's Day in Arinakapan. We have Golem, my precious. Against Blackstone, not Bonnie Blackstone, but Blackstone, <laughs> Ave Phoenix and Bacteria over Commando against Commando Mega and Macho Dos, Freelance, the wrestler, not the independent promotion, Akonsavaje and Turbo over Avisma against Avisman, Black Thunder and Supremo Junior, Cerebro Negro, Dr. Cerebro and Suicida Mikisagura against Black Terry, Camorra and Fantasma de la Opera, and then the main event, Leono. Mr. Niebla and Negro Navarro went up against Masca Anjos Mil Jr., Shike Okamura, and Veneno. So, pretty typical of this era your... for them, where it's they're, they've kind of moved away in this time frame from having all the flyers up and down the card. And in this period, you're starting to get more Negro Navarro main events and Dinamites and Junior Dinamites. And Veneno and Well IWRG IWRG is about to get really, really good coming up. Well, I was this, about to say year. though, yeah, that we're about to get into the Black Terry Jr. putting stuff on YouTube era. Mm-hmm. Which was the first time Water. that we had gotten IWRG with any regularity in several years, right? Yeah. What is New Year's Day uh Polyforum when Gabriel went what is Magno Teamed up with Mima Shimoda and Otto the original one, to beat uh, Munyaka in Final, La Nazi, and Perutita Morgan. Then we have Takeda, Viano Tercero, and Viano Quattro over Cabarre, Yo de Fishman, and Yo de Cabarre. And the Incognito, that's the guy who would become Sin Carter 2 in WWE. Tinebulus. Yes, Tinebulus and Tinebulus Jr. Oof. Over Io de Solitario, Mascara de Maced, original, and Rey Mysterio Sr., which is interesting. Let's go to Tijuana, Baja Star Promotions, Auditorium Municipal Tijuana. We have El Galleno and Maldito and Mascara Negro over El Duende, Kimura and Sparks. Bull Rider and Spider Black over Angel Neco Jr. and Fabuloso Hernandez. King Azteca, Rubi Gardenia and Super Astro over Angel Blanco Jr., Cien Carlos Jr. and Phobia. Damian and Halloween beat Mo Mascaras in a handicap match. Yes. I knew that wasn't clean. And then a steel cage match where the loser lost his hair as Nietzsche Emilionario lost his hair in a match which featured Rey Mysterio Sr., Io de Rey Mysterio, and Super Parca. Now, I'm not sure about this one because I don't know if Rey Mysterio Sr. is making the Juarez to Tijuana 
uh, track on in the same day. Okay, so let me see. How long... Because, yeah, that's 12 hours by car. <laughs> I mean, you... There was an era where the same guys were working both parts of the country because it was northern Mexico and the border, but that's still a long drive. I mean, that's that's like that's like New York City to Chattanooga long. That ain't happening in the same day. No. So if we had to guess, it's the Juarez result that's wrong, right? It's gotta be. That's gotta a be. weird double booking, though. I wonder if he was just false advertised or what. Well, that's the other thing, too. He's going to be on the show that Iho Del Rey, De Rey is on, too. So I got to think he's on the Baja yeah. Star show. But... Am I accredited to the results on this? Um, let, me, let me see here. Let me go to, let me go to, to Lucha DB and see what yeah, I'm when the Yeah, I was one cleaning this... them up the formatting, I didn't keep the, uh, the credit from Lucha DB this time. Okay, I'm not credited on any of these. So okay, see. does it say who? Yes, listed as him twice. But so, it doesn't credit anyone for the results. No, it doesn't credit anyone at all. So, anyway. Well, it's a mystery, I guess. We'll but I gotta know. think it's Tijuana if you were one or the other. Well, uh, yes, Tijuana, because it's Tijuana. Well, yes. Well, okay, so now also, let me see. So, which El Hijo de Rey Mysterio is this okay let's see because there have been like at least four right and ray orders okay. is one right is one of them i mean um yeah okay so what years do we have for this um okay so this is the first eo de ray mysterio like who is that one actually his son no oh no so. this one is actually his son it looks like well there's like there was like multiples no, but I'm saying the first <laughs> one was his legit son. I think the second one is... Yeah, let me see the disambiguation page for this one. The first one is the legit son. I think the first one is also the one that got the same tattoos and contacts as Rey Mysterio Jr., right? So promoters could sort of half-ass false advertise him. Yes. Um, wait, is he Oruz now instead of Rey Oruz? Or is that a different person? Yeah, Oruz. I don't know what it is. Because there's an Oruz, Oruz on LuchaWiki, which I think is Ray Oruz, but that's what I thought, that that's the second one, but they're, it said, wait, impersonated the original during a tour in Bolivia. The third, or no, the actual second replaced the original after he retired. That, okay, that's Ray Oruz, the official second one. So <laughs> there's a, there's one that's named Orus that used the gimmick as a fake once, and then there's also Ray Orus, who was the actual second one. And then there have been, like, two or three more. There have been a lot. But this is the first one, who's the actual son. So, that's something, I guess. But we do have one more thing in the section, though. We have some Puerto Rico. IWA Puerto Rico, January the 4th. It Torres is Sabana Public Housing Project Arena. Yes, a arena in the projects. Oh, that's fantastic. In Carolina. Barbie Boy over Ray Andino. Tommy Diablo over Adam Mayhem. Carlitos over Bolo the Red Bulldog. Black Rose and Cruz over Diabolico and La Bernina. Diamante over Angel. Lightning over 
Bison, Chicano, and Jeff Jeffrey defeating Blitz and Mr. Big. In our main event, Glamour Boy Shane over Michael Judas. That's a man I know fairly well. In the main event, he is a uh, stalwart in the WrestleMania here in my neck of the woods and all over the Georgia indie scene. Been around for a long time. So there you go. It still works Puerto Rico to this day. Oh, so my. there you go. Michael Judas. Yes. Yeah, good. Who, who is good probably as good a worker now as he ever was. Props to him. All right, let's go to the indie scene here, and this should be something. Let's go to NWS. What's this, National Wrestling Superstars? Yeah, I believe so. Oh, what's his face that was the promoter? Um, Sleazy Dude. Um, the one who died a few years ago. Do you know more, right? I believe. Yeah, Sleazy Dude. You call an indie wrestling promoter Sleazy Dude. I mean, that could go for quite a few... Quite a few of them. No, but it, it's you know more, though. That It took me a second. All right, so we have two shows here. Long Branch, New Jersey, on the 29th. We had the Jersey Shore title, where Nikki Oceans, perfect name, retained over Prince Camel Al-KC. Uh, King Kalua with the, that jobber, Salvatore Sinceri, Tom Brandy, defeated Draven. Antonio Malave and Fantastic Max went to a no contest with Corbus Fear and Mikey Pacifica. Billy Real won a four-way over Corey Havoc, Dan Pettit, and JR. Then we had a five-on-four handicap, two out of three falls match. I don't know. As Ali Golda, Sergeant James Storm, the Dark Patriot, and the Patriot defeated Salvatore Sinceri, how, wait a minute, how's that possible? The Psychedelic Sissies, what a name, and TNT, Ace Darling and Shane Taylor, not the Shane Taylor. Not Texas, ROH Shane Taylor, no. Um, and then we had, killing, well, let me read the second one, then you can talk about the whole thing. Okay. Then we had, uh, <laughs> on the 30th, Killing, Killingsley Middle School in Danielson, Connecticut, not named after Brian. We had Shotwave over Bobby Flamingo. Corvus Fear defeated Gavin Quest and Nikki Oceans in a three-way. The famous clown and the Patriot over Prince Camel, LKC, and Saddam Insane with King Rancid Akbar Adustink. I don't know. Spike Dudley over Romeo Roselli. Antonio Malave over Mikey Pacifica. And then a loser gets a haircut match. Brutus the Barber Beefcake v. Salvatore Sinceri with King Rancid Akbar Adustink. I'm lost, Vix. You think I can help that much? I mean, <laughs> okay. Um, I love that it's a loser gets a haircut. That it's not hair versus hair. It's a loser gets a haircut. Yeah. And by the way, it's you didn't spot the uh, Bruce Hart level joke. It's King Rancid Akbar. I do stink. What a, I mean. Yeah, I'm just saying that's whatever. what the jo- the alleged joke is supposed to be. Uh, I, yeah, which wasn't necessarily clear. Um, yeah, I'm with you on trying to figure out who the Patriot on that first show is because it's clearly not Tom Brandy or who the Dark Patriot uh, would be because I got to think it's not Dougie. No, and I love that there's a Shar- Sergeant James Storm when there is a much better known wrestler named James Storm on national television. Maybe maybe the Patriots the original Patriot. No. Although, okay, so wait a second. 
Wendell Wilkes started to do appearances again. I don't think he did any matches, did he? Oh, I don't know. Because wasn't there a thing that he ran into Brandy at some point? But I don't remember if it was a convention or whatever. I'm sure they probably caused cross paths. Yeah, and of course, Brandy changed his story over the years from like, oh yeah, he sold me the gimmick to, well, there was a bunch of fake patriots. Why are you, what are you coming after me for? Ah, fuck off. (laughs) But, yeah, for what it's worth, even Cage Match doesn't have anything for Del Wilkes as the patriot after 97. Well, there you go. Do you have any guesses, by the way, as to what the last match of Del Wilkes' career is? Uh, the one that's on record? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Losing to Jim Neidhart by DQ on Shotgun Saturday Night, taped in Tulsa at the convention center. Hmm. How about that? Yes. All right, um, Blackball Wrestling Organization. And by the way, to be clear, that's Blackball apostrophe D. On December 30th at the Top Gun Wrestling Academy in Phoenixville, Pennsylvania, we had this this card, and what a card this is. There's a lot of fucking matches. Fizzle <laughs> over Alex Payne, Ernie Osiris, and Mitch Franklin by DQ. Handicap match, Ricky T and Tiny R. Williams over Brian Harley, Cabby, and Jason Karloff. A four-way elimination match, Dark Angel over Draven Blaze, Rebecca Payne, and Saint... Four three handicap match, Chucky Wynn, Max Havoc, RGP, and Tank Thomas over Reek and Havoc. Chloe Frost and Question Marks, Tino and Rick Feinberg. Bill Bain over Rhett Titus. BWO tag title match, Black Bald. Greg Matthews and Rock and Rubble. Well, that makes sense. Retained over Joseph Brooks and Lance McIntyre. Matt Bomboy over Bazooka Joe. Massive Mike over Alan Cross. Salvation 2K6, Judas Gray and Mike Brown over the Crotch Stomp Kings, Bolo Bowden and Cutter Jackson. Cage won a BWO heavyweight title battle royal. And Kid Chaos beat Pelly Primo to win the BWO interstate title with special referee Rock and Rubble. Huh. I wonder whose license they were using. I'll just tell you this, folks. If it was, I was doing the notes, this this show wouldn't have been in there. Well, no, I mentioned. <laughs> no, here's why I included this though. Two things. One, and no offense to fairly fairly primo. No, 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 no. But rock and Re- the rock and rebel stuff. But also, this appears to be a promotion using a lot of ROH students at a time where it's still kind of unsure how much of a role the students will have in ROH. So I found that kind of interesting because if you think. You know, we've got Alex Payne, Mitch Franklin, Ernie Osiris, Pelly, uh, Rhett Titus. There's probably more I'm forgetting that we didn't even realize were ROH students. So, I don't know. I found that interesting. I'm glad you did. All right, let's go to HWA in Ohio at World War Three on December 30th in Dayton. Deja Vu over Quentin Lee. Three-way Christian Vaughn over Jeff Cannon and Robbie Starr. Allah Hussein over Tack by disqualification. A super indie battle royal won by Ed Gonzalez. We got some wonderful indie names God. on this show. Just name, uh, just as far as the actual names, not name value. Gotti over Rick Byrne. Hardcore Hell match Chimera over Brian Beach. And a four way for the vacant HWA heavyweight title as John Moxley. Yeah, him. 
defeated Brian Jennings, JT Starr, and Unibrow Matt Stryker. Andre Hart over Josh Rafferty by disqualification. AJ Sparks Heather Owens over Lexi Lane and Nevaeh. In a six-man War Games match, Irish Airborne, Dave and Jake Chris, and Ganger defeated the Mavericks, Aaron Williams, Aaron Washishian, and Scotty Murray. And they had a TV taping a couple days later at the HW Arena in Cincinnati. Chris Carnage, Chris Carnage over Ed Gonzalez by DQ. Tech over Scotty Murray. Gotti over Camara. Brian Jennings beat John Moxley for the HWA title. Matt Strucker over JT Starr. Sammy Callahan over Tariff the Great by Countout. And then the Mavericks, Aaron Williams and Alan Washishian over Foreign Intelligence, Allah Hussein and Quinton Lee. Hmm. Gotti, I got to think, is hype Gotti, right? Uh, maybe I don't know. I, it didn't hit me until now. Um, Could be John Gotti. I don't know. Interesting to see him. You know, early Moxley here. Um, fuck Dave Christ, of course. And now, <laughs> speaking of terrible people, do you remember who Andre Hart is? Uh, no. Andre Hart was that asshole who found out he was HIV positive and then tried to spread it as to, to as many women as possible. Yeah, that's not good. Yeah. So it's some very Ohio results here. Of course, we got Sammy Callahan. Nice seeing Tarek in action this late, too. Um, I had no idea Nevaeh was around this long. Did you? Uh, no. Yeah, I had no idea she was that much of a veteran. I don't remember hearing of her until the last couple of years. Did you? Um. Yeah, kind of. So I thought that was interesting, too. All right, um, NWF. This is from Kentucky. They ran Wall to Kentucky on December thirtieth. We had Chad Allegra over Crybaby, Tiny Tim, not the singer, uh, over Christopher Michael Lotus, Ice and Stewie Backlund over the Thugs, Nasty Russ and Team Money by disqualification. Tony Bryant won a three-way over Austin Meddler and Zodiac. Lady Victoria over Sin D. The Hippies. Kill, kill, kill the Hippies. Jesse Hyde and Pompano Joe over King Kahuna and Muldoon by disqualification. Dr. Melvin Winkleman over Bodacious. No, no, no tatas at the Bodacious. And then Abyss, over, Abyss and Chris Harris over Roger Ruffin and Ryan Stone. I, I promise not to make any jokes trying to figure out why Abyss and Chris Harris are teaming. Um... Well, they, uh... I'm guessing they're, they're the same you know, booking been, agent. Well, they've been around together for years and oh, years I, and years, so why not? Um, I don't think I knew that Carl uh, Anderson worked under his real name. So this has to be very early for him to be working here as Chad Allegra. Although, actually, now that I think about it, he was Chad Allegra when he went He'd to already the been dojo, He was right? a nookie dojo. That's uh, Chad Allegra, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. that's right. I forget. It took me a second to remember that, that he wasn't Carl Anderson when he went to the dojo originally. Um, and of course, we should mention, since it came up several weeks back with the Pillman thing, Walton, Kentucky is basically Cincinnati. Yes. It is a uh, Cincinnati yeah, suburb. Right. Yeah. All right, Coliseum Chanchip Wrestling. Yes, they were still around here in 1997. Yeah. January, January 3rd, Veterans Memorial Coliseum in We have a deaf sigh over Smoke A. CCW lightweight title, JP Lightning defeated the Canadian Kid by disqualification. Found didn't change hands. Gypsy Joe with Jesus. Well, 
They're close to the same age. Me and Scotty McKeever. <laughs> that might be the greatest result of ever. <laughs> Lone Star with Penelope over Dewey Dawson. A no DQ match for the CCW tag titles is just John and Tim Renesto. Uh retain their titles going to double count out with Damage Incorporated, Anthony Blaze and James Jay Grunge with Lil Brother. Damage Incorporated. And a CCW heavyweight title, Mitch, me, uh, Mitch, uh, Mitch Ryder retained over uh, Tracy Smothers with Jonathan Stone by DQ in 1245. I thought this was nice to see because it felt like it was very rare that we actually got results from CCW. I used to have them all the time when I used to do it. I don't know if any of these result sites ever used them or picked them up, but yeah, I used to go to their website and get information. Mm. So I was one of the few that did. <laughs> all right, CW Mid Atlantic early show in their run. They ran Battlecade Seven on so the Thirty Carolinas. <laughs> Obviously not. Uh, the Carolina Sports Arena in Burlington, North Carolina. Eh, earlier for them, I guess, because they're still still going, ain't they? Or close, still going? I don't know. Uh, 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 this is Flex over Gregory Versetti in a dark match. Then we had a... Uh, I see a four-way match. Okay, something's wrong here, Bix. So we have a match number two has the match, but no participants. Because they're listed at number three. What happened here? Uh, did this did this get screwed up in the in the process here? Because there's four guys in this match list as number three. I didn't redo the numbering, so I'm guessing that's how it was on Cage Match. <laughs> well, okay. I didn't change the go. numbering on anything. <laughs> All right, Roy Wilkins beat Cecil Scott, Jerry Wayne, and Justin Flash to uh, win the title. Wait, is that our Cecil? I guess so. I didn't. Then Corey Edsel. Corey Edsel, Edsel, Cornelia Slumpkin III, and Persephone be Alex Adonis, Dick Foley, and G-Star. Otto Schwanz over Damian Wayne. And no one contender match for the AWA slash CWF Mid-Atlantic Tag Titles. Donnie Dollars and Mitch Connor with Brad Stutz defeated Chris Collins and Lee Valiant. Then we had Jake Manning with Ty Dillinger beating Brad Attitude. That match probably could still take place today. Uh, Christmas Chaos Rules for the AWA-CWF Mid-Atlantic Television title as Steve Green defeated Brass Monkey to win the title. Brass Monkey. Jesse, or- Jesse Ortega, which cannot be Jesse Ortega from Southwest back in mm-hmm. the 80s. And the Gemini Kid over Kamikaze Kid and Ultra Dragon. And an AWA World Heavyweight title match. Rick Converse retained his title beating Joey Sylvia. In a match that went 29-35. Okay, so my first question coming out of this is, who that went through CWA Mid-Atlantic in this era would have been in NXT when Sean Spears got the title in Jordan? Because that can't be a coincidence, can it? I don't know. I don't see any names on here that stick out. Right, because I'm just thinking as far as people that would be around at all, and just in that area even, like, Carino wasn't part of NXT yet when... Spears was there, right? No. So I don't know who that who it would be. Like I'm, I'm trying to remember. Were there any coaches that? I mean, maybe guest coaches, right? I, I I just can't think of that many people. Oh, wait, were the revival already there? Mm, when yeah. he came in as Ty Dillinger, because they had long developmental runs, right? 
Yeah, they were around a while. Well, plus also, I forgot to look up Dax and Dawson's old ring names. They could very well be on this show, right? I guess I don't know what their old names were. I don't don't either, but but my point is, though, is that that's the only ones that make sense, I think, right? I guess. It's also just fun to look at this promotion, just some of the names that always stuck around. And I don't mean that in a bad way or anything, but it's like... CWF shows, so of course, you got some Reconverse, you got some Gemini, you know? Yeah. Um, what was the name that jumped out of me earlier? Persephone, too, of course. So, well, she was around a long time. Huh? Oh, yeah. All right. Um, NWA Anarchy, the, the former NWA Wildside. They said, we got a report that Slim J roughed up and gave a black eye to Sal Renaro. At the December 30th NWA Anarchy show during a match, Renaro didn't fight back and ended up apologizing to people in the locker room after it happened for how he'd been acting. Apparently, the locker room had heat on Renaro for things he said about the promotion. I'm sure we'll cover that in five years on Exile <laughs> and Bad Street. What would Sal have but said yeah. that would have gotten him heat to the point that Slim J would have decked him, though? Sal, Sal Renaro is, as far as I know, a pretty mild-mannered guy. Yeah, but he's good. he could talk. He's, he could talk. Well, so you, you got a promo for sure, but interesting there. All right, there's but... a lot of names on this show. Yes. It, just, it says Helen. Helen, Georgia, here That's on what December it said. 30th. Yeah. Yeah, so it wasn't in Anarchy. It wasn't Cornelius. It was in Helen. A lovely town. Yeah. Um, That's where Oktoberfest happens in the state of Georgia. Yeah. It's uh, that type of town. Great town. Well, 600 uh, fans, see- too, which you could not get into uh, no. the la- landmark uh, Anarchy Arena, or whatever it's called now. Seasons Beatings 2006, with Anarchy TV title, Ace Rotwell retained over Jimmy Rave. And then a tag team turmoil, Brandon Phoenix and Brody Chase beat Adam Roberts and Jason Blackman, Bill Shatter and Truett Fields, Adrian Hawkins and TC Carnage, Maction, Kirby Mack and TJ Mack, Austin Cree, yes, Xavier Woods, and Hayden Young, Patrick Bentley and Seth DeLay. Um, and it says, okay, so that's it. So then we get into the, the individual matches, but there you go. So there you go. It's a tag team turmoil match. Yeah. Then we have Anarchy Tag Title match where the Urban Assault Squad, Nemesis, and Shadow Jackson retained over just to served Jason Justice and Mickey Free. And then we have AJ Styles over Jeremy Vane. And our giveaway title, Slim J over Salvatore Renaro, retain his title. And then we had the Elite, Jeff Lewis, Corey Chavis, Michael Junis, and Onyx with Jeff G. Bailey. Defeated the Devil's Rejects. Azrael, Iceberg, Sean Tempers, and Tank with Dan Wilson, the Reverend. And then our main event, Todd Sexton over Chad Parham, who was, of course, in Lost Boys as uh, Gabriel. Yes. And also, we've got... Wait, did I... Yeah, wait, you said Michael Judas, right? Mm-hmm. So we've got him working in Puerto Rico a few days after this. Yep. On the 4th. So that's neat. Great championship wrestling. The <laughs> former... George, well, it's the former Georgia championship wrestling. Because they moved to Phoenix City. They crossed the border and started running in Phoenix City regularly in, from Columbus. So now they're great championship wrestling. They ran Phoenix City on January 3rd. Open a match said Jonathan Davis, not the lead singer from Cord, but Jonathan Gresham over uh, Amy and Raw, Rios, excuse me. David Young. We have Daphne over Danny Inferno by disqualification. Defro over Mike LaFours. 
Columbus heavyweight title, even though they're not in Columbus. Chris Stevens with four touchdowns in one game. Crew Jones, more on him when I saw Bash Street. And Quentin Michaels over Bobby Sanford to win the belt. And then a GCW heavyweight title match as uh, Scotty Beach, great dude, defeated Johnny Swinger with Quentin Michaels by countout. Swinger retained his title. DQ. DQ, yes. Um, okay. So I got to say, when I'm looking at the results at first, I had to add the Jonathan Gresham in there because at, I'm thinking, like, wait, would that be John Davis? Let me double check. And then I was like, no, it's Gresham. So fairly early for him here. You know, the current ROA champion, and I guess is what we call him, right? Yes. Until they say he's not. Well, he is. I mean, he is, but you know what he I mean. <laughs> um, yeah, he row, is. Death yeah. Row, surely someone other than Death Row 3260, I would think. Mike LaFour is clearly a Mole Rats fan. Um, anything else of note here? I guess that's about it. Always good to see four touchdowns in one game. Crew Jones on a show, even if he's not in the ring. Mm-hmm. Full throttle wrestling. They were in the country music barn in Elkmont, Alabama on January 2nd. Eddie Paul and Phil Wilson over Charlie Dreamer and Keith Courageous. Kurt Nichols over Billy Ray Grant. Elimination match, four-way. Christian Haim over Brevin Holt, Jeff Jamison, and Tony V. FGW tag titles, Jeremy Flint and Sean Pete retained over Stan Hill and Wayne Douglas. Street fight, Cabana Man Dan over Insane Lane. And then FTW heavyweight title, Dave Mitchell defeated Freak Show by DQ. Freak Show retained this title. Nice to see some early Cabana Man Dan. Yeah, it shows how long he's been around. Yes. No, he did not become that good a babyface overnight. That guy, that guy's got some experience. Yeah. All right, let's break up the indie scene here and go to uh, this for Figure Four Weekly. Sobe Entertainment, which is the indie label that signed Brooke Hogan, has put up a new Hulk Hogan website. That's HulkHogan.com. Better get up there now while you still can. There are some fun facts about the Hulkster, including while well, suspended from WCW in 2003, Hogan disguised himself as Mr. America, complete with red, white, and blue Captain America getup. He shouted at boss rival McMahon, I'm not Hulk Hogan, brother. Also, Hulk has an artificial hip. And my favorite, Hulk routinely told his little Hulk maniacs to train, see your prayers, take vitamins, and believe in yourself. In 1994, he made using the steroids for 13 years. The Hulk vitamins were discontinued. <laughs> Jesus. HulkHogan.com. <laughs> Jesus. I was there. And I... Also, I like how that's the only thing there that's completely truthful. Or more or yeah. less completely truthful. Because <laughs> Mr. America was obviously not in WCW. And I don't think Hogan has ever gotten a hip replacement, has he? I certainly don't think he did by 2007. No. That's that Piper. Yeah, well, yeah. That's bizarre, though. It's Hogan. Yeah. So, when you spit. I remember everyone. <laughs> like we said before. Those were the number one selling vitamins in the country at the time. Yeah. If the steroid scandal doesn't happen when it does, who knows what Hogan's trajectory is from that? No. You know? Oh, yeah. Also, did the vitamins oh, yeah. even have WWF branding on them? I don't remember it. I don't think, I think it had it WWF Hogan. logo. Yeah, I, I, I think it was done through them in some form, but yeah, the, their logo wasn't on that, too. So I got to think he was getting most of the 
licensing. Yeah. So, interesting little item. All right. To close up the indie section, we go to Booker T's PWA, which made their debut on December 21st in Pasadena, Texas, which included Booker, Charlie Haas, Tori Wilson, Mike Mondo, Shelton Benjamin, Umaga, Rob Conway, Rene Dupree, in the Boogeyman, which drew 400 fans. Now, Figure Four has a report on the show, said Booker worked the main event beating Charlie Haas. Then the angle afterwards setting up Sylvain Grenier and Rene Dupree against Charlie Haas, Shelton Benjamin for the next show. Umaga was said to be super over. Boogeyman, ditto. Tor Wilson, MVP, who introduced his wrestling brother, VIP, which is pretty creative, actually. And Mitch of the Spirit Squad also worked the show. Gee, I wonder why. You mean because his girlfriend Booker keeps some odd. <laughs> it is Tori Wilson, yes. Booker keeps some odd company. With WWE allowing so much talent to work the shows, wouldn't surprise Brian to see some sort of developmental deal set up eventually. He also did a student match that people were into, so Brian assumes Booker's made sure the students sold tickets to their family. I'd hope so. <laughs> and, P- and PWA is now reality of wrestling. Yes, and what a weird path that school and promotion had, too, because, you know, it'd come out over the next several months... Booker invested in, like, production equipment and making the building look nice for TV and stuff, thinking, okay, I'm an established main eventer, I live in a major metropolitan area, I have a school I'm putting together, it's gonna look all nice, I'm gonna get a developmental deal for for my school and promotion. But, uh, Big Johnny wanted to party in Tampa, so... Steve Kern got the deal despite not having a promotion or school at the time. Yeah, and but he, Steve Kern had, he had connections. He did. He could but, do things. But remember, though, it, FCW had been going for months before the building was even up to code and could have a ring in it. Remember yeah. how, like, the first six months or whatever it was of FCW was basically wrestlers, like, sprinting all day? Yeah. Very weird. Like, you can't blame Booker for being upset over this, though. Like, oh, if, no. if, if Steve Kern had had something set up already, sure. But the, it took, like, it was, if I remember right, they didn't have running water or restrooms or anything. And until they had that, they were not able to, like, have a functioning school or run shows at the building. Yeah. And it took forever. So it's, I totally get why Booker was upset and why it was one of the factors in him leaving later in the year. You know? I think it was that and also, if I remember right, he vehemently denied the signature pharmacy stuff that, you know, came out as a coincidence not long after the Benoit stuff about the wrestlers who were buying steroids and stuff from this internet pharmacy. And if I remember right, he was, like, angry that they didn't defend him more or something or that they suspended him because he felt he shouldn't be suspended. I forget exactly what. But that was one of the other big factors. And also leading up to that was his last Triple H program, the lead up to which during he insisted he sit in on production meetings to make sure Triple H didn't bury him in them. (laughs) Don't ever accuse Booker T of not being smart about this business. May not agree with his takes, especially on his show, or the fake takes that sound suspiciously like his actual takes on his show. But he, he knows what he's talking about. And now let's close out with total nonstop action. And yes, we go to Figure Four Weekly 
and Brian Alvarez for Impact. We were promised violence tonight in the show opening graphic. Samoa Joe and Jim Cornette had a meeting backstage that involved much yelling and screaming. Joe demanded the match with Angle. Cornette said no, he's got to wait. And besides, Kurt had a match tonight. He asked him to please go home. Joe was like, no way. Angle started something and I'm going to finish it. This leads to Robert Rude going to get Rhino. Rude refused to let Tracy come down to the ring with him. They got about four minutes. Tracy finally ran down. Apparently, during the four minutes she was gone, she got another boob job. She tried to distract Rhino, but ended up distracting Rude, and Rhino rolled him up for the pin. Rude was yelling at Tracy when AJ Styles ran down for a brawl. Rhino cut him off and went for the gore, but Rude ran back down to make the save for AJ. God, this show drives me nuts. AJ laid out Rhino with a Styles clash, which was at least impressive feat. I'm sure it was, considering, well, considering how the Styles clash is done and a guy of Rhino's size. Yeah, and the... I'm trying to think how their heights match up. But it's more the thickness, because Rhino is uniquely broad. Yes, that's what that, that's what I was talking about. Yeah. Um, He's, it's broad. Also... <laughs> Boy, can you tell who's booking based on what match is opening the show? Robert Roode yes. versus Rhino with Tracy Brooks at ringside. Yes. Gee, I wonder. <laughs> I'm sure they're Canadian. So, there you go. All right. Um, Jeremy Borash is awaiting word from Cornette about the three-way title match at Final Resolution. What word? Brian guess technically on TV they haven't announced a three-way yet. <laughs> Eric Young ran up. The gimmick is he's a geek that's never had a girl. And he's looking for sex advice from Jeremy Borash. Brian's not making this up. So Tracy came up and said she needed whatever she wanted him to do done by next week or she was going to, in- to inexplicably fire him from TNA. After commercial, Joe was ranting and raving about the angle situation. Brian's trying to figure out why if Tracy can fire Eric, she just doesn't tell him to sign with Robert Root Enterprises or be fired. Who knows? TNA. So next we get... Very cool men came out wearing sombreros and such. It's uh, Brian Gerard James and uh, Kip James, Billy Gunn, in their Voodoo Ken Mafia gimmick with VKM, which is... So Brian spelled it very K-O-O-L. Yes. They today, Mike today want to know what more these guys had to do to get the attention of the real VKM. We're still waiting! Today has to hate his job. Brian, me seriously. BG cuts a promo saying it's been four weeks, still no word from Vince. No phone call, no email, no text message, no skywriting, nothing. He said he couldn't solve a problem by ignoring it. If they kept ignoring the, the problem, we'd just keep getting bigger. Kip was screaming at him with a blow horn, which caused Sinead to make a Tracy joke. This is the worst TV imaginable. He reiterated they were putting up $1 million for this challenge. Did you know the company put the ex-nay on paying for rental cars and hotels for the talent? Oh, yes. But thank God they got one million set aside for this bullshit. Brian should also note this was taped four weeks ago. So it's a good thing WWE didn't accept. <laughs> BG said it was time to step their game up a notch. It was time to turn their attention to HBK. He said Sean was always his home doing on Wednesdays. So they were going to go to the Alamo this coming Wednesday at high noon. We won't be hard to find. We'll be the idiots wearing sombreros and ponchos. It's a good six minutes completely wasted. And speaking of, Kevin Nash is doing musical chairs for the X Division geeks. 
completely, utterly useless. And there's probably next week. All right, picks. <laughs> yes, because we're into this era, they have a YouTube channel. So we at least have the YouTube version of this segment, which runs under three minutes. So I can already see uh, one Brian Gerard James wearing a poncho and a sombrero, and he looks ridiculous. So uh, let's see what we've got here. You see, apparently, Operation WWE Live Event was not a complete success. However, it was not a complete failure either. Because we got your attention, didn't we, Paul Levesque? Yeah, we got your attention. But all we got from you was a fruity (laughs) smile and a funny little hand wave. Well, you see, that wasn't the answer we were looking for. That wasn't what we wanted to hear. But one thing it did tell us is that now it's time for us to step our game up a notch. Step it up a notch. Now what does VKM have in store for VKM? So now then, we turn our attention to you, Michael Hickenbottom. Oh my God. You're working on a light schedule. We know you ain't taking every booking that comes your way. So chances are on any given Wednesday, you're probably just kicking it in San Antonio. Am I right? It's Hickenbottom's hometown, San Antonio, Texas. (laughs) Well, not this Wednesday. Because you egg-sucking dog, this is where we call you out. You see, this Wednesday, we bring it to your backyard, San Antonio, Texas, Wednesday at the Alamo at high noon, Hickenbottom, if you got them, you bring them and try to collect that $1 million. You see, we'll be there. And we won't be hard to find. We'll be the idiots wearing sombreros and ponchos. Well, they stick out like a sore thumb, that's for sure. And they bring a bullhorn. So, Hickenbottom, if you got them, you come to the Alamo at high noon, boy, because we're calling you out. If you got them, Hickenbottom, you meet us at the Alamo in San Antonio, Texas, Wednesday at high noon. And Impact Zone, on Thursday, we will have the footage to show you just exactly what happened. Oh, the showdown next Wednesday at high noon at the Alamo. I can't wait till Thursday at Impact to find out what goes down in San Antonio. That's the worst fucking thing I've ever seen in my life. It's so... I mean, good God. This company. <laughs> you know? I mean... <sighs> uh, what can you say? I mean, it, it, it's stuff like this is the reason why I didn't watch TNA. I wasn't you watching know? either. <laughs> and, yes, you're right. This bullshit. Hold on, I'm trying to find something for really... <laughs> Why? Why even? I mean, why even devote your time for that? You know, I mean, it's so fucking challenge. The absolute highlight of this segment, though, was when they cut in a shot of fans applauding from a different part of the taping. Yes. (laughs) The the sweetening here makes current world wrestling entertainment look subtle. 
Yes. That crowd is on their hands, pretty much, the whole time. They literally had to find a very obviously non-matching clip of fans applauding in a cutaway to salvage this. I gotta say, having not actually watched Ah. it at the time and only read about it, now I want to see what else the other ones on YouTube look like. Not now, but I'm curious to watch them myself, because it's every bit as bad as I expected it to be, but in the most wonderful of ways. But wait, there is more! They interviewed Gail Kim, whose biggest weakness is her promos. Borash wanted to know about America's Most Wanted. This was hideous. Then James Storm showed up, and they got into an argument. Storm basically told her she had seven days to do something. What was not clear? But he was mad. To make that, he told her to choose between him and Chris Harris. But in the interview, Storm said Harris was not coming back, which means no choice necessary. This segment was impossibly bad. Oh, Runt! Who's Runt? Brother Runt, Spike Dudley. Okay. Uh, when I'm against homicide in a street fight, this was built as a Mexican street fight. So Brian's not sure why. He means he understands the street fight, but homicide isn't even a Mexican. Spike's head got busted up in a hard way. It was the side of his head. Homicide hit the acid drop, but then Conan Hernandez ran down to distract the referee. Yes, they had to distract the referee in a street fight. Also, I think he Brian meant Runt hit the acid drop. Yeah, yeah. Brian gets to avoid a DQ. Hernandez killed it with a border toss or to a ladder. And Homicide got to bed. Homicide tried to kill him with a cop killer afterwards, but Bubba and Devon, who are friends with Runt again, ran down to make the save. <sighs> Mexican street fight. Neither man is Mexican. And you can't blame Russo either. Uh, no? No, you can't. A video aired hyping up the Jerry Lynn, Christopher Daniels, Chris Saban match to pay-per-view. Yeah, that sounds good, but it also sounds like a match that's probably happened thousands of times in the previous few years in TNA and numerous independents. Shocking footage of Abyss and Jim Mitchell aired. Abyss was in the cage yelling and screaming as Mitchell hit him and taunted him. Apparently the fence was outside the prison. Mitchell said the sting bond would be broken tonight. Otherwise the world would know the whole horrible secret. The whole horrible secret is how is this supposed to pay-per-views? Brian loves Jim Mitchell, but this went on forever. And then, guess how it ended? Abyss went mad and goozled him. He was choking him and presumably killing him, and they just cut away. What the fuck? (laughs) To the black. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah, not to the back, to the black. Yeah. um, Christian If I remember right, the horrible secret is that Abyss killed his father... But that it turned out he didn't really kill him because Jim Mitchell was his father. He just wounded him. And then and then yeah. uh, Ricky Mandaris came in as Macias, who was somehow his brother. <sighs> Christian came out for his match with Kurt Angle. They couldn't just have a match, though. They had to do an angle first. Cornette appeared on the big screen and said the main event maybe was Sting versus Christian versus the Biss with Tomko banned from ringside. So then Angle was going to come down to the ring for the match, but before he got there, Joe ran out and kicked him, kicked his ass. Joe's up there in blue jeans and a black shirt. This is a bad idea. At least he wasn't in his khaki shorts like that one time. So he's beating down Angle, and Joe made a, his own 
so he's, he's been on an angle. Joe made his own comeback, and they went toe-to-toe. Uh, something's lost translation here. I mean, haven't <laughs> seen them wrestle enough in the last nine weeks. Have to fight more. Brian gets to convince us to pay to see them fight again. After the commercial, Cornette came out. If you think his ruling was they were fighting at the pay-per-view and this movie broke up right now, you're wrong. What he said was if they wanted to fight, they could fight. And security just had to protect the fans. So Joe and Angle continue fighting all over the place. Brian could not fathom the point of this. Angle and Joe basically had their third match free and unannounced here on Impact. So now they want us to pay $30 to see it again next week for a fourth time. So they went to the commercial, and when they came back, Cornette had decided, okay, we need to stop this now. So security tried to break them up. We need more men! Cornette was screaming. Now Cornette announced that they won the fight so bad, the match final resolution would be a 30-man Iron Man match. He means 30-minute. 30 30 minute. Okay, so here's what I think is happening here. Because this is exactly how it was in Figure 4. I know from personal experience that at least with Vinny, when he was doing the recaps of stuff, he was, at, at least once they were doing the podcast, which they were at this point, so I'm assuming similar for Brian, they were taking the notes they kept for the podcast and then basically expanding them a little into a review. So I'm guessing that's what's happening here, that Brian is just powering through his notes and not really considering that... He maybe did things in shorthand, and then the shorthand maybe had more than one meaning that he didn't realize, even though it's his own shorthand. That's the only sense I can make of this, because we've noticed a lot of weird editing mistakes that he and, I guess, Vinny editing it would have made at the time. Yeah. All right, so um, suddenly Christian jumped the angle, and Tonko demanded to hit the ring bell starting the match. What a coincidence. It's a bit slip for the bit of it. Christian versus Angle. Angle almost immediately hit him with a German, but then Tomko hit the ring and attacked her from behind. So then the lights went out, and Sting was there to hurt, help Angle. He was not a babyface. Through the ring of the bad guys. Another wretched show. By the way, speaking of wretched, we never heard anything from Abyss or Jim Mitchell again. Abyss may still be goozling him right now as you read this. What a terrible wrestling promotion. It is horrible. Yeah, like this... I don't know what it is compared to the earlier TNA that we've read Brian reviews of here, but even if we hadn't watched that clip, there is a sense of despair here, and des- maybe, well, maybe more desperation, maybe both, than we got in those older ones. You know what I mean? Like, this does not feel like a promotion with an upside, even though it kind of should. I, I just don't know. And, and like, boy does it not speak well for scott demore as a booker by the way that once the joe angle matches were drawing well his idea to keep drawing was more joe angle matches (sighs) terrible yep anyway let's go to the non-in-ring stuff here regarding kurt angle i guess bob sapp as a program the latest is that TNA has backed off after receiving a legal letter from K1's Sadaharu Tanagawa, who's letters to WWE, which is really the final blow that killed WWE talks. Pride and every major wrestling fighting organization claim they have sap on the contract until September and want promotions to go through them to book him so they can get their cut. 
K1 also sued staff for breach of contract in Tokyo District Court and claims he owes them $600,000 for back consumption tax. They figured it grows larger due to penalties accrued. This is a tax that nobody knew about. Staff's attempting this week to get an injunction which would allow him to work and earn a living. EXE and Don King have also talked with Sap with even idea of throwing him to box Nikolai Zuev, the 7-foot, 325-pound Russian world ch- boxing champion and social ex- exhibition. This day can't imagine a commission sanction a world champion to face a guy who's never had a boxing match. Yeah, um, this is Bob Sav going through all his legal shit era and kind of really cooled him off. Yeah, pretty much, because there was also the whole thing where, and I, I, I want to make it clear, this is what was reported at the time. Any uncomfortable facts about how this reflects on people is on WWE, not me or you. Bobby Lashley got the push that WWE had earmarked for if they signed Bob Sapp. What was that again? Oh, you couldn't hear me? Oh. No. That's weird. Um, no, you said somebody, somebody, something got, somebody got the push? Yeah, Bob, it, Bobby Lashley, if I remember right, got the push that was earmarked okay. for if they had signed Bob Sapp. Okay, see, that last didn't come through for some some reason. Oh, so okay. you heard Bob, and you heard Bob, so gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So, and, but this all came up, and wasn't there also something where there was a K-1 card in Europe that was like the beginning of this, where Sap refused to go out, and to save the show, like Ernest, was it Ernesto Hoost was on commentary? It was, there was someone on commentary, but that, that was a name fighter that jumped in to save the show, but because they didn't have to have any gear, they had to wear Sammy Schiltz trunks, which being Sammy Schiltz were very oversized. Yeah. So a lot, a lot of drama and with Sap, this is kind of the end of him as the Bob Sap as we knew him after this. It's pretty much just, you know, professional can Bob Sap, right? Yeah. Which, you know, good for him. He made money and tried to do it in a way where he didn't take too much punishment. But uh, not not the most dignified end. No. Yeah, like, okay, if I look at his MMA record. Yeah, am I looking at MMA or... or yeah, because... Oh, no, this is kickboxing. Let me see. What should I look at first? Okay, so MMA, as I scroll here, he had no MMA fights between November 5th, 05 and December 31st, 07. Oh, that was the Bobby Oligon fight. So he does briefly end up back with uh, K1. And he was, right, and Dream had, Dream had K1 affiliation, right? That was, uh, in the notes I talked about earlier in the show, that was the week that I was originally <laughs> planning to do. Although that wasn't going to be part of the show because we weren't going to cover all that shit. But yeah, the Sap Oligon fight took place a year later from this week. That's right. I forgot he fought Lashley, too, in 09. Yeah. So, basically just loses for the rest of his career, although, as of right now, his most recent fight, uh, I don't know if this was actually MMA rule, full MMA rules or what, but he did win a unanimous decision over Usanarashi on Ryzen 13 in September 2018. Kickboxing-wise, yeah, he didn't win for years and years. He's in the middle of a massive losing streak at this point. Uh, you know, the good fighters, but still massive losing streak. So, at least he made his money. 
right, let's go to the torch now. Been a while on this show since we had torch stuff, but they weren't doing a whole lot of hard news at that time. TNA management decided to stop paying for Russell's hotel rooms. They announced the decision at last taping and has caused some outrage among the wrestlers, mostly private. BG James was among those who spoke out, though. He called Jeff Jarrett, Dixie Carter, and Terry Taylor and either quit or threatened to quit. But nobody managed to take him seriously because he's done that before. The decision was a cost-cutting measure, saving the company about 120 bucks per wrestler per two nights they usually stay in Orlando. Good lord. Wrestlers require the fly in a day early, so flight delays are less likely to cause a car disruption. For wrestlers who are being paid $300, they will not have to pay out of their pocket for hotel rooms, which run with tax about $100 to $120 a night. They can stay at a cheap hotel and shuttle to the theme park, must apt to take a bite of at least $100 out of every wrestler's pay. Some of them are only getting paid $300 to begin with. This fucking company. Jesus, $120. Bucks. You got to have that money, huh? I mean, you need it that bad. Well, especially when they're clearly getting a pretty good group rate. If they're able to get 60 bucks a night. Like, okay, so I'm curious then. How many wrestlers are they flying in for a given taping at this point? It's not like there are that many names on the shows, though. Like, they're using a lot of people across multiple segments. God, the day they must not be doing well at this time, even by their standards. No. All right. Uh, p- people backstage had to rub their eyes to see if they were seeing as clearly as Jim Cornette was calmly discussing wrestling matters with Vince Russo backstage. Uh, well, Bix, <laughs> you were saying about who the Booker Cornette had vowed, including a long scene creating rage at a hotel bar to bound for glory. He could not stand Russo and not work with him. I think he's. St- I think. I think Demore's still in charge at this point. But yeah. Well, we know who's booking. Vince Russo. Since then, he has been convinced by people whom he respects that his anger at Russo is misguided or at least overblown. He's a good guy, and he should try to make the best situation rather than work against it. The one thing that Cornette and Russo are said to have in common, as they can't be said by most others with political power or ambition of TNA, is that they both want what's best for TNA. They might have totally opposite ideas of what that means, but neither sees the other as scheming for power or being two-faced or backstabbing, and in the current TNA environment, that have made strange bedfellows. A number of people who like both are happy to see Cornette step up, be professional, and courteous towards Russo. Now, you've seen this before. It didn't hit me until now to mention this. Um, little did Cornette know at the time. October 12th, 2006, 3.23 p.m. Uh, well, GMT, so. I don't know why they're printing their emails out as a, in, in British time, but so this is probably the... So late morning, uh, Nashville time, from Vince Russo to Dixie Carter. Comments from friend on show. So remember, Cornette thinks that Russo is not trying to undermine him. They may disagree, but he's not out to get him politically. This is what Cornette thinks at the time. However, and I'm not going to try to do the voice, so understand that. Dixie, there are two things I want to pass on to you uh, regarding conversation I had this morning. Good friend of mine that I worked with in the WWF for years called me today. Named Matt Miller, he runs the Gundarina uh, in Cleveland. Matt told me that a couple of weeks ago he caught part of our show after watching UFC. Said he felt we were sending out mixed messages, and the pieces don't seem to fit. Said on one hand he saw Conan's group LAX that came across as hip, 
excuse me, cool, hip, and cutting edge. And moments later, he saw Jim Cornette on the same show that came across as a southern 1980s wrestling cartoon. Dixie, these were his exact words. I agree wholeheartedly with this and tried to tiptoe around it with Jeff, and he got defensive and mad at me. Right now, in Samoa Joe, yes, Vince Russo, in 2006, did not know how to spell Samoa. And Kurt, <laughs> we have two wrestlers about as real as can be, the closest to UFC you're going to get. Then on the other hand, we have your Cornets, and he's using an apostrophe when he shouldn't, and your Jeffs, to some extent. They're about as old-school wrestling as you get. Seems that in 42 minutes, we have two different brands, two different types of entertainment. My thing with Cornette isn't personal. I, all caps, swear to you. That's how you know it's a Vince Russo email. But I'm having a huge problem with him representing TNA management. Wearing a canary yellow sports jacket when we go to prime time. Again, Dixie, being all caps hip is the key. Joe is cool. Angle is cool. LAX, you have guys like Truth and Hoyt. Then we shot ourselves in the foot when we go back 20 years. Again, I just wanted to make note of this. To be honest, if I was writing TV, a character, all caps, like Jim Cornette, would not be representing TNA management. I would rather go with a, an attractive, sexy, female executive, parenthesis, like a Tina Fey, that would add a whole new dimension to the product. Just my two cents business and then also talks about fat heads and they tried to make a deal with wwe and they turned them down if they want any more info then call me hope you're having a good day peace vince what an asshole <laughs> i mean i'll say this for the much for jim Cornette. i never got the impression he ever schemed behind someone's back politically like that ever you know yeah and here russo's two-facing him yeah and trying to kiss up to Dixie in the most shameless way possible. Yeah. yeah. Bro, bro, like so. a Tina Fey. <laughs> You'd be perfect. <sighs> amazing. Yeah, <laughs> it is amazing. And this, it? of course, this this uh, this got filed as an exhibit with some of the Conan lawsuit stuff. The reference to LAX became relevant for reasons I forget. Oh my goodness! Some uh, of this for the last tapings. Simon Diamond, Jerry Lynn. Huh? Sorry, the delay is slightly different on on the Google Meet, so it's throwing me off. Go ahead. <laughs> Several days for the last taping. Simon Diamond, Jerry Lynn, and Shane Douglas were given word they were being suspended as agents for the taping. The story they were given is they weren't being hard enough on the talent, and they turned in their agent reports a few days late after the prior taping. They were all told the suspension would be only for that taping, but they hit hard since it was the last taping. Before Christmas. Speaking of, the agents get paid on a per show basis. It's torch. So it saved TNA some money. Word from backstage is the taping went a little smoother than usual, perhaps because those filling in, Taylor, Dutch, and Jarrett, wanted to send a message to the agents. Jarrett had been outspoken about the work of the agents not being up to his expectations lately. The Moore, who's tight with Jarrett and often gets hotel rooms right next to him, was not among the agents being punished. So, if you think it's Scott Moore's in charge, is that I mean? He's he's you know on the verge of being punished, Bix. Well, no, I, that's not how I read it. I read this as Demore turned in his reports and stuff on time. 
Damore, who was tight with Jarrett and often gets hotel rooms right next to him, was not among the ages being punished. Right, and combining the two reports, it seems like... Well, yeah, how, So how is this man supposed to be running the company or being in charge, and he's the one, that, and he's on a list of the agents that could be punished, but he wasn't punished? By Jeff Jarrett. I always forget. I always forget who's uh, booking at any given point. Anyway, that be, but he he had he was. I don't think there's a head booker at this time. Then maybe I think it's all of them. Vince Russo. I don't think he's officially <laughs> the head booker though. If Vince Russo's there, he's a head booker. I mean, if, he may not have the ti- he may not have the title, but he's in charge. I get what you're saying. Sure, but if he's there, and hell, if he's not there, we got those times he's booking at home. But still, this is the, the this is bullshit. Uh, more bullshit. Trying to save money, but just cheating. Yeah. God, I mean, like the Carters are going broke for God's sakes. Jesus, it's terrible. Yeah, and I mean, I'd like to get an idea why multiple agents were turning in their reports several days late. Like, at least like to understand what's happening here. But it seems like that was more of a cover reason, anyway. That it was more that they were not being "quote unquote" hard enough on the talent. The company's been in no, uh, constant contact with Conan, particularly the Carters, who have called him almost every day. He went on his MySpace account, telling him what happened. Believing his kidneys were damaged from an infection in his immune system, he didn't recognize. He requested a donor kidney and knew that he had type zero blood. Dave's impression, having seen Super Billy Graham go through this with his liver, is that doctors will allow family and friends to donate, or you can get a donation from someone recently deceased. But they frown on Good Samaritan donations. He'll ever return in some form when he's back walking after a hip replacement surgery, but he won't be able to do much of anything physically for a while and will likely lose significant weight. Luckily for him, they discover his talent as a manager, where he'd really be screwed right now. He's been told he has to go on a strict diet to help cleanse his blood, along with the painful dialysis. He's likely to come back a lot smaller because he won't be able to train or eat. He's also been told no alcohol, no drugs, no dairy products. Absolutely no salt in any food, and he has to keep his protein intake low, which is a complete lifestyle change for someone who has had more than two decades of bodybuilder mentality, in particular high-protein diet with lots of dairy products, and the wrestler lifestyle. Yeah. Not good. Well, I mean, he was in very bad shape for a while there. But, I mean, you know what? He got that kidney, and God bless him, it's lasted as long as you could have expected it to like he needs a new one at this point but he clearly did everything he could to get his body prepared and all things considered i think it's worked out pretty well yeah so you know good for him um now of course this would also be an issue in the lawsuit because his painkiller usage was one of the things that led to the kidney damage, and as he alleges in the lawsuit, uh, the hip pain. That because remember, they found out about the kidney ish, the kidney failure when he was getting blood work for a hip replacement. That uh, to work on the hip pain, he was given painkillers by Terry Taylor. <laughs> yeah. Which also meant that under Florida statutes at the time, because this would have happened in Florida at a taping, Conan was able to sue asking for triple damages under various drug dealer-related statutes. PNA, everybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, 
Oh, my goodness. And to close, the new UK TV deals with Bravo 2 beginning on January the 6th. Impact will be airing on Saturday nights, two nights at the in the U.S. Debut show is listed airing at 10 to 11 p.m., but we don't have confirmation it's a permanent time slot. They also get pay-per-view shows on free television once a month, airing on the Wednesday after the show airs. A similar to the UFC and UK, where Bravo airs pay-per-view shows the day after the event. Bravo did their homework as to what they were getting, given the description of the TV listings. TNA Wrestling. All the latest TNA Impact Wrestling action from the USA. The new spinoff from WCW and WF Wrestling, where weapons are permitted and the action is extreme. Sure! Uh, TNA, everybody. How does that even happen? That happened to WCW when they had that bullshit happen to them all the time. And WCW was a promotion that was more than the limelight than TNA was. And it's so rare that this stuff happens to WWF. Or WWE. Yeah, well... You know what it probably comes down to? They're probably just much more hands-on with partners like that. Yes. But a very TNA uh, blurb there to end the TNA section and this show. Yes, indeed. As we are done with uh, 2006-2007. And next week, we'll go back in time. To 1996. Ooh. Yes, as we have, uh, well, it's just to talk about. We have World Wrestling Federation to talk about, where we have news on uh, the Royal Rumble, who's who possibly would be in it, who may not be in it. Na- names floating around. We got week two with Billionaire Ted. Oh no! And it's really getting hot, hot and heavy now. Oh, I won't say what, but I remember which one week two is, and you ain't wrong. Yeah, there's a lot that's going on here, including a lot of stuff on Monday Night Raw, and all kind of interesting anecdotes from WF. Don't want to put too much out there. We got a pay per view taping at the Sportatorium to talk about, so we have that. We have a Dan Severin show indie show in Michigan with all kinds of wild names on it. We got early item in South. We got NASSW. We got USWA where the old Sun Heavyweight title comes out of mothballs. We'll talk about that. We got a new wrestling promotion in Philadelphia that's getting television. So we'll talk about that. We got C running their Dia de Reyes shows, big shows in Puerto Rico. We'll have that. Plus we got all the stuff going on in Lucha including some political drama in CMLL, and uh, AAA having some major issues with Televisa. We got news on uh, digital television in Japan to talk about, plus all the other wild indie stuff from the first of the year, a lot of Cork and Hall shows. So a lot of interesting stuff there. We got Antonio Noki holding a press conference in Los Angeles to talk about his multi-promotional show. And then we have WCW, where... Uh, Terry Taylor has quite the moment on the hotline. We got TV tapings to talk about. We got a wild nitro involving Hulk Hogan, Randy, uh, Hulk Hogan, Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, and Sting. And Hulk Hogan's lawsuit in Minneapolis is getting the full court press in the local media. Oh. But that's not even the biggest part of this show. Extreme Championship Wrestling House Party 96. The end of an era and the beginning of a new era 
and Extreme Church of Wrestling. And we will be joined by John Philipavich to discuss hey. House Party 96 and all the other ECW a sundry that's going on here. And we have ECW from all spectrums, Dave Meltzer, Way Keller, and Dave Shearer. So we have a lot to talk about. And uh, Johnny P is going to be with us, and I'm sure he'll have a lot of great takes on this. So quite the show next week. Lots of good stuff. Really good between the sheets show. Uh, a lot of a lot of names that uh, are favorites. A lot of storylines on the show that we talk about off and on over the years. Just mentioned here, and this should be really good stuff. So excited for the show next week. So anyway, Vix, thanks as always. You're the rock of the show, and you did the notes this week, so we definitely appreciate that. And this is Chris says so long from the Peach State of Georgia. Waitress, can I have another drink, please? I'd like to formally introduce myself. I'm the talk of the town. That's the reason why they stare, ball carrots in my head. If you look, see a glare, I'm one of a kind with a wonderful rhyme. I'm skating off in a Rory, you'll get left behind. My rap's fully automatic like an AR. Dropping nothing but heat, me and JR. I'm living life in the fast lane. Then the cash came, fire won't quit, still burning like a gas flame. They watch me, so I duck and roll. Middle finger still up, saying fuck the glow. And my dog's still down, we don't trust them hoes. I live life like a king, I was etched in stone. Kevin Better line. I come tight with every rhyme. I built a kingdom down the street from Pepperdine. This marijuana got me heavily sedated. I'm Kevin Federline, America's most hated. What? I'm here now. I know y'all been waiting. America's most hated. I know all about you. You're mad that I made it. America's most hated. Like the one time, can't even chill when it's California sunshine. But it's okay, I got something for you. I'm handing out ass kickings like diplomas. Who the first to get it? You know, K Bears with it. All that shit rappers talk about, I already did it. I'm committed to the game. The fame's why I hustle. Lyrical exercise, working every muscle on the double. Chief and commander, hand your ass to you in the basket. Wrapped in plastic, I'm gloomy. All these model chicks wanna do me. Tabloids try to screw me. Magazines try to chew me, but I'm nasty. Too fucking slick and slide so high, I could probably drop a shit and fly. You gon' need a big army if you coming for me. K Fed line, I hit like tsunamis. Between the Sheets, Patreon special, episode number 63. I'm your host, Chris Zellner, joined as always by my co-host, David Bix and Spin. And Bix, it's time for part two of our series on John Collins' Main Event Championship Wrestling. And if you thought the first one was wild and crazy, you ain't heard nothing yet. Oh, the first half is nothing compared to this. <laughs> no, it is not. So, on that note, let's get to our guest on this show, our co-host, 
King Kingsport, Bo James, our dear friend. And Bo, you were telling us off the air an interesting little uh, story about the first show compared to some of your other appearances on the show. So uh, tell everybody what you were telling us. Out of all the other great wrestlers and great figures and characters that we have talked about on my how many years now of being on this show, I've got more personal messages and feedback over this nut than anybody else that we've <laughs> talked about. We've done a lot of audio. And I think, cause yeah. I, think I think you've been on, you know, for about five years now, maybe four at the least on shows, very, very many shows, both Patreon and regular show. And yeah, that, that's crazy. Uh, and I'll say, like I said, we ain't got to the, the really spicy stuff yet. <laughs> so was this feedback from people in the business, fans or both? Nobody in the business. All oh. listeners are between the sheets. Wow. You know, many of them started with, I've listened to you on with Chris and Bix for many years. This is the craziest stuff I've ever heard. <laughs> and yeah. folks, you're just hearing about it. You didn't live it. <laughs> yeah. Yes, indeed. Because we've not, we've not got to death threats <laughs> and mega mass homicide and all this other <laughs> stuff that was being thrown around on phone calls and <laughs> messages. And well, I'm uh, sure we'll get I'll to it later. Your... Then, so wait a second. Is the orid had Tracy already been using the term ultra mega mass homicide, or does it? first come to life during that oh he he's been using that as long as i've known him since 1989 he I, 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 he said it on promos he said it on, i've heard him saying in promos you know as a heel so gotcha. yeah even though it didn't pick up steam as a thing with fans until about a year after this after the iwa thing with eaton yeah mm. All right, well, we ended uh, the first show with the second week of August, and they had their debut show at the ECW Arena, and we had all the hoopla surrounding that. So if you haven't listened to that yet, you better listen to that, because you need to listen to that before you listen to this, actually. So you can get it. You, know, you probably different. need to take notes as you go along listing just so you can keep <laughs> it all straight. Yeah, exactly, because there's a lot of... A lot of lies being told by John Collins to, uh, throughout that show that he can't get, keep straight, much less us. So um, let's continue where we left off. All right. One, uh, one, WrestlingClassics.com message board. Crimson Mask, longtime poster there. Uh, subject, verbatim transcript of AOL, AOLIM conversation with apparently John Collins. Okay, sports fans, I just got enlisted. I am a brother from John Collins. Here it is in full, unedited, and unabridged. Okay, who wants to be who here? You're John Collins. Okay. We are not a me company. We are a we company. Excuse me? We have to be a we company for everything to work out right. If not, we won't survive and won't be able to last long. Okay, I agree, but what is all this apropos of? What do you mean? What brings you to be IMing me? I heard you've been posting stuff about me and my company on a message board called WrestlingClassics.com. Okay, yes, I have. The whole thing, frankly, sounded screwed to me from the word go. Why is that? 
Are you jealous? No, no, no. Wait, these are a few oh. columns in a row. Sorry. Are you jealous you're not working for MECW? I heard you've been calling us a cow and saying stuff like moo moo. Jealous? Uh, no, not at all. Seen to me with all the plans to, you were all jumping the gun big time on your first announcement, and Terry Taylor was the one who called it me cow. You don't want to see MECW to survive, do you? You just like seeing one promotion, and that is the WWF, correct? It's people like yourself who want to see the business and have no competition. What? It's people like yourself who want to see the business and have no competition. I would love to see you survive. I would love to see a viable alternative. Your thing didn't sound viable to me from the jump. I would love to see the boys be able to get on the plane so their tickets paid if that's what they were promised. I dislike this Monopoly crap as much as anyone. Maybe you are the one canceling the flights. Who is this, Indie Fan? Uh, just for the record, Indie Fan was the guy who was posting, like, all the MECW stuff on Wrestling Classics and is, you know, a, one of the reasons we were able to find so much of this stuff. Because yeah. Wrestling Classics has so much of their archive saved. Yeah. So anyway, um, who is that? Either you're Indie Fan ribbing me or you're a raving paranoiac. I'm canceling the flights. Yeah, you and Heyman. Pal, I've never met Paulie in my life. Sure, that's what they all say. Well, it was nice talking to you. Remember the name, MECW. You need help. We will be around for the next five to ten years, if not longer. I hope so, whether you believe that or not. Heck, we might even change... R-A-R-E, I haven't pointed out the spelling stuff before, but that one I had to, name to something else. But we will still be around. Bye-bye. Okay. I got to eat dinner now. One last time. Indy? This is you, right? Uh, no. Last time I checked, my name is John Collins. Okay. Then check this out. I am not canceling your flights. Sure, whatever you say. Yeah, that is what I say. What the fuck was that? What the fuck? <laughs> I love how, especially going through all this stuff, it's very obvious that's really him. Which is sad. That's really sad. <laughs> Jesus Christ. This is, this is the strongest proof we've seen so far that he is going through some mental illness issues. Bo, what do you think about all this? I want to get your take on this. <laughs> he can't shut up. He has to have somebody to talk to and somebody to tell how great he is and what he's going to do. And he just wants somebody to listen to him. Somebody. When you're going after fans on message boards, then you're almost at the bottom. Oh, my goodness. This would be sad even for a low-level indie, then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm -mm -mm. Amazing. And it just is going to get better. To hear this entire show, support Between the Sheets on Patreon for just $5 per month. Go to patreon.com slash Between the Sheets.